Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Everybody, it is Saturday night, November the 18th, year 2017, and we are back. As Patricia <laughs> likes to say, we are alive, and our number is 714-545-2071, and here she is with the most adorable laugh in the whole wide world, and the most sparkling personality in the whole wide world, and the... And she is happy. She's awake. She's she she's been fed. And here she is, Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Gobble 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 gobble. Gobble gobble. Hello, Alden. Hi, everybody. Can you believe? Yeah, I can believe. It's Uh, almost Thanksgiving uh, time. Who's there? Uh, Alright. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Peekaboo, it's me. Hello, David, how are you? Hi, Patricia. Hello, how are you? She has no idea who this is. Well, she knows it's no, Dave Kane. It's oh, no, 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 see, you gave it away. See, now it's... How <laughs> oh, Dave? Okay, David, I thought so, but it didn't sound like you. How are you? Well, I've been working on it. I'm, I'm working. I'm, 
I'm working on working up a nine hundred number. I'm going to try to work on make some money. Ooh, can I apply? Well, I just call to see how you were doing. You sound great. I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thank you. I went That's to Walmart okay. today. Can you believe? <laughs> what did she say? Can you believe? I mean, I I I have been on strike with Walmart for years. If you walk into that store, it's like walking into a football field full of people. And mm-hmm. now I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so I went to Walmart today. Oh, really? You got a job as a greeter, yeah. did you? <laughs> no, no. Every Saturday they take whoever wants to go to Walmart, they take, them, they take us over there. And oh, okay. it was very nice, and I got some. I got some cheese. I have been longing for cheese. So now that I have my cheese, I'm fine. How are you? No, well, everything is fine with me. I was just checking in to say hi. I, we hadn't spoken in so long, and I was so concerned for your health and for everything else oh, you've been through. Thank you. So I just wanted to be the first one to check in and say, I'm glad you're back. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Mm, it's nice to have you. And, uh, Walden, you, I want you to behave yourself right now. <laughs> Got to give her a chance to get settled in. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get settled in. Have you, have you set up your interview with Peter Marshall yet? You know, I haven't. He, I did speak with him, and um, we were going to set something up. He wanted to, a couple of more weeks, mm-hmm. so I'm going to get back to him probably this week and ah. get something going. And uh, and so it'll be cool. It'll be cool. And so and first, I can't wait. the next thing, David, how about your toy fund, your toy drive for all the kids in uh, yeah, yeah. Rhode Island? How's that coming along? Yeah, that, start, that starts, uh, actually, it starts uh, right after Thanksgiving. You know, Monday after Thanksgiving, we're off and running. Mm. And we hope to, I'll be telling you about that, too, as it runs. Okay. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's our 35th year now. So it's pretty cool. Are you serious? I can't believe that. Wow. Yeah, 35 years. And over the years, we've, we'll average, we'll do between, probably between 800 and 1,000 children this year. Wow. Yeah. So so it's very good, and it's yeah, it's a, a good deal more than toys. I mean, we, we do clothing, about. and we do winter boots, and we do winter coats, and we do pajamas as well. The kids, of course, love the toys, yeah. and we make sure they get what they would like. Uh, oh. But and then we give them the necessities as well. So it works out oh, pretty that's good. that's so great. So cool. So what about... Dave, uh, can we tell people this is Dave Kane, our friend from Rhode Island, who's talking with us? Yeah, I think... Tell them, as soon as you find out. <laughs> yeah, we just did. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Walden. So, what about food? What about food cards and things like that, David? Have there been more of a need for food and things? You know, you know, more and more parents struggling just to put food in the in the cupboards. Is that have well, we that? we do we do a lot. We have several food banks here in the area that we work in, and we uh-huh. we support them, of course, too. And we 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 do you know the, the overall program is bigger than just Christmas. Yeah, uh, we 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 do what's called a daycare scholarships where we help parents who aren't who haven't made little enough so they would have on assistance and make just a little bit too much to get on assistance and so they're stuck paying for daycare and so we try to to help them out we surprise a parent parents every uh, every month with with a free week of daycare 
Wow. Pay for that. Excellent. And that helps them out of it. You know, and we help them. We, we also, the, the people that participate in Christmas as kids, those parents all are expected to take at least three out of five classes that we offer on, you know, uh, economics and bill paying and you know, budgeting your money and all of those things. We have those classes, and so we help the parents be able to stretch a buck a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and so we help them there, too. And there's a lot of other classes that we, we offer, uh, home gardening, things like that, to, you know, to help them cut the corners, and, it, and it's worked out very well. Right. That was pretty cool, too. So what the next step, what the next thing you want to expand to, Dave? Any ideas where you think the program should go to? I think well, the program expands by its uh, its participants. Right. <laughs> you know, every year we get more and more families, and but the, the cool thing is that a lot of the families, a lot of the younger, uh, I say the youngest, a lot of the people who were recipients of this program many years ago are now volunteers in the program and running it Excellent. and helping. And, you know, these kids who receive stuff from Christmases for kids are now, of course, adults. And they are coming and bringing their family to participate by being donors or by being volunteers. And so it's becoming a self-perpetuating charity. How do you choose the families you are helping? Say that again? How do you choose the families you are helping? Well, we we have a, a... a process that they fill out. Uh, there's uh, forms that they fill out, and we cross-reference it. Mm-hmm. Um, we go through several uh, social service agencies to identify who these people are. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them, we approach and say, "Look, we've got this for you." And they haven't even asked us. We can find them and, and help them yeah. out. So we do a lot of cross-referencing and make sure that these people are not only. Uh, legitimate in their need, but also uh, we try to help them identify what they need and, and get it to them. Where where do the, I don't want to say the biggest donations, but are your businesses contributing more to the system than individuals? Are individuals working with you? How does that work? Well, it's everything. We have companies that are, um, for instance, there'll be a company and the, the employees will get together and instead of giving a an obligatory present to the supervisor, (laughs) you know, they'll give us the money. They'll take a kid or two kids, and they'll go Uh out and do the shopping for those kids instead. And then they'll give the supervisor a card that this donation was made in his or her name, you know. Uh, We we have corporate people that come through. We have, uh, you know, we're talking about Walmart. We have many larger companies like Hasbro and stuff. Uh, and they come through to help us out a great deal. Wow. Um, and and, and uh, a lot of the larger companies give us discounts. You know, during the year, mm-hmm. uh, we don't just do this at Christmas time. That's when we distribute pretty much. But yeah. we actually uh, get the stuff all year long. In the summer, when there is a, a sale on uh, boots for children, we go in there with a check and we buy buy out the lot. At a, at a mm-hmm. huge discount because we can grab them all, mm-hmm. you know. And so we, we, we've got what I refer to as black belt shoppers. 
<laughs> and they go out and they do the stuff, and they really, they really know what's going on. We just got a donation of 800, 800 socks, 800 pairs of socks. Wow. Wow. So they oh, just come in. They just call us up and say, look, you know, we've got these. Would you like them? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Silly, silly, Send them silly. over. Of yeah. Oh, that's great. Where do you store the items as you collect them during the year? Where do you store them? Well, we have a, we have a small office that's getting smaller and smaller. We're actually right now <laughs> starting uh, a capital campaign to buy our mm-hmm. own building. We have been we've moved several times every uh-huh. every couple of Christmases. We have to move to a different area. We've moved in different places yeah. because we have a temporary holding area. You know, the stuff that comes in for this year, mm-hmm. as an example. The, Christmas time stuff. We have to find a place mm-hmm. to put them temporarily until Santa can deliver them. You know. Yeah. So. So what would be the what would be the ideal setup? Would it be an office space and then some warehouses in the back? Would that be? Yeah, yeah, that would be. A, it would be. It would be a, a huge warehouse area and a three or four offices. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the way. And so we're looking around now, and we're in the middle of this capital campaign. And uh, we're going to try to raise, we're looking to raise about a million dollars just to get a small, I say a small building uh, with the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're looking maybe to buy a, a, a building from the, from the city, from the Attleboro. From Attleboro. Um, they've got many, many uh, factories out there that are abandoned now. And then we might be able to find a small factory building or a small school that is now not being used. And we might mm-hmm. be able to get that for a very low money and then use the rest of the money to renovate it, to get it up to code. Yeah. Well, that sounds neat. If you got an old school, you'd have automatic classroom space for the programs that you do. Yeah, cover. right. And yeah, maybe a gym that we could use as a... As a Warehousing area. I mean, there's a, there's a whole many. Uh-huh. There's a whole bunch of ideas that we're working on now, and this thing just keeps growing and growing. You know, it's, it's, how many people, spectacular. How many people? I'm sorry, I tripped right over you. How many people are working together with you? Or how well, are uh, we you have a board of um, six people, seven, seven people. I think the board's on. No, excuse uh-huh. me. Yes, yeah, seven people on the board. And then we have an average of um, six or seven hundred volunteers uh, during the Christmas season. And other times we rotate them because we're open every night Mm -hmm. for three weeks, you know, doing this. And then, um, so, and then I just saw a note. We have over 5,000 volunteer hours alone just just in the Christmas is it's weeks. That's a lot of 5, hours. Five thousand volunteer hours. Yeah. That is a lot of hours, Dave. I'm I'm kind of swinging off you and into other areas. If people in their own communities have been wishing or thinking about having a similar type program for children and families at Christmas, where would they begin? Well, if they want to have a similar type program, they can call me. Or they can contact the, uh, um, yeah, it'd be better to call me. Um, they can get my information at davecane.net. It's K-A-N-E, davecane.net. They can send me an email or give me a call, and I'll put them on with people 
who and we have it all written up what we do. We have it written wow. up and we have it cataloged ready for someone uh-huh. who might want to come and do this in another community. We've thought about that. I had wanted to syndicate this idea years ago uh-huh. and um and I never got to do it. So yeah. we have it, Would it laid be, out for you. Could it be possible somebody from a different com- can come visit you and see how it worked in action? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, then they can set it up in their own neighborhood and do it yeah, their own. Yeah, the other day we actually, we do, uh, last week uh, to kick things off, we did a what we call a back lot tour. And on Sunday mm-hmm. we invited people to come in and we took them, we walked them through what happens to the item that they bring in. And we walked them and we brought them into the, the desk where they bring it in and then we show them where it goes and where it goes after that and who touches it after that, who who, who does with it after <laughs> that. And they get to see exactly how each of these items, each of these things goes on and how it gets to the child. And yeah. it's really good. People love seeing it. They're very impressed the way it's done. <laughs> I'm impressed, and I haven't even seen it. I'm just impressed every time we talk about this, Dave. Does your program in any way cross over into Toys for Tots territory, or does Toys for Tots cross over? No, it, it, it doesn't, and, and, and it's different in this way. Toys for Tots is a great organization, and they do a great deal of good. The difference here is I wanted... I wanted a, a child who is poor, instead of just being given something that somebody wanted to give them, I wanted them to have the opportunity that all other children have, which is to ask for something they want and for somebody to make an effort to get that for them. You know, these uh-huh. kids who are poor see the same television commercials, they see the same newspaper ads, they see the same sure. colorful brochures coming to the house as kids from home families that have money and mm-hmm. so I wanted these kids to be able to say I'd like a pair of jeans uh, this color this size you know a sweater mm-hmm. maybe uh, this size maybe this color uh, and so that they and now the person who donates to us they go out and they buy that specific item so they know that their money is going to exactly doing that. Mm-hmm. And then they bring the item to us, and we see to it that that child gets that item. Mm. And it's very different is, from others because yeah, of that. Yeah, much, much more um, community touch, personal touch. Dave, how do the people who, for example, the person who will go out and buy jeans to those specifications, how does that person learn about it? Oh, we have, well, first of all, um, this started off when I was on the radio up there, and every hour we would read a story about a real child. We would say, Walden is seven years old, and uh, Dad is passed, and Mom's, <clears throat> you know, has, has is alone, and Walden would really like to have a chemistry set. And so somebody would hear that, and we would say, if you would like to help Walden, his number is 556. So then they would call in, they'd say, okay, and, and, and we have elves who answer the phone, yeah. and they say to I wanted to get Walden's, you know, chemistry set, and they take their name and address and say, okay, it needs to be here by December 5th or whatever. Uh-huh. And so then they go out and they buy the chemistry set and they bring it in and we see to it that Walton gets the chemistry set. Oh, cool. 
cool. Wow. You're on your honor now to cross your heart and promise me that you will not get walled in a chemistry. <laughs> well, I know, no, that would be, yeah, that's why I use that as an example. Nobody would give him one like that. I know that. Don't, uh, don't yeah, count yeah, on yeah. it. He still hasn't used the wash and wax vibrator he asked for last year, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and, and so that's how it's done, and then it gets to, and then these families, when they come, they have this code number, 566, whatever it is, and they pick up their bags, and in the bags are all of these items that the children have wished for, and they're sitting right there. And now here's the thing about this. You have the volunteers, you have the people who are receiving, but think of the thousands of people who have gone out to buy this item. Yeah. Total strangers will, will never meet the child they've gotten for. And then on Christmas morning when they get up and their kids are having a great time, they'll be able to think about that child they helped. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And they'll be able We're to imagine. we Dave Kane. Dave is yeah. our friend from Rhode Island, Dave Kane, and you can get information for, from him about the program he's talking about by going to Dave Kane, K A N E dot net. Thank you for That's making it. sure people have that, Dave. So, okay, go thank ahead. you so much. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I have to make sure people get to you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this. I had just called to wish you wish you luck and, and, and tell you how glad I am that you're happy. I appreciate the plug, believe me. And if we can get somebody who's interested in doing this program, we would we help them in more ways than they know. Because we do so many different ways to, we want to help people uh, make life better for themselves and for others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing that Patricia and I have been so concerned about privately, let's face it, some of the high-end Christmas toys gotten so expensive. Um, you know, video games and things like that, the PlayStation. I, it that gotten to be more and more of a group effort, Dave. If a kid, well, asks yeah, I'm I'm guessing that it is. I'm I, I really don't. Um, I don't. I haven't heard anybody say you know that these kids. Um, it's funny. It, you don't hear them asking for really high end things like that. Uh-huh. I mean, they'll they'll be realistic and they'll okay. say, well, okay. you know, like you said, you know, it's kind of steep, you know. Yeah. And they have second choices. Um, the little ones are not that problem. And it's funny because one of the things that I'm focused on is that the teenagers, you know, as soon as somebody stops being cute and they become teenagers, less people yeah. want to help them. Yeah. That's what toys for taught. Because they don't, yeah. they don't believe in Santa Claus and therefore. Well, well, yeah, but also, I mean, they don't they think, think they, that these kids, yeah, you know, they these magic kids they're at risk. A lot of these kids are at risk. And think of how it changes their life. If they find out that somebody got them something they really wanted that didn't even know who they were, it gives mm-hmm. them a self-image, and they, they, they get their hope. They get hope from it. And it sure. really does. It's a great contribution. We have a lot of families and, and people who, uh, who are donated, donating who specifically want teenagers because mm-hmm. they understand this. And so yeah. we have a bunch of people who will... Say, have you got a teenager? Mm. You know, that's that's cool. that's a good one. That's a good one to ask for. You're right, Walden. You right. were going to say something about the the same kind of problem. Yeah, I, I think Toy for Tot had the same issue. They noticed it's harder to 
that the, that the area that they lack is the when a, a boy become a teenager or a girl becomes a teenager that that is a a tougher need for them to fill because you know yeah. people don't think and, of that and especially the boys yeah yeah and and they don't especially realize the boys, how yeah. this is when you can really make a difference in these kids' lives. You can really make a difference mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as the child realizes this. And it is a child, this teenager. He's yeah. still a child, or she's still a child. They realize that somebody cared enough to do this for them. It, mm-hmm. it gives them and that's something, something that, special. That's something that lasts longer than the wrapped package. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we've been very, we've been very pleased with it. We're very glad. And uh, and so we're, we're just going to keep doing it until we get it right. I guess I don't know, <laughs> you know. And, and I'm thrilled about it. So we're starting another year um, on next Monday. Next Monday we'll be off and running. Wonderful. And thanks for you guys. To no problem, Dave. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. We love to help spread the word. Yeah. It's good stuff. Okay. Well, if anybody oh, wants God. to learn how to do it, like like uh, like my. My girlfriend Patricia says it's Dave Kane, K A N E dot net, Dave Kane dot net, and I'll be glad to help you learn more about Christmases for kids and anything else that we're doing. We're doing a lot of other stuff too, and we'll we'll talk about that Dave, down you, the road one day. You, you said you had a brochure about the program you've got. Is that on a PDF as well? Say that again. I'm sorry. You, no, I don't have a brochure. What we did was oh, I thought you did. we made oh, okay. no. What we made. You can go. Oh, you can learn about the program by going to children. Uh, excuse me, uh, councilforchildren.org. Okay. Councilforchildren.org. Uh, we have okay. information there. But I, what I was talking about was we had a not not a pamphlet, a um, a binder with all Ooh. of the details on how to do this program. Oh my goodness! That somebody can come and say, "Oh, we were interested in this. We could." Give them the binder, uh-huh. and That's it's amazing. there from soup to nuts. My goodness, that is a huge amount. Who who put together the information for the binder? Well, we've done it over the years. We've 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 changed it and added to it, and you know, because we've changed the way we've done things over the yeah. years. Uh, because with all of the the, the um, regulations and the federal regulations and all the things you need sure. to do. Um, sure. For instance, we have to; these families have to prove that they're that they're here legally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, we have a whole bunch of stuff that we never had to deal with when mm. we started. Yeah, we never yeah. had to, and, it, and it's changed. So we've put together all of these things that we've done into a binder because at one time I wanted to try to figure a way to syndicate this around the country to get other other places to do it, to get other radio yeah. stations to do it, because I started it. It was the radio station's Christmas promo. Mm-hmm. That was their program. Mm-hmm. You know, and, Dave, so, many, and then when I got blown out of ARA in those days, the uh, newspaper took it over. Thank goodness. And now it is the <laughs> it is the Christmas charity in the area. I mean, this is the yeah. UA. You say Christmas is for kids, immediately people know what it is. Now, you have the vehicle of a talk show on the weekends where you can talk about this within your community and the surrounding yeah. areas. Yeah. How many yeah. talk shows within communities are available for you to talk with about generating a program like this? You mean in other communities? 
Yeah, I think. Um, uh, well, you know, a radio station, any any talk local talk radio station, who wants to make a difference in their community can do this. I and mean, I'm it, asking it, how it, many. It's not. It's not that end. It's the hard part. It's getting somebody to run it. That's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I was thinking in terms of not having nearly as many community uh, talk radio stations as there were even ten years ago. They're gone. Yeah, well, that yeah, but they're still they're still they're still. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a talk station. It can be a music station. But there's still a lot of yeah. mom and pop radio stations. Not, you know, and, and there's still a lot of stations that yeah. could yeah. do this if they want to. Are, are you aware of any of them, Dave, or is that it's just sort of been a a pretty small group that wind up doing something like what you have set up? Oh, you know, I've been tied up with ours. You know, the ones here. You mm-hmm. know, so I. Um, and, and they've had variations on a concept here where they have tags on a Christmas tree, you know, and right. tag and does that. So that's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not as finessed as this is. It's not as detailed. Detailed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very yeah. important that people know uh, this is totally volunteer. They have to know that all of these people are vetted, like you asked me, Patricia, we make sure that these people are indeed in need and their situation, et cetera, and, and, and that they, they contribute in their own way by going to classes and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, we uh-huh. have women who volunteer, who are recipients, who speak you know, other languages, who come in and volunteer mm-hmm. to speak to the parents in those languages to help them out. Wow. This is even bigger than when we first started talking about this a couple of years ago. Um, and it, it might not even be a couple of years, I guess <laughs> a couple of years. This is growing and much more sophisticated than what we had originally talked about. Well, no, well, we had it going on. I just didn't talk about this end of it that much. You know, oh, wow. I, uh, I kind of have stayed on the on the, the face end of it, you know, and, and oh, yeah. you know, here's what you want to do. and But I hadn't really talked. Tonight you're asking me the different questions, and yeah. I can give you the information like that. And I, but we had, we've had this going a long time, and i got to tell you, I've had nothing to do with this. You know, you would not recognize this program from the program that I started 35 years ago. The program I started 35 yeah. years ago was like a knock-knock joke compared to this. It just grew and changed and, and you know, and, and as I said, the new regulations and yeah. federal guidelines and, uh, you know, the checking IDs and cross-checking families and yada, 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 and all of these things were never needed when I yeah. started. So, in a way, Dave, that kind of makes you feel good that if you decided to move out of the area, the, the program could run without the founder. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. This thing, this thing has its own. You know, I get, I get credit only because I'm in this area because I'm the face of it. You know, I mean, everybody knows me and my connection to it. But I could get hit by a truck tomorrow, and that that program will flourish without a problem. They won't even know I'm gone because they have just done everything right. I am. I mean, I'm on the board, and I my contribution, and I tell them what I think they ought to do, and, and they, they, they do graciously run everything by me 
only because I'm the I'm the the only original founding member of this left of this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they do all the work, not me. They do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just give them visibility. Get back and go, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. Good. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, so so I don't want it to sound like I'm doing it because I'm not. No, but it's just got to make you feel but, good uh, that a, a whole organization have grown up all, that that's volunteers that made it work. So it's pretty. Well, that's the thing, and they know right, and that that's what is the heartwarming part of this. You know, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, somebody was telling me how wonderful it was that I did this and I did that. I said, I got news for you. Here's, the, here's the, the exciting part of this to me. If I had said, okay, come on, everybody, we're all going to walk up the street and I'm going to kill the mayor. Come with me, right? right? I'd be walking up the street by myself. Yeah. But when I said, listen, I don't think so. the chance to change a life for a child and ah. I promise you, you won't get ripped off. And everybody came running and said, yeah, we can do that. And that's the thrill of this to me, yeah. is the goodness that exists. It's amazing to me that people that you never knew mm-hmm. show up. This is funny. This is Well, this is interesting to me. When I started this, I called in five, well, and my secretary at the time called five social service agencies in the Attleboro area and asked representatives to come into a meeting with me. And after I got off the air, I went into the room and I explained the concept of Christmases for kids that I wanted to do. And they were all thrilled. And one guy, whose name was Lenny, he was with the Department of Children and Families, they got on the elevator when they left, and they, he said, this guy's out of his freaking mind. <laughs> there is no way this is going to, nobody, there is no way that somebody who doesn't know any of my kids is going to put out five bucks, never mind anything else, to buy a, a gift for a child they don't even know. It's not going to happen. Oh. Well, that was 35 years ago. And every <laughs> single year that I would see Lenny, I'd say to him, you know, Lenny, this isn't going to work. <laughs> This is not, and he'd say to me, you know, I keep telling you to stop this. It's never going to happen. You are never going to do this. Well, about about five years ago, Lenny passed away uh-huh. from cancer. And ever since then, his daughters come. And last Sunday, I met at the, uh, the Backlot tour. His other daughter came and brought her two children. And we told them the story of <laughs> and father. And and she said, and I'm. She said, my mother told me to tell you something. I said, what's that? She said, my mother told me to tell you this is never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. Isn't that great? You know what I find disturbing about that story is that the person was with the Department of Children and Family Services, and talked his clientele down you know the people he served he thought you know people wouldn't think that they were worthy enough for gifts or care enough well he no no he did he didn't believe that other people would think so and this was the thing this was an unusual concept that we would that we would ask people to do this 
nobody had ever done that before in this sense, you know. Yeah. And he, because he, he was very dedicated, and boy, he was great at his job. But he was tainted because he saw how these kids, I mean, he was he was taking kids out of bad homes, you know, I mean, he, yeah. it was terrible. And he just felt despondent in the fact that he didn't think anybody who didn't have to deal with the life they, these kids had to deal with would care. And I tried to show mm-hmm. him they will care if you just tell them, if you show them. And if they know they're not yeah. going to get ripped yeah. off, that's the key. If they know that they're not mm-hmm. going to get ripped off and that the item is actually going to that child, it'll be fine. And yes, it was. But he, he was a great guy, and he was very dedicated. But, he, you know, when you work with this stuff as long as he has, you begin to feel that nobody yeah. cares, you know. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So when I came into the room, he thought I was some kind of Pollyanna, you know. That, <laughs> you know, oh please, get me, get, you know, get him out of here. He's he's, he's delusionary. <laughs> he did. I was delusional. He 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 he, he, he was very, and he told me to my face too the first yeah. time after. <clears throat> Okay, so 35 years, that first year, that first Christmas, how many families do you think you helped that first year? Oh, the year? first year we did, uh, we asked people, just to have an idea, I asked people how much they spent. And I think, I think they spent something like five, 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 $3,000, $5,000, something like that. And we did like 50 families, 40 families, mm-hmm. 40 kids, rather, 40 kids. Yeah. And the next year it was a hundred and fifty a hundred and fifty families. Wow. And then, then it built and then it built and then it built. And now we're up to an average about an average of a thousand kids. Um and some of them there's two or three kids in a family, so it's not a thousand families, but it's about a thousand children. So that first year, did all the toys just come uh-huh. to the radio station, Dave? Is that how you? Yeah. Oh man, it was unbelievable. You know, I would play one of these. I would. We had music. We played uh, Kenny Rogers' "Christmases for Kids." Uh-huh. Have you ever heard it? Yep. Beautiful. Yep. And so that would be a, that was our theme, and we played a song, start to play the song, and then over the song, we would say, you know, Walden wants a chemistry set. He's seven. The mom's alone. Da da da. We would read it. And the phones in the in the radio station, which was also a cable company, by the way, mm-hmm. on on the uh, on the employee the loudspeaker, you'd hear Bonnie line one, Bonnie line two, <laughs> Bonnie line three, and that was my secretary who was taking the calls to get these gifts. Yeah. And then we would have the people drop the the gift off at the cable company, which is a couple of off a, a couple of buildings down. And Bonnie would go there, uh, and she would go to the cable with, with a wagon and put the items in the wagon and then walk across the street to the Council for Children office <laughs> and bring the items over there in her high heels, as we were saying the other oh, day. <laughs> yeah. And that was, and that was, you know, that was the beginning. I mean, Bonnie just, they just brought the stuff to the cable office and you know, it just showed up, and we had no—we didn't have any real code numbers then or anything. In those days, it was just you know your first name and what the item was, and it, you know, and it, 
It was so helter-skelter. It was unbelievable that it happened. Uh, I'll tell you one quick one about, about this. We used to do bikes. We had to stop doing bikes because it was just a nightmare. But one year, we had bikes, <clears throat> and I was short 50 bikes. Uh-oh. I was short 50 bikes. This was the the next to the last day of the program. So I just went on the air and I said, listen, I know you've already done what you can do. I know that you've been very supportive and very generous. But maybe you know somebody who's going to give you a present. You could call them and say, don't give me a present. Buy a bike. You know, and I said, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a number of, I don't know, a hundred dollars on every bike because some of them are big wheels. Some of them are 10 speed, right. you know, so I just average it out, say a hundred bucks. If I can get 50 bikes today, I'll, uh, I mean, if I got to get, I got to get 50 bikes. I went on at 9 a.m. and I said, and at one point I said, listen, you and I used to talk to a lot of people who listen to me on headphones in factories. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, they were our, they were piecework workers and hourly workers. Right. So I said, listen, you know you got to chip in for that supervisor. You don't even like him. <laughs> you don't even like him. And they're going to hit you up for five bucks. Tell you what, get everybody together, throw in the money. I'll give you a card from Christmas is for kids. You give that to him and say that's what he got for Christmas and send it to us. So somebody called, Dave, I'm going to take a bike. Okay, you've got a bike? Okay, you're going to have a bike. Okay, In three hours, I did 52 bikes. Wow. Wow. Isn't that cool? And then, Yeah, but this was at the end of the program. I mean, they had already yeah. donated. They had already done their thing. They had already, you know, and I just ran into this brick wall, and I said to the, the people that were working with me, I said, I'm just going to tell them where I'm at. If I tell them, they'll come through. And that's, the, po- and that's the power of radio, isn't it? It's, it's such a human relationship with the host and the audience. You can really tell, you know. Absolutely, and they know when you're sincere. They know when you're you know, trying to sell them a bike. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're trying to sell them a bike, but they know when you need a bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they know that you, you really, I mean, they knew how invested we were in this, all of us at the station, all of the hosts, they were all invested in it, really. And so they knew it, and they, we all shared it. We all shared it. So it was great. It was just terrific. Yeah, what a story. That was, but that was, good. That was a good story. We, yeah, <laughs> we're thrilled. So, so listen, I'm going to let you guys go, because I know you, I, I didn't call and tie up all this airtime. I wanted just to tell you that I, I love you both. I'm glad you, you're Dave. feeling well. And if there's anything I can do for you guys, let me know. Sounds a winner. Thank you, Dave. All right. God bless you. Same here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a special person. And we have a special family. Yeah. Yeah, we do. That was our friend Dave Kane, who is up in Rhode Island and has a Saturday morning talk show. And he invites Walden and Larry and John and me at different times periodically. And it's just so much fun to have him 
with us on a Saturday night. That was a spontaneous call, and we had a great conversation. Hi, Walden. Hello, Patricia. 714-545-2071. We are live. We are live. We were recording last Saturday night, but we're live tonight. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Walden. This is so much fun. We've got Saturday, and Thanksgiving is coming this week, and I'm not ready. I haven't finished the 4th of July yet. Well, now, now, uh, have you? How are you gonna go here? I mean, you love turkey. Uh huh. You gonna? Are you gonna? You know what? Yeah. Yeah. One, one, one of the other residents and yeah. I, she and I were in Walmart today. She uh-huh. is just delightful. I love her to pieces. Yeah. We're going to have our own Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to have pizza. Oh, right. Find a pizza place, and, and we're going to order a pizza. I don't care what the rest of them. <laughs> we'll get a dinner. You know, they'll put a dinner in front of us, but we're going to get a pizza. Isn't that cool? So is it, is it going to be a turkey pizza or a regular anchovy pizza? Or what I, don't, I, don't, I don't live in California. We don't put <laughs> stuff like turkey and pineapple. <laughs> I bet there are people out there who are going to build turkey pizzas. But we're not is. among them, and we're just going to have stuff. So that's going to be our Thanksgiving, and I'm so looking forward to And, oh, yes. my brother called last night, you know, uh, the one in Colorado. Yes. I have a brother in Colorado. Yes. And he called from Colorado, of course, and he said, would you like to go out to lunch on Friday? And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't drink, but I thought maybe he made an exception. <laughs> but, uh, they're going to be in here for Thanksgiving and for the day after Thanksgiving we will go out to one of the islands and have lunch out there. Wonderful. And I'm just, I am so excited about seeing them. He is such a wonderful person and his wife is a wonderful person and we just have such a good time together so I'm really looking forward to this. Terrific. So yeah. if, if Barbara going to come back into town in the next month or two or is it still? No. 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 Okay. Probably not until summer if at all. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm about two-thirds of the way finished with my apartment. Okay. And the person, the person who, who spoke for the heavy furniture yes. hasn't been there. And t- today I, th- I said, you know, we've we got to do this because we're coming up to, well, I'll let you know. I said, no, Uh-oh. no, 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 no. Give me a day. I said, what about next Sunday? Said, okay, Sunday, I'm, not, I'm off. I said, okay, so we'll see. Okay. You know, a week from tomorrow. But, um, wow. Wow. Got to do it. Got to do it. Oh. So, so, anyway, my poor little car is still sitting there, and she has to get all dressed up and pretty because she's been through two hurricanes and a whole bunch of other stuff, and she looks like she's been abandoned in a field. <laughs> and two young people, one of them who lives in a corner unit in the next building, so we always said hi to each other. He was out there working on his car, and he said, um... I'd be happy to wash the car for you. And I thought, can I mean, I live right or something. It's just so wonderful that people do this for me. And I said, well, that's great. I would be happy to pay you. And, of course, I was going to pay somebody to do it. And he said, oh, no, no, I'll do it. Just call me, and here's my number, and let me know. And I thought, the world is so right out there. (laughs) There are so many good people, and he's one of them. So that was really a nice surprise for me. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. 714-545-2071. We'll be, we're here through the holiday season. And the next big guest that Patricia has lined up 
is Ted from Toy for Tots. He'll be with us December the 9th. So put that on your docket and we'll celebrate Christmas with Toys for Tots. Yeah. And stuff like that there. If we get uh-huh. if we get into December or second holiday season with Patricia, she wait when she can come out and play. You know, we'll figure this out. Yeah, out. we'll gotta figure that out. And this year I can come out and play a lot. I know, I know. So we get isn't that wonderful? Oh, wonderful! So we just gotta figure out when you want to do it. So, well, but we'll get through Thanksgiving because you gotta eat your pizza first. But once you get eat your pizza, we'll. <laughs> We'll figure out your schedule. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm really looking forward to that. Mm. Well, <laughs> she and I were in Walmart together today. Uh. We, we created. <laughs> and the person who drives the van is just such a delightful person. He said, okay, okay now you guys wait for, wait for me here while I go park the van. And he came in and he pushed the cart for us. Oh, wow. I think that is just so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. And he even kept things separate. And he said, Doris, you want to remind you? And she, oh, yes, I have to go. <laughs> he is just so sweet. <laughs> so anyway, for three hours, we were loose in Walmart today. Yay, 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 yay. And Patricia got her root beer, and she got her... I did. Your Pepsi? Pepsi. Okay. And ginger ale. Ah. I got ginger ale too. Yeah. Ah. Uh-huh. So that's I'm good. all fat and happy now. <laughs> and cheese. Cheese. <sighs> My cheese, yes. You what kind of, what kind of cheese you like? What is it the cheddar? Is it a Swiss? What kind of cheese are you? Are you familiar sure you are. The the cheese that comes they look like little sticks. Yes. And yeah, okay. Yes. I love those. So I got a package of them and they, they are did you hear that? Yeah. One of the machines is ill. <laughs> when, it, when it refrigerates, it sounds like it's hysterical. But anyway, um, for anyone who wonders what, what I mean by machine, I'm sitting next to two vending machines here on a phone that is at least private, but it's off in the corner of the third floor, and that's where the vending machines are. But anyway, um, the cheese, I got her name, Colby. Mm-hmm. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was talking to myself here. So it's Colby with little pieces, teeny, teeny pieces. You know how, how fussy I am about hot stuff. Yes. So I'm very proud of myself that I like that one. Mm-hmm. So isn't that interesting? Ah. I have... Okay, I want before we get to the turkey stuff, can I make my little announcement? Oh my goodness, yes. Okay. Patricia and I have a podcast. And you if you you know, you, you if you miss Patricia on the other let's see, five days of the week, you can hear her now, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And it's called the Golden Days of Radio Podcast. And it's on Sketcher iTunes, TuneIn, Google Music, and you can go to SoundCloud.com, search for Walden 
Hughes, and Patricia from Florida. And we have over 100 Saturday night shows up there. And constantly things are being updated almost like every day. And I I have a hunch once we're done lo- uploading the files, we'll be over 500 files or so. And these will include Patricia's interviews, the, cool. the Saturday night shows, um, different formats, and it's all there for you to enjoy. And we're averaging about 400 uh, downloads a week. And we've gotten almost almost 2,000. And so we'd love to see the numbers increase. Okay, so you know, I want to I wanna make sure we can... Hit, hit the big numbers, and that way they can s- sign and get a little advertising in there. And I can say, all right, Patricia, I want a newsletter. Here's the money. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we can do a newsletter. You know, a little a little email newsletter. You know, all the little tidbits Patricia knows. Like, <laughs> like, what, <clears throat> like, like, where's the best place? Like how fast can a turkey run? Yes. Like where's the best place to what? Yes, like where the best where, where are the best bargains in Walmart? You know it, all the stuff that Patricia knows. It will be in the newsletter. It'll be oh, terrific. Uh, <laughs> okay, we can do that. Why not? Why not? We talked about doing that several years ago, and what? it just didn't come about. But this will be fun if it's just the two of us, and mm-hmm. you know we're not. That kind of stuff. That's right. Know. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it'll be good. Sure. That sounds like fun. That's right. Well, it's just, it's just an idea. I mean, especially if we can get the thing to roll, we can start, mm-hmm. bu- we can start building this little thing, you know. Well, so, you're doing all the work. Well, all I do is talk and you record it. Well, well but that, take, yeah. that, takes, well. that takes work. Talk. <laughs> to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> the mouth of the South does all of this very well. That's true. That's true. Yes. All right, seven one four five four five two zero seven one. All right, turkey talk. You, what kind of turkeys you want to talk about? Oh, I've got I've got turkey stuff, like little facts about turkeys. Okay, tell me, yeah. tell me, tell okay. me. I'm ready. Oh, uh, did you know? Um, this is, I hate it when they phrase this kind of stuff. It says turkeys were one of the first birds to be domesticated in America. Well, how many other birds are domesticated? Now or total in the history or back then or no? I'm no. It's kind like a like a a duck or a crow or you know some kind of a bird. One of the first. What is why it, it's only a value to me if it were the first, mm. but it wasn't according to this. You know that kind of stuff. Got it. I would say just one other. Yeah. What the chicken. And are they domesticated? I don't. Yeah, I guess they are. I would think so, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. But you know, domesticated is such an unusual word. Let me see if I can find. <laughs> domesticated. I will look it up. But domesticated My... to me is like the reindeer. Mm-hmm. They they do work and they stay with people and that kind of stuff. I I don't envision a turkey like that. My my step grandfather, my dad, my dad's step grandfather, raised fifty thousand turkeys back in the forties, uh-huh. and he would not have a chicken 
a live chicken on the on the property. You know, he just didn't mm-hmm. want to match. You know, any just in case they had the chicken had any disease, to spread it to mm-hmm. the turkeys. But that that was a. But uh, dad said, "Too bad." The three boys never took over the business because you know. Yeah. That that's a pretty yeah. that's a pretty good deal. You know. Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult work to keep them safe and healthy, and even though it's only part of the year that they're doing it, it's still a lot of work, and it smells bad. It doesn't smell nearly as bad as chickens. <laughs> I think chickens are about the worst. <laughs> okay, domesticated says an animal that's tame and kept as a pet or on a farm. Are the turkeys tame? Uh-huh. They are? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Well, then we're talking about tame turkeys here. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. I didn't get any any um, current statistics, like how many turkeys are going to be purchased. Okay. But what year was the official proclamation from Congress passed that declared Thanksgiving will be observed as a legal holiday mm. on the fourth Thursday of November? I would say 1866, the year after the Civil War. Um, the it, a legal holiday on the fourth Thursday in November. Uh, 1900. No, it was 1941. President Roosevelt wow. signed that in. Remember, they were celebrating Thanksgiving right. on the second, the third week, I guess. And the retailers, the store owners, said, no, we've got to have it on the 4th. And for the first year in 1941, they had two Thanksgivings because people were celebrating their traditional Thanksgiving earlier than the fourth week in November. And then Roosevelt and his followers had Thanksgiving on the fourth week in November of 1941. So that was the one year they celebrated two Thanksgivings. Do you remember that? I remember as you discussed in that, and I didn't. It's amazing to think it was that late. You know, you would think it would almost be a. Mm-hmm. I I guess it was just tradition, right? I guess people just gave it off uh-huh. rather than it being a mandatory deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I screwed up. It was uh, Abraham Lincoln who said decide the the retailers enough time to do their selling and then franklin roosevelt changed it to the fourth thursday in november which left a little bit of cushion at the end of of the month and that's how we got here wow it's uh Hello? It's, it's, hard to, <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to imagine how that's not really old history. You think about that. You think some of that stuff would have been Mm-mm, done no. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that uh, people celebrated with turkeys at different times mm-hmm. and called it, we're going to thank Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving dinner. There's a, a place in, oh gosh, in Virginia, and I can't remember the name of it, Oh, I don't think it's Richmond. It may be Richmond that claims they celebrated the first Thanksgiving there after um, some immigrants, you know, people came over from the old countries and celebrated Thanksgiving because they landed safely. And it was supposed to have been before the pilgrims landed. Mm. So, but 
that was the beginning of Thanksgiving, they claim anyway, in that, in that particular area. They have a historic marker. This is, this is where people landed their little boat and started Thanksgiving. Ooh, so, anyway. well, now I have a weird question. You think, you think other, in other words, turkey, turkey became a holiday meal, I think partly because when we came to America, we had so many turkeys, so it became a national tradition. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I read, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I wonder if that's that the same case like saying Europe or, or, or Asia at some point did, where turkey so, so became a stable of other culture. I don't know. From what I have read, and I read an additional article every year something else comes out about Thanksgiving, turkey was not on the original menu for the the, the turkey the Thanksgiving celebration that was done in the colonies. I was I guess in Boston? It must have been Massachusetts mm-hmm. that started. The, um, the Thanksgiving tradition, and they had things like venison and corn and no pumpkins. <laughs> we didn't have pumpkin pie, and turkey was not big on the list. How about that? So I've, I'm guessing, maybe somebody can call in and correct me on this if mm-hmm. I'm not in the right territory, but I think Thanksgiving turkey is an American-born tradition. I don't know what they do in other parts of the world, though. You think pumpkin pie is sort of an American thing? I, I, I mean, if you think about it, you think of pumpkin pie during the holidays, you don't really think of pumpkin pie during the rest of the season. I do. Ah. I think about pies all <laughs> over the place. <gasps> I like pumpkin pie. You do? And, yeah, I like shoe fly pie. Um... And stuff like that there. And Apple Fan Doughty. I remember we looked that up one night years I, ago. Apple, do, do you remember what it is? No, I don't. It was in, <laughs> okay. the, it was in the song that Dinosaur uh-huh. sang, you know, shoe fly Correct. pie. And, and Apple Fan Doughty. Right. Which, and I know it's a real thing. Let's see. So if, if Patricia's going to have pizza on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I imagine we're going to have, we're going to do our Thanksgiving at Costco. Um, my my dad's sister and uh, husband are in the Middle East. They've been there like for six weeks. And wow. and so they're coming in, they're coming home the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. So we'll have them over. Mm-hmm. My mom is working for the event company. So it's going to be a Costco Thanksgiving. She but no, she's gonna make her still her own. She likes her own cranberry salad and her own stuffing. So we'll have those homemade. Everything else will be brought in this year hmm. from Costco. So wow, yeah, we are really moving away from tradition. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think how many families even consider cooking the full bird anymore. I know. You know. I know. And they're, you're right because I didn't see. I saw a lot of Thanksgiving things in the, in the supermarket section of Walmart today. But for the size of that store and the number of people who come through, I didn't see that many turkeys. They had completely done turkeys that you just had to thaw and heat up. Yep. 
they had, yeah, turkey breasts, a yep. lot of turkey breasts, yep. and some capons and stuff like that there. But the right, the big freezer compartments of turkeys were not that big. I've seen more in Publix. I thought that was really That's interesting. That's interesting. You remember in the old days, and I don't know why how this tradition started. Remember, a frozen turkey always came with this little net thing around it. It's like, mm-hmm. and I wonder yeah, butterballs started that. Yeah. I wonder why why did they do that? Was that an easy way for the the ship things, or why did they throw with that little, you know? I think it was. I this is. I think I don't know. I think it is a a movement convenience like if they were moving them uh-huh. into packing containers and people picking up turkeys don't have to use two hands and you know look them over and hope they don't drop them on the way they've got a handle to hold on to but i don't know if that's the origin of it but i've always been grateful that they had stuff like that because i could carry the turkey then and not risk letting it slip out of my hands you think, you think most people don't like have a favorite side dish rather than the mm-hmm. actual for example, my brother, he would be happy with mapped potatoes and gravy. My dad would be happy my dad would be happy with the pumpkin pie. I uh-huh. would I would be happy with the stuffing. And I I I'm wondering, you know, uh and, and I mean actually we're not all alone. We all probably have our favorite part mm-hmm. of the meal. Yeah. You know. And You know what my favorite part is? The turkey. Eating. Uh, I like everything. I don't think there's anything on a Thanksgiving table that I don't like. I don't, I've never tried it, but I'm not warm to the idea of oysters in the stuffing. Yeah. Do I remember that your dad likes that? My, correct. My dad loves it. My mom can't stand it. So he makes two separate dressings, one for dad for her. and one for the rest of the family. You know. I'll be right out. <laughs> you better. I'll be right out. So I found apple pandowdy. Okay. It combines apples, lemon juice, brown sugar, cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, mace, cloves, and apple cider. And then you bake that. All the, You just mix it up. It's not like a pie. Mm-hmm. It's just in a big baking pan, and you put it in the oven. Huh. How about that? I wonder if Martha Stewart has some history on it. So I want, I, it's Somebody's going to tell us what they eat for Thanksgiving. Right? So I want if it's in a crust. I, I don't know what it would... No, huh. no crust. It's just in a pan. Huh. Hello there. You're on with Patricia. It's all your fault, Walden and Patricia. I ate popcorn. You made me so darn hungry. <laughs> oh, good for you. Oh, Shanti. Yes. Popcorn. Popcorn. We're talking about... It's turkey. that time of year again. Turkey lurkey day. <laughs> and pizza... And okay. Oh yeah. That there. Okay. Okay. Now, what pizza, please. <laughs> now, what kind? Of, what kind of popcorn, Shanti? What kind of Shanti? It was uh, butter flavor, microwave mm. popcorn. Oh. With salt. Oh, so delicious. We, oh, of course, gotta have the salt. Does anybody make? Oh, yes. Does anybody make popcorn anymore from oil? I or, do. You I, do. I bought some, but but I'm I can't resist. The stuff you throw in the microwave and you got oh, it's little perfect. Egg. It's perfect. But you know, it does taste good. Yeah, I'm gonna make a a bunch of it and pour it in a big bowl. I gotta find a big bowl somewhere to pour it all in, and you're gonna dive into it. My my dad my dad for years when in the '70s when it was a rainy day, I could always count on 
popcorn in her home, and he would take mom roaster roaster pan, mm. and, and and cook you know pop the popcorn in the oil, and then have the big old roasting pan, and it would be it would be all inside of the big roaster. That's how I remember oh, how how we fantastic. did it. So when we were growing up, do you remember those wax paper bags? Those were so cool. I do. What do we have in those things? It was, um... Put sandwiches. We put popcorn. Mm. That's what we used mm. for our individual popcorn. Mm. <clears throat> but that's what we used instead of baggies. We had wax paper bags for a long time, and then plastic got popular, and they phased them out. Patricia, how did you how do you hold your popcorn? In a big bowl, and I eat with both hands as fast as I can. No, I really don't. <laughs> no, just in a big bowl. Oh, I eat the whole thing. I had a great big popcorn tin, but the kids put toys in it, so I have to get another one. <laughs> oh gee. Oh gee. I mean, get one with popcorn. They're just as as expensive as the ones that are empty. <laughs> yes. I, I think I'll go to Walmart and get me one, and I'll just have, we'll just have to eat it. <laughs> I, I know. There was a company, remember, in the early 80s, it was called Co-Pop. I don't even know if they're still in the system. That's where the big boom of flavor popcorn became such a big thing. So you could have root beer popcorn and caramel popcorn, and sometimes there's so many small baggies, and then they had the tin can. Now I think... Mm-hmm. Everybody pretty much got it available in the store. You can just buy a tin can, and it's got the <laughs> yes, store dividers. Yes, popular. Yeah. One of the popular companies is called the Popcorn Factory, and they're a little pricey. Mm-hmm. So if you can find them at Walmart, go for it. Yeah, find everything at Walmart. I think. <laughs> you can yeah. you can paint your house, buy a television, and a roast beef, all in the same store. And then, mm-hmm. and then after, after the oil base, then became Air Pop, and Air Pop never had the same flavor to me as no. the, the oil base. Tastes like styrofoam. Yeah, but now the microwave popcorn is so good. Uh, it's it's amazing how they really have stepped up step up their game over the years with the it's, microwave. It's delicious, but I still think the oil pop stuff is the best mm. still. And you can always throw can a little bit of butter in it. Oil pop? Can you salt the oil popped stuff yeah. while it's popping? Uh, Good. Uh, not okay, while it's okay, popping. I wait till after it's done. Uh-huh. And then you can add as little mm-hmm. as, or as much. And it's so delicious. <clears throat> we used to do that on Saturday nights when we were watching monster movies and my dad had popped mm-hmm. popcorn. <laughs> and Aww. we it away. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it's sort of like we were talking about this. Uh, we're talking with this with, with a neighborhood friend. The, the the only downside not really cooking Thanksgiving dinner anymore is the aroma, and that's the one of the great f- smells of of the holiday is the popcorn smell in a in a house. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. We're cooking. What kind of flavoring can po- can popcorn take? You've got flavored salts. You got cheese. Mm-hmm. Do they make garlic popcorn? Anything like that? I've never heard of it. You may, you might have a new idea. How about they've, they've how got about chili cinnamon? popcorn? They've got, <clears throat> of course, the caramel corn with various uh, little uh-huh. variations on that. Mm-hmm. You know what? Chocolate my, popcorn. You know when my mom put cinnamon on, it's 
My mom has started yes. to um, my mom started to take an apple, cut up an apple, put it in the microwave, mm-hmm. then sprinkle a little cinnamon after afterwards, and it tastes so uh-huh. tastes so good that way. A microwave yummy, apple, yummy. A dash of sugar. Mm-hmm. No. Well, sometimes what she has is cinnamon sugar mixed together, and, and it's already pre in a little container. Mm-hmm. That's how when we have cinnamon toast, it's all ready to go that way. That's, oh yeah. You know, um. This is food talk. We, we, we talk about food in Shanti. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, ha- I had my popcorn fix. And uh, going back to the domesticated birds, mm-hmm. you did mention geese, correct? No, I haven't. A goose. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't mention a goose. I, I was just surprised that they put turkey on a domesticated list. Oh, yeah. Turkeys, Turkeys are domesticated. Turkeys they live on a farm. Yeah. I guess anything that grows on a farm is considered domesticated, huh? Turkey farm, chicken yeah, farm, chicken farms, goose farm. Raccoon farms, <laughs> rabbit <laughs> farms. <laughs> now, here's a California question, Walden. All right. Who, have you been hearing flocks of geese coming down the coast? I have not. Have you? Okay. Have you? Have, yes. Are they up there with you? Yes, I was shocked. Are, they usually don't fly the this Canadian geese? the coast. Hmm? Are these the Canadian geese? I don't know. I, I I just know that they're geese. They're flying down from up north, but they usually fly inland. I I've never yeah. heard them before. And that's probably the Canadian geese if they're coming down from up north. The Canadians mm-hmm. will be very happy to give them to you. They're overrun <laughs> with Canadian geese. Well, maybe maybe because right now it's supposed to be like a bad storm in the Midwest right now. So maybe all the geese are veering to go around the storms and they're coming down yeah. the west coast. I don't know. Could be. You know, That's I mean. really strange. Mm-hmm. Golfers would love, if you took all of the Canadian geese out of the golf courses, the golfers would love you. <laughs> sometimes sometimes the geese chase them. Mm-hmm. They run oh, after yeah. the golf balls. They mess up the greens. <laughs> they're not They're not golf course friendly. <laughs> Oh yeah, they're they're they used to use them for watch animals. Uh huh. Here, yeah. So that they're a big know. problem out in Florida, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, everywhere, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I've seen notes from all over the country about Canadian geese, and when the Canadians recently were looking for a national bird, mm-hmm. they said the the one bird they would not consider was the goose. <laughs> the Canadian <laughs> geese. They they didn't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They they nominated some of uh, I I can't recall which bird wound up being the national bird, but it wasn't the Canadian geese. It was not a goose. <laughs> <laughs> well, now the Canadian geese has that. I'm assuming they all have different squawks, right? I mean, different different what? Different cries. Cries. Oh oh oh. That'd be my guess. Well, they definitely don't sound like seagulls, and they don't sound like uh, no. They honk. Crows. It's almost a honk. Yeah, it's like honk. There was a pond full of white geese, not oh maybe twenty-five miles from my home when I when I was in college. And every once in a while, I would give myself a break and drive to the lake, and it was in a very quiet area, and they honked. It, it, it was really a honk, 
and there was mm-hmm. one poor goose. I don't know if it was a male or a female, but it couldn't honk. It couldn't make a noise, and we just opened its mouth and go. But it was had laryngitis. Yes, yes, a goose with laryngitis. Can you imagine? And so they honked. I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah, they, they these guys are honking. They're just dry, driving. They're Gosh. flying down. Or honk, 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 honk. I'm like, what? That's it. That's it. Yes. Yes. So, How did you guys you get here? Send, you, you may not send them to golf courses. You may not send them back to Canada if you want to make Canadians happy. They would be happy if you took some of their geese. They may be flying down to Mexico, I don't know, or San Diego. That's interesting. That's uh, there's a funny joke um, about Canada, and I have to stick it in there. Um, Jack Kent Cook, who was the owner at one time of the LA Lakers and the LA Kings, he was from Canada. He wound up mm-hmm. owning the football team in Washington, and he bought the LA King hockey team, and they thought it would do very well because all the Canadians were a little bit a bunch of Canadians living in the LA area. Uh-huh. And about a year later, Jack Kent Cook said, I think we all forgot, the Canadians that don't like hockey all moved to L.A. That's why our attendance are not very good. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's why they're Canadian in L.A., because there's no like hockey rink. Oops, surprise. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. So, oh Shanti, gosh. How, how how you doing everything? Have you settled in pretty much to your... To your bearings and everything? Is everything? Uh, pretty much. Okay. Uh, we've got, um, it's just hard to believe it's going to be Thanksgiving next week. I'm just going, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I know, Hold Patricia. On. We agreed with you. Yeah. We just had Halloween. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. <laughs> so, hi. How, still on the 4th of July. Yeah. So, is your sister going to throw Thanksgiving? Have you guys, how are you guys going to work it this year? Oh, yeah. We're going to cook the turkey and have, uh, have the her kids over with her grandchildren, and mm-hmm. so it's going to be a house full. Wow, sounds like it. How many grandchildren? Uh, let's see. She's got let's see three, and I think she's got six or seven, and one on the way. Wow! <laughs> oh my goodness, you're going to have and, a full. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be. In, you're going to eat in shifts again. Yes, <laughs> we're gonna eat and shit, and it's gonna go. be hot. So we're—I bought some ice cream because it's gonna be eighty some eighty degrees. Holy cow! Thanksgiving. That's perfect. And they think it's gonna be about almost ninety on Wednesday. And I'm going, wow. eh. So what flavor of ice cream did you decide to uh, offer as a Thanksgiving feast? Strawberry. Oh. Strawberry. I thought about getting ice cream sandwiches for uh-huh. kids. Because, you know, they can grab a sandwich and yeah. take off. That's <laughs> but it's been though. a while since I've had a little dish of strawberry ice cream. Strawberry. Hmm. I try not to tempt uh, my sister because she's such a good, she's so good with her diet. And I, I, I've been sabotaging her with <laughs> goodies. Uh. <laughs> I'm trying not to do that. And we, we actually, we went on a fast and we lasted four days. I was so thrilled with myself. <laughs> so, so how did you feel after the fourth day? Were you ready to break it? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was oinking away. <laughs> I was a little piggy again. <laughs> okay, what's going to be on your Thanksgiving table? Let's see. Of course, we're having the turkey, mm-hmm. stuffing, mashed potatoes, uh, a veggie tray. Um, I like think with celery and stuff have... like that? Celery and radishes and stuff like that? Uh, we like baby carrots, celery, uh, broccoli, and snap peas. Oh, and yum. We like to dip. Um, like a cream sauce possibly, or a dip or anything? A possible pie. I don't think people can hear me too well tonight, Walden. Oh, I'm sorry, Patricia. What were you asking? I was stomping all over no, you. No, 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 no. It, it sounds, um, because Dave, I would ask Dave a question and I wouldn't be finished with my question and he'd start on another paragraph of different information. And I thought, <laughs> gee, maybe people aren't hearing me. So anyway, um, I wanted to know if the vegetables come with uh, some kind of a dip or... When you, when you say a vegetable tray, yes, are, are they eating nude vegetables? I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> Veggies and dip. Oh, We're, we and usually dip. Okay. dip the yes. tray that's got okay. the ranch so, dressing in the middle there. Okay. What about cooked vegetables? Ah, uh, let's see. What cooked veggies? I'm sure somebody's going to bring green beans and uh, some other dish. Mm-hmm. Um, what about sweet potatoes? Yes, we've got sweet potatoes. Oh, yum! <laughs> All right, Shanti, what, 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 what thing on the Thanksgiving table you could live without? What Good thing question. can I live without? Uh huh. Yeah. Which? Oh, which will you buy they, best? You can have yeah. my cranberry sauce. All you guys. Oh. Have my cranberry really? sauce because I don't like it. Never have. Wow. And you can okay, have my I'll yams have or sweet potatoes. You can have those. Just not into the sweet stuff. Not even the pie. You can have my pie. Oh my. <laughs> okay. What kind See of that? pie? Give me your stuff. <laughs> what kind of pie are you what gonna kind? have? What? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, if somebody brings one, it will probably be a pumpkin pie or something like. <laughs> okay, I could have that. I'll have that. Yeah. Are you both ready for a pumpkin pie story? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Our cousins had, I think she she got up, to, before she passed away, she got up to 20 grandkids. So it's a pretty big size gathering mm-hmm. for uh, Thanksgiving Day. So like what Chanti went through and her, her growing up, everybody eating sections. But anyway, Cynthia used to bake everything from scratch, you know, fresh noodles, fresh pumpkin pies. And they had a boxer. And. A boxer dog? Yeah, a boxer dog. Okay. And so, anyway, they had the five kids over, the 20 grandkids over, quote to that. And she baked two pumpkin pies. And she had them on the counter. And when they all turned around, the pumpkin pies were all gone. So they started to accuse. One of the one of the spouses were eating the pumpkin pie until they looked down and realized the dog was licking their face and they realized <laughs> the boxer got up there and ate both pumpkin pie. Oh, that little piggy! Wow, wow! I'll bet he was a sick puppy the next day. <laughs> but you know, same day. 
you know, but Shanti, wow. Shanti doesn't like pie. That's all you need. <laughs> if you if your dog to eat eat them, Shanti, you'd be fine. My yellow lab was that. Oh, she was terrible. Oh my goodness, I don't know. She was not very well trained in that respect. But we were out working, no problem. But off leash, you couldn't leave pastry, pie. You couldn't leave any food. She would help herself. So would she get it? Would she get it off the table? How how would she yes. get to him? She would she'd get into the trash, or she'd get. I I had baked goods that I fixed for Christmas, mm-hmm. and she helped herself to a half a loaf of, of banana bread. <laughs> wow! And I thought, oh my gosh, she's going to be sick. She did not get sick. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I thought, shame on you! You're a professional. If I ate half a loaf of banana, if I ate half a loaf of banana bread, I'd be sick. I but would the too. Wasn't she? And I love applesauce cake, but I can't eat that much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, Jackie, I am so happy to be able to have talked with you. This is so cool that you called in. Well, I'm happy to talk to you before Turkey Day, and I'm I'm glad you're doing okay, and I hope your your move. Have you found a place yet? Um, no, I'm I'm still in the rehab facility, and I'm going to be oh. here for quite a while. So, oh, okay. um, my, yeah, my apartment lease runs out this month at the end of this month. So I've been working at different times, clearing things out and packing oh. up books and stuff like mm-hmm. that. There. Have you have a so. date yet for your back surgery, Patricia? Have that? Is that still up, up? No. Okay. No, I have to get past. I have to get through my cardiologist first, and I don't have an appointment with him until the 13th of December. Okay. So sometime after that. Okay. Well, that'd be good. Could that alleviate some of that issues that you've been facing? Face? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be well, good. you are definitely in my prayers, and I'm always thinking about you, even though, even if I don't email you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so nice, Shanti. Thank you. <laughs> Now, I went on Dave Kane's no. website, but I did not see Christmas for Kids. I did I misunderstand? No, I think I think he has a separate website for Christmas for Kids. Oh, and, but I, I but yeah, if people want to contact Dave directly, uh, I bet he could email you exactly the uh, the website. I think he got one. I think it's ChristmasForKids.com. Oh. So that you might want to take a shot. I will do that. Uh, yeah, he, Sean. I like to. I looked at his fundraisers. Those, those are pretty cool. Yeah, he's a he's a talented, gifted, think thinking out of the box kind of person. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Very creative. Yeah. <coughs> Very creative. Well, you two have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too, Shanti. Do something nice for you, Patricia, while you're there, or. She's gonna have pizza. That's what. That's she's all. Two of two of us are sneaking a pizza in for Thanksgiving oh, dinner. Oh, good stuff! I love was, it. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, you are in my thoughts and prayers, and so happy to talk to you. Thank you. All right, Shanti. Have a wonderful time with your family. It sounds like it's going to be a hoot. We'll expect a report back. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank, Thank you, Shanti. Take care, Shanti. You too. Bye-bye. 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 Well, my dear, it's almost midnight. What's your plan? Um, my plan is that maybe, you know, maybe another 15 minutes okay. or so. Okay, okay. I'm kind of hurting tonight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, well, you, well, you got 15 minutes to talk to me, people. Okay, and let me give you the idea what's going to happen. We're going to be mm-hmm. celebrating uh, Jim Jordan's birthday. He would have been 121 this week. So what I pulled out 
to celebrate for McGee Molly. It's a three hour special that uh, Jim sat down with Schwartzman and talked about the history of the show. And this is really oh, good. Wonderful. This is really good. Let's talk a lot about how he met Marion and how they grew up in uh-huh. Peoria, Illinois. It's a wonderful documentary. And, and a lot of it's small what small town America was like at the turn of the last yeah. century. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful oh, it's a wonderful a history. Yeah. Hello there, you're on okay. with Patricia. Hello, how are you guys doing? It's Ralph. Hi Ralph. <gasps> Ralph, how are you? Thank you for your note. Oh, I was glad I could get in touch with you. Happy to hear you're doing well. I'm doing much better. Thank you. And how are you feeling, Ralph? Everything okay with you? Yeah, they got me in, uh, well, you know, after that car wreck we had, uh, I I got into physical therapy, and they've helped me a lot. What car wreck? I missed uh-oh. I think, we, oh, I, I, think, I think we didn't tell Patricia what happened to you. Okay, go ahead. I think the, the, the 2nd of May, we were going down a local highway here. Uh, and a guy came, you know, doing 55 miles an hour. And a guy came through a stop sign, pulled right out of the traffic, and I T-boned him. Oh, boy. And, oh, boy. And Tony was with you, so you, you both you got yeah. banged up. Yeah, I got my I got a, a what they call a compression fracture in my back. Yeah, yeah. And she got her the back of her head cracked open. She had to have uh, some clips they put in. Mm-hmm. But we all walked away from it, you know. Thank God for that. What about the other guy? Did he did he get banged up too? Well, you know, he was driving a pickup as well as I was driving a pickup. And- oh. I, I hit him right behind the uh, the, the cab. I hit uh-huh. the bed of his truck. Mm-hmm. If I had hit the uh, cab, I think he would have died. Wow. wow. I was, you know, there's no way he should have come out in front of me. You know, and he even admitted it. He said, I just didn't see you. Yeah. It's, but it is so those, It's one of those things that happens, you know. No getting around it. It's it's so scary, you know, when somebody come out of your blind side and they before you know oh, they're, yeah. they're there. You you know, not much you can do. No, there's not you know, there's nothing you can do. Uh, I uh I saw the guy and I I hit my brake and I think I said a bad word. <laughs> I hit him. <laughs> And then said another bad word. No, I, I, I was, I, I, you know, I was amazed at how calm. I stayed very calm, and he, he was very calm. You know, we, we didn't have any kind of a spat. Yeah. But uh, eh, I lost my good old truck that I loved. Aww. So did he? What have, are you? Are you going to buy a replacement eventually, Ralph, or uh, have? What what's the game? Yeah, plan? probably probably in December I'll I'll be I'll be buying a truck. That's good because I think actually some of the best shopping season for a car is the end of the year because that's generally like mm-hmm. they're trying to clear them out. So you'll probably get the best deal, Ralph, at that time, probably. Yeah, well, my my, my truck was an older truck. It was a, a ninety five, mm-hmm. 
but it only had 97,000 miles on it. Wow. What kind? You know, what brand? It, it's a, it was a Toyota T100. Yeah. V6, four-wheel drive, you know, good for the country out here where we have snow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, we didn't use the truck except to tow our boat and occasionally, you know, tow a trailer to the dump or something. So it didn't have a lot of miles on it. It was still a, yeah. a good, serviceable truck. And now she's gone. She's gone. <laughs> she got a boo-boo and she went away. This is a stupid question. Did you name the truck? Did she have a name? Uh, no, I have named I have named vehicles in the past. What are some of the What's some of the names that you used to use? Let me see. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking it over. Yeah. One of my favorite names is Brunhilde. Ah. Uh. <laughs> That's a terrible name. Was it a bad car? No, but, you know, it just came out Brunhilde. Okay. And what else? Uh, well, it was a, a lot of people used to use it years ago. Estabula. <laughs> I never heard of that. Yeah, a lot of people used to call their cars Estabula huh. years ago. I never heard that. Huh. I lived a different life. Did you ever name? Never a, heard it. Did you ever name a car, Patricia? Yeah, um, the car that I killed. Yeah. I used to call her. I used to call her Toyota Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very creative. My cat was named Kitty Cat, but you know, it worked. Ah, oh, Toyota Baby. Why? Why would you name a Subaru Toyota Baby? It was a Toyota. <laughs> So bad. Uh, so, so uh, what about your so family? I, what about your family, Ralph? Everything okay with your with your daughter and everybody? Is everybody? Oh yeah, she's over in Hawaii. She's she loves it over there. Good. My God, I, she, I told her I think she she wants to have her DNA checked to find out <laughs> if she's got Hawaiian. If she's got any Hawaiian in her, that's funny. <laughs> and she's uh. She's studying uh, to go into real estate at this point. Mm, wow. And, I, and over where she is, well, I'll tell you, you know, it's a big business. Well, and also, let's face it, land in Hawaii, they don't make it too often, so it's, it can get pretty expensive. Yeah. Well, who was it, who was it said? Was it Benjamin Franklin said, buy real estate, they're not making any more? That's probably true. I think that was him. Well, nothing like ocean property, and there's plenty of ocean around out there, so it's probably a pretty good oh. deal. Oh, my God. It, you know, I, I was there I was there 30 years ago, and then going back now, it, it just, it's just too overcrowded now. <laughs> they built stuff on top of stuff. And it doesn't take very long to drive around the island. I remember some of us, when we were still in the mid-80s, it would be a half day. That's all it was, to drive around the whole, you know, one of the big islands. It wasn't that big of a yeah. trip. Yeah. You know. Well, she moved, uh, she moved to Kauai now. 
Oh, that's my mom and dad's favorite island. It's just it's so it's quiet. Smaller island. She really likes it. Yeah. Very nice. So, are you getting anything for Tony for Christmas? Well, she got me. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I expected that one. I always, <laughs> I always give her something. <laughs> I haven't got any big plans as of the moment. Okay. Yeah. So, how about Thanksgiving Day? Are you are you two just gonna go out for breakfast? What 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 the uh, what's the plan for Thanksgiving Day? Well, my daughter's son uh, from he, he lives down in the Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. He's coming up for Thanksgiving. He comes up every year, just about. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have a nice dinner at home. So, Tony, gonna fix it, or, or how how you guys? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you don't you don't the, like turkey. I remember the that. Greatest stuffing. Ah. It's, it's a, an Italian stuffing. Ah. And it's very, very good. What's in it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd have to ask her. I really... It's just good. Oh, now, Patricia... It's good. You just know it's good. Okay. Now, Patricia, remember that you don't like turkey, so you have something else on the, on the table? Yeah, generally... Um, my preference is to have a ham. Ah. I knew that. I, I remembered that. You're so good, Patricia. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I, I eat turkey, but I'm not really crazy about it. So do you both, would you have both ham and turkey or just ham on the table? We'll probably just have ham. Okay, I'll come to your house. <laughs> okay, you like ham? Oh, yeah. Well, we'll deliver like it down there. I like eat. food. You can't come there aren't out an awful lot of things I don't like. <laughs> well, you know. I don't like Brussels sprouts. How about broccoli? I like broccoli. You like broccoli. I like. You know broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Well, you and George Bush, right? George Sr., he, he doesn't yeah, he like broccoli. He had that right, I'll say that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh. I'm president. I don't have to eat broccoli anymore. But you know, I'm not going to eat broccoli. I, you know, though, when you put broccoli in the microwave, it smells. <laughs> it just has a terrible odor. So I, I'm not. I don't. Thank you. That that's my complaint about it. Tony loves broccoli, <laughs> and I tell her it smells and it tastes like fish to me. <laughs> oh, gee. Oh my goodness. But she she can eat plenty of it. <laughs> But it's finally, you know, I I can eat like I don't mind turnips and Brussels sprouts and mm -hmm. Ooh, I like turnips. All sorts of vegetables but I just get turned off by broccoli. Cauliflower has a similar um a similar flair. It's in the I guess in the same Yeah, way. but like it, it's just to me it it, it it doesn't have that that smell. <laughs> okay, okay. So are there something that Tony doesn't like? Uh, there's something that she makes for you that she doesn't care for, that she knows that you love, but she'll per she'll she'll fish because she loves you so much. But she wouldn't eat it. She wouldn't eat it. <laughs> <So. clears throat> well, the one thing that I love that she doesn't care for is 
Limburger cheese. Oh. Oh, my goodness. I love Limburger cheese. Oh. Do you eat it outside, I hope? <laughs> no. No. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but my father used to buy Limburger cheese. And he'd put it out on the porch light in front of the house. Yeah. The sun would hit it all day and the light would be on all night. And when wow. I opened it up and it just ran out like goo, then Ooh. it was ready <laughs> ready to eat. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And we used to get that real black pumpernickel bread, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good on that. Jeez. It doesn't smell good. Okay. It tastes good. <laughs> okay. I'll believe you. I'll take your word for it. When we come to visit, don't make me eat it, okay? No, no. So what no, the... Uh, Besides beside pumpernickel bread, what's the number of cheese good on? Uh, you eat it with crackers? I mean, what the... Uh, yeah, yeah, crackers, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's good with onions. What the best crackers, everybody? Zesta. I've never heard of it. Okay. They are saltines, and they're really good. What kind? Saltine. Zesta. Oh, saltines, Zesta. yeah, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ralph? We, we, we used to eat it on Ritz crackers, too. I love Ritz crackers. They're really good. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. We also I also like wheat fans. Those are good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Limburger cheese is not easy to find anymore. Well. Everybody smartened up. <laughs> and when you do find it, it's it's quite expensive. But when I bring it home, when I do find it, she keeps it in a peanut butter jar so it won't foul up the whole Oh, what a smart lady. That's a smart lady. <laughs> do they ever sell? Do they even sell peanut butter jars in glass anymore? Or is everything in plastic? Oh, they still have glass ones. We buy a peanut butter that's not homogenized, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So when you first get it, you have to mix it up real good and then keep it cold. Otherwise, yeah. the oil will come floating to the top. Right. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's really good. So what's the best peanut butter, smooth or chunky? I, I have no preference. Oh. I like it. As long as it's peanut butter, I like it. Well, Patricia used to be all smooth, but I think once in a while she's gotten into the nuts territory. Uh. <laughs> yes, she is nuts. <laughs> yes. When when I was shopping and it was two for the price of one, uh-huh. they only had one creamy, so I had to get a, a crunchy. Yeah. And I really like the crunchy, and I, now I have to give up. I don't like lumps in my food because that was really good. Well, maybe you can just make an exception to your rule, right? Yeah. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I still don't like lumps in my food. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't find it. I haven't seen it over here where we are now. But when we lived in San Jose, there was a place where you would go and buy the peanuts and run it through the machine to make the peanut butter. Oh, wow. How did they clean out a machine like that? I don't know. 
<laughs> because you, wouldn't, wouldn't there be a lot of oil things afterwards? I mean, that would oh, be... Oh, yeah, I imagine so. I, I, I don't know how they maintained it, but we, we used it quite often. I made great, great peanut butter. Do they grow peanut... You know, you, we always think of Georgia, you know, as being the peanut capital yeah. of, of America. Yes. Do we yes. are there other 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 states that grow peanuts? I'm assuming they they do, but Yep. We looked that up one night and peanut growing oh no, maybe it was cotton. I looked at cotton. Yeah, cotton. Peanuts. Never mind. Well, said, Never pe- mind. Peanuts is a future project. Yes. Okay. It was cotton. We don't eat cotton. I had a friend from Oklahoma. He said they used to grow them there. Huh. I would think I would think you need water, and I don't know. I didn't think of really too much water plants growing in Oklahoma. So that's interesting. Well, he he lived uh, he lived near uh, Lake Texahoma. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know if they if they got their water from there. It might be. I've never been to Oklahoma. Are there any other parts of the country you never been to? Uh. I, 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 you know, I drove across the country from New York to California, right, and New York to Florida. But I, and then uh, I've been up in the uh, Seattle area. I, you know, I haven't been everywhere, but uh, I've hit a lot of states. So maybe the biggest pack might be the South. Have you really done the southern part? You know, for the Florida. Have you seen much of the South? Uh, no, just just what we hit on the way down, like uh-huh. uh, Virginia and the Carolinas and Georgia and Florida. Uh, never got into the uh, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana inner part. Yeah, the yeah. Mississippi area. No, I've been to Texas. That's a pretty big state. Yeah. Oh my God. I was in the Navy, and we took an aircraft carrier up the Houston Shipping Canal. Mm-hmm. And when we got to the Houston Turning Basin, it was just about big enough for us to turn around. But we were there for Armed Forces Day in 1953, and I never experienced such a hot place in my life. <laughs> I was walking down the street, I had the navy shoes on with the leather sole. Mm-hmm. Oh, my boy. feet were burning through the shoes. Ugh. Had to go and get up in the grass somewhere and take my shoes off. Okay. That was murder. Wow. I didn't. I I did not like it down there. Wow. But we were well, only I there for the a week. Where peanuts grow? <laughs> okay. What you got? What? All right. Georgia. Georgia grows forty-two percent. Of all the United States peanuts. Okay. So that's the big area. Okay. And then in order, Texas, Alabama, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi, Virginia, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. Huh. huh. A lot. you got that computer. You look it up. It's amazing yeah. what she does. Yeah. Well, Ralph, I am so glad we got a chance to talk to you, and thank you again for your notes. I really appreciate it. Oh, oh I'm so glad I could get through to you. I had called Walden uh, before I wrote to, actually wrote to you, 
Uh, uh-huh. I call Walden every once in a while. Yep, checking on, checking up on right. Patricia. Brightens up his life. That's, so nice. That's right. He's always, always glad to hear from you, Ralph. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad I, I got a hold of you so quickly tonight. First time I tried, I got through. Yeah, it's been a somewhat hey. of a quiet evening. But, hey, I'm glad you and Shanti and Dave all got in tonight. Yeah. So everything everything's gonna so so uh you guys have a very nice Thanksgiving you and too. uh happy holidays too, all really. around. We'll talk to you we'll during talk to you we'll we'll, we'll t- talk to you before Christmas. I hope we do, yes. You bet. I'll tell you okay. some more Christmas stories. We'll take it. We love Christmas okay. stories. All right. I'll say good night, thank you. Good night, Ralph. Bye bye. Good night, Ralph. Night. All right, we're gonna let Patricia oh, get Ralph from California. Ah. We're going to let Patricia go, go downstairs and get ready for the evening. You know, even yes. though she had all the rest she possibly could use. But, oh, yes. You know. and, I, and I had all of this exercise today wheeling around Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I will never say a bad word about Walmart ever again. Uh, they had my cheese. Uh, I'm glad. Yes. All right, my dear. Have a happy Thanksgiving on a pizza day. And, Thank you. And your brother on Friday, and we'll be with you. Oh, that's going to be so nice. With you Saturday yeah. night, and I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm, I will be here. I'm glad you're feeling well. So. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you for being out there. Good night, Walden. Good night. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Good night, Patricia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. There is Patricia from Florida. And it's 18. After nine, what's well, up, dear Lord? Thank you for the opportunity of being here. What this wonderful country we live in. What the opportunity of sharing the holidays with Patricia. Thank you for all our callers, Ralph, Dave, and Shanti. Bless them all. Help those who are in need, Lord. Help those who are in financial difficulties, emotional difficulties, spiritual difficulties this time. Help those who don't have loved ones nearby during the holidays. Thank you for our men and women in the armed forces. Bless them. Bless their families for making the sacrifice. Help our leaders make the right decisions at this time and in the future, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. As I mentioned earlier, uh, November 16th, 1896, Jim Jordan was born in Peoria, Illinois. And he sat down with Russ Tremaine and did a wonderful history of him and Marion's early life in pure Illinois. So we're going to start playing this special with Les Tremaine interviewing Jim Jordan of Fibber McGee. Jaws Professional Saturday 1-1-2 one, one, same one same time same station 7 for unloading jaw cat okay enter sat
just settle back and reminisce a bit. What do you say, huh? With a nostalgic nod toward the Atwater Kent, we now present Same Time, Same Station, a chronicle of broadcasting's first half century. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Tonight, Chapter One in the story of The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coats present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. This is the story of a man and his wife from the Middle West and their careers in the concert hall, on the vaudeville stage, and before the microphone. The story will be told by Jim Jordan, as interviewed by Les Tremaine. Where were you born? I was born on a farm five miles west of Peoria, Illinois. You will also hear contributions by the late Don Quinn. I came from the ranks of uh, commercial cartooning. Indeed. Which in 1929 and 30... By Hal Perry, better known as the Great Gildersleeve, and currently the official spokesman for Gibraltar Savings. When they first started their show in Chicago, uh, Jim used to kind of dress the part, because he was, he was younger. And by Gail Gordon, associated with Wistful Vista for many years, and now a regular on the Lucille Ball television series. And so uh, it was Don's idea to create the mayor of Wistful Vista, mayor of La Trivia. Our story begins where the Jordans began, in a sleepy town southwest of Chicago. today is a longtime friend of some 35 years, Jim Jordan, head man of one of the most illustrious teams in show business, whose name was and is a household word. This man was the owner and stuffer of the most famous closet in radio. Remember Fibber McGee and Molly? Well, here's Fibber. I think that the formative years of anybody in this business, or any business, when you were unknown, are the, are the more important years, and those are the years I'd like to dwell on a little Wonderful, bit. Jim. Because Wonderful. those are the things, the things that happened then are the things that brought us to where we are now. True. Mm -hmm. And they're so important. Where were you born? I was born on a farm five miles west of Peoria, Illinois. And uh, I always used to say that I was born at 7 o'clock on the evening of uh, November the 16th, 1896, on the top of Kickapoo Hill, of poor but dishonest parents. <laughs> I love the name Kickapoo. The That's Indian. true. Indian. That's right. That's the home of the Kickapoos. Poor but dishonest parents. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Kickapoo Creek was a famous creek that leads into the Illinois River, where I played a lot when I was a kid. It was, it was a couple miles from our farm. Beautiful country. It is beautiful. And... Uh, 
on our farm, we had artifacts. There was a ridge, a particular ridge on the farm that had been evidently an Indian encampment. Mm -hmm. And every time the field was plowed, the kids ran along behind the horses in the single uh, plow and pick up the arrowheads. And the... Uh, they were that thick. Oh, well, you'd find them mm -hmm. every, every time you do it. Mm -hmm. And we found a couple of tomahawk heads and things like that. I went to a country school till the seventh grade. I went to Norwood School, district number 65. Until the seventh grade, and from the seventh grade, we moved to the city of Peoria. Mm -hmm. and we moved right practically on the Bradley campus. Mm -hmm. And I went to St. Mark's Parochial School, mm -hmm. and then I went to Spalding <coughs> Institute, no, I'm not a high school you. for boys. Oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to walk to school every morning with a kid named Spike Sheen. Bishop Sheen? Right. No kidding. And you you floored me there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and we played basketball together, and we've been friends ever since. Oh, he's quite a man. He oh, certainly goodness. is. I'll never... A beautiful man. Be able an to educator. Say what he's done for me. Marion was born and raised about three miles from our farm. Did you know her as a boy? Well, I knew her older brother went with my older sister. My gosh, so the families were knew each other. Yes. And the, and the Driscolls. Her, her maiden name was Driscoll, and they were we were farmers, and they were miners, mm -hmm. coal miners. And in either. the schools, in all this time, mm -hmm. there was always the big deal between the miners and the farmers. And oh. they, they were always fighting uh -huh. the kids. The rivalry. Uh, oh yeah. For the ball team no, and all that sure. stuff. That's yeah. right. I just want to uh, interject a, a little thing here, Jim, uh, for the people who are going to research this years and years from now. Marion, whom you mentioned a moment ago, was Molly in Fibberman. Yes, Molly. Right. Yeah. And uh, the families knew each other. In fact, uh, I remember going a couple of times to her school on a, on a hay rack mm -hmm. in the evening with a whole yeah. crowd of people to, to a school entertainment. And I saw her perform. She sang and danced. Oh, did she? And I can remember that. Huh. Now, we were about probably 12 or yeah. 14 at that time. Mm -hmm. Gee, your life, your early life, was real Americana, the thing that is almost gone now, if not yes. gone. The hay rides and the creek and all that. Across the street from this Catholic boys' school that I went to was Catholic girls' school. Mm -hmm. And she was then going there, and I saw her a couple times then. Mm -hmm. And later we met at choir practice, and we had, I had a trio fellows that sang, and we were all interested in voice, and we were all studying voice. This was after we were out of school. And uh, we met at choir practice and were ultimately married. Prior to the time we were married, I went in vaudeville and she taught piano. We were married on August 13th, 1918, because I had three brothers in the service. And I'd come in off the road in April and got a job carrying mail. And the man on the draft board, who lived right on the corner, very fine elderly gentleman, assured me that I would not be called. Because that war is about over, it's September 1918. Right. So we were married on August the 31st, 1918. Went to St. Louis to my sister on our honeymoon. We were there about three days when I got the summons from Uncle Sam. Oh boy. Yeah. Greetings, huh? So we got back, and five days after we were married, I was on my way to camp, Camp Forest, Georgia, Oval Forest. 
Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, oh, right Chattanooga, Tennessee. We were there six weeks and uh, or less, and I was on my way to France. And I got dysentery in Camp 3 there. I went every morning on sick call. I didn't want to go to the hospital. I wanted to get something to stop this terrible dysentery. And they gave me a shot of booze and castor oil. Oh, boy. I was finally discharged from the hospital. I've lost my outfit now. And in this camp hospital, they started organizing a show afterwards. Mm -hmm. And another man and I, Dan Gallagher, um, worked on the show. And all of a sudden, I'm discharged from the hospital. Well, I said, what am I going to do now? And there was a master hospital sergeant. I said, if you uh, get me dysentery again. <laughs> so I went back in the hospital, and uh, by golly, somebody broke out with, uh, I don't know, typhoid or contagious disease. We got quarantined. And I was... Some war you had. Yeah, I was in that hospital in, in, at Christmas time. So I finally had to leave the hospital, and by this time we'd been working a long time on the show. Was this after the armistice? You were still oh, in the Oh, sure. Hospital? Oh, this was Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That's a hell of a war. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they said, well, the only thing we can do is put you back in the hospital as a patient again. So I went in the third time. That time I had sore throat. It's a running gag. <laughs> sore throat. <laughs> Full of mud. Yeah. <laughs> so we finally got the show on the road. And it was quite successful. We had 35 men in the show, and we really had a hell of a show, mm. believe me. Did you write the music and all this? Oh, we gathered it here and there, and we went to Nantes to get costumes. And we had a man named Joe Daly, who was liaison between show business and the Army. He was an old Army man. He was a master hospital sergeant. Mm. And so he knew where we could steal the band instruments and all this <laughs> And that was really the beginning of what later became a special service. back in show business right away. I tried to do a lot of other things. And it was a couple of years before we got back into the business. Mm -hmm. And we had a little concert company, Mary and I, and we did very well at that a couple of years. We'd be out about 39, 40 weeks. Boy. And we worked every day. And we made good money. We made $25,000 with that thing. And I was 24 years old now. Yeah. Yeah. We're on meeting the committees with a chew of tobacco in one corner of my <laughs> You're running your own business and everything. Sure. Making your own bookings and all the rest well, of it. Well, we had our own advance man. Catherine was a child, but it was, a, was born in 1920. Mm -hmm. And we, we had her on the road with us, too. We had a musician with us whose wife took care of her while we were at the theater. We played high schools. And well, now you this, had a... This was a, a great experience, this... This running this concert company, we moved every day, almost every day, and we moved never over 
on never over 50, 60 miles. Well, thank goodness. Yeah. Did you have a lot of props and... Nothing except instruments. We had all musical instruments. It was a concert company. With and all you did music. it by automobile, I suppose? No. Trains? By train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the time... There's still a lot of mud on the roads then. That's right. Sure. You know, we didn't have the roads. Mm -hmm. The automobile was coming into use for this kind of business just gradually at mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about it, but we... But there were you trains do all over the place, just oh, the way the airlines are now. That's right. You take could, a train anywhere. We played a matinee and a night concert every day, and we could do any length of time from 20 minutes in a picture theater to two hours in an evening concert. We had four people. It was really something. And uh, we didn't play the big cities, but we, we played... Some of them. Well, so much the better, I think, in a way. Well, we, we, we just played every day. We paid a dollar and a half a day for a room for two of us. And Catherine was along, too. Sometimes we'd go to two bucks. But we'd look around before we'd spend it. We just had a rule. That's it. A dollar and a half for a room. Mm -hmm. And we'd do an afternoon appearance in high school. This is where we really... Made our our way. Let's well, paid the way. We mm -hmm. didn't draw well at the concerts too well mm -hmm. often, but the the afternoon thing or the noon thing that we did in high schools and almost a high school every day, high school or grade school, and the kids would just come and we by the eat it up. Oh boy, would they? Yeah. And the school was tickled because you know they it was something that they wanted for the kids. A and way they, to bring culture to them. Well, that's right. And tiny we, small town. That's right. And I uh, did a lecture about these about the instruments we used mm -hmm. and so on, which I knew nothing about them, but I was four lessons ahead of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was a great experience, but we, when we knew we were going to have a baby at the end of 1923, we thought we shouldn't. Well, we couldn't go because man couldn't, you know, it was just sure. too much. So we went to Chicago, and I worked in the picture houses then for a year. Olio acts. Well, uh, I worked in the music presentations. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And uh, they used as to a have. Singer. They used to have uh, dramatic or or um, theatrical presentations before yeah. or after the picture. Yeah, we always did bits from Time. all the big musicals and all. This yes, stuff. I remember them well. That's what yeah. I want to see. I did that for a couple of years. Starved to death. Didn't mm -hmm. make any money. This was late twenties now. This is getting to be not the late twenties. This would be twenty four, twenty five. Mm -hmm. And long about 1925, uh, the baby now is a couple years old, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So we started doing club dates, gradually getting back into it as she could, you know, raising now, the baby. May I ask club dates? Women's clubs or Kiwanis, Rotary? Well, just that sort casuals of as they know them today. We call them club dates. Did oh. you have uh, uh, fancy sayings along, patter along with your no. songs? No, no, not a bit of it. Strictly a legitimate musical act. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then we went back into Vaudeville, and the, the children were down in Peoria. We did that about a year. And in the meantime, we had gone down to the radio station, a little station called WIVO. Oh, in on Chicago. the north side of Chicago. Yes, I remember it well. The yeah. second station I ever worked at. Well, it's the first one I ever worked at. And uh, we seemed to, we, we liked it, and we seemed to do very well in the radio. Was that when it was out on North Clark Street? North Broadway. North Broadway, yes, yeah. way out north. Nelson Bond and Mortgage Company. So WIBO. Yeah. And what did you do there? 
same thing, same, mm-hmm. just same. Never talked. Uh, we, we did that. We fooled around there about a year, and we were really in bad financial straits at the end of that time because we didn't make any money. Yeah. Nobody made any money, no, really, in radio. we didn't or have or any money then. Yeah. By then, our money was gone. Boy. What we had saved and everything. Yeah. And uh, we, we got the Corel time, in, uh, which was a small time, about, about eight weeks or something that summer. What I'm speaking about now would be the summer of 1927. We met a team in Danville, Illinois, where we were doing the Bottle Act. This was in at Halloween time. These people were Tim and Irene. Oh, for goodness sake. And they had a big act, an office act. We were playing the theater together, and that's the first time we met them. And we became friendly and good friends. And Tim said, if you'll come to New York, I'll get you the low time, which I'm sure he would have done. So we made a date to meet him in New York at such a time, and we had a couple other dates to do up in northern Illinois, and we went back into Chicago, getting ready to go to New York, and we went to a restaurant called Brentano's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the McClurg building, way away from the theatrical district, yeah. way on the south edge of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we ran into a piano player from Peoria who was in radio named Howard Newmiller. Oh, for goodness sake. And all Howard, these names. <laughs> and Howard said, I'm working over here at WENR. I believe if you'd go over there, you get a job. Was it the Blue then? The Blue Network? WNR was just an independent station. An independent station. Right. And uh, so we went over and we got the job and we got three days a week there. And we went back to Western Vaudeville and talked to the agent and how they'd book us, what could we could they keep us going around in that area on the other four days? Yeah, yeah. So one day would be enough, you know. Sure. So that's what we did. We got the job, and WANR paid us 60 bucks a week. A lot of money in those days. Yeah. We were worth about $40 a day in the Waterville Theater. So we made our living. And uh, we weren't there very long doing that till things changed quite dramatically, and we were making seven, eight hundred dollars a week. Oh boy! <laughs> and, uh, People must remember that the value of money between then and oh, 1973 yeah. has changed right. a great deal. That was quite a bit of money in those days. So we, WNR was sold to the network, sold to NBC mm-hmm. in 1930 or 31, 1930, I believe. Well, we didn't want to go to the network because we had talked to the network, and they said, yeah, they'd take us over there, we could go, but they wouldn't allow us to announce a theater that we were going to play that night like WNR did, that's yeah. because that's how we made our money. Sure. So we didn't go. We went over to WMAQ. That was an independent station. Chicago Daily News station. A CBS affiliate. CBS? CBS. They were on CBS. Oh, be darned. And these two fellows were over there. That we they, we seemed to run into these two guys everywhere we went. so before this, it won't be longer ago than that, it'll be about 1926, I guess. Um, they, they were going to hire a team at WGN, 
This is when we were knocking around Chicago before we went back in Baltimore. This happened. Mm -hmm. And so we went over and tried out for the job. And these two fellows tried out, Krell and Gosson. And Charlie Krell's from Peoria, too. Oh, he died. <laughs> but he was a lot, he was older than me. We later became very good friends. Mm -hmm. But his, I was a friend then of his younger brother. Brian Red Correll, because he did magic and he was around with the amateur shows and was around all these things. Fantastic how Peoria really gets into the act. Yeah. So they eventually didn't hire us, they hired them. The men that I remember the most was Quinn Ryan mm -hmm. and and Bill Hay. Yeah. And Bill Hay was he was kind of leaning toward us a little bit on this job. He was the only one, I guess. Was he in production there? Well, he was the announcer, and uh, he was... But everybody did everything. Well, sure. Yeah. So he had a say in who they hired. Sure. This is the first time they're going to hire anybody and pay any money. But we didn't get the job. Crown and Gosling got it. Sam and Henry. Well, they, they weren't Sam and Henry. They weren't they, even that then? No. They were there about a month, and all of a sudden they got into this Sam and Henry. Shirts are wet and Why not fly? Moon on high. because we didn't want to lose our income that we were making from announcing the dates over at NBC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we went to WMAQ. Over on the river. Over on the river. And we went on about uh, 6 o'clock at night, I think it was, every night. And who, who followed us? Amos and Amos. Amos and Amos. <laughs> Boy, that was a real prime they, time duo. They were on the CBS radio station. I don't know whether they went out over CBS in Chicago or not, but they went out all over the country over NBC. Over from a, NBC? From a CBS station. Right. Gee, it was all mixed up. And we were on the CBS yeah. network. Then. I remember this sort of thing going on. And we were... But our... our uh, we didn't do as well going to the theaters then as we did. We did all right for a while. Mm. We had to build it up again over yeah. the way we had it from WANR. Well, anyway, we were there six months... <clears throat> When, during that time, the man who owned the station died. His name was Strong, I believe. NBC bought that. It was 32 and sometime before we moved over to NBC. They, they paid us uh, $200 a week. And the reason they did that, because Marion was a union piano player, you see. So they had to pay her $140 a week because she played the piano on all, all the time. And she got 140 and I got the 60. <laughs> Those doggone musicians. And we... <laughs> and that was long before we went there, when we went to WMAQ, Amos and Andy had started a precedent that they wrote their own material. So at WMAQ, they had the feeling that if we didn't write our own material, we weren't... It, we were no good. You, oh, you, yeah. you, one, yeah. Nothing to perform at all. You had to yeah. do was prepare. I know. Everybody feels that way about performers. Yeah, that's right. Ain't nothing to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We had met a fellow at W, while we were at WENR. He was a cartoonist. 
He hadn't written anything, I don't believe much at that time. Don Quinn, anyway, that's who he was. Mm. And uh, so we said when we went over to MAQ, we'd, we'd hire him, and, and we said, we'll have to keep it quiet. We'll mm. have, you'll have to go strike. Yeah. And that was all right with him. He didn't care. He wanted the experience. Sure. So he wrote for us at WMAQ, and then when we went over to NBC, did the same thing. Yeah. And uh, we sat there for four years on that $200 a week deal, and we couldn't make another dime any other way. Right. You mean they restricted you contractually well, sure. so that well, you couldn't do the yeah, outside? Right. Not realizing that we were building something on the network yeah. because that didn't come back to us too well. They, they didn't pay much attention to us. Mm -hmm. We were just something that they bought this station and we went along with it, you know, that, that's what it was. What did you call your act then? Well, Marion and Jim Jordan, and uh, the, the act of, we started, the Don started to write when we went to the MAQ, it was called Smack Out. Mm -hmm, that I remember. And then they put that on the NBC network, Smack Out. Mm -hmm. And we did it, that's where we did it for four years. It's a cute show. And Don in the Smack Out of Everything. Yeah, that's right, that's <laughs> right. And Don made his living working for Olsen and Johnson. He wrote material for Olsen and Johnson, but he kept on with us all this time. And finally, we told NBC. We were auditioning all the time. Everybody was auditioning, but nobody was selling anything. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. Don McNeil and yeah. Vic and Sade. And Vic and Sade and Marion and Jim Jordan, always, we always did the same aud auditions for everybody. We were doing them every week for somebody. The Johnson Company, we found out later that Henrietta Johnson, who became Henrietta Lewis, was married to Jack Jack Lewis, and he formed the agency, Needham Lewis and Brorby, who represented the Johnson Company. And she started listening to Smack Out. <clears throat> and she got taken in by this thing. Oh, beautiful. And, uh, and in the meantime, Sid Strokes was manager of the station that we were working on, and he got interested in it. And he told us later that he used to stop the car, stop his car on the way to work. Wonderful. And he just had to pull up and stop and listen to it, clap his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this Henrietta did the same thing, so she told Jack, and he, Jack Lewis, decided that uh, he would like to try to get us. And he didn't want to tell NBC that he wanted us, because they'd, uh, he could do it better if they didn't know it. You yeah. Know? yeah, sure. So they started phoning NBC wanting to hear shows, they were looking for a new show. Mm -hmm. And they thought that somewhere along the line, they'd, NBC would present us, mm -hmm. you see, and then they would get us. Yeah. They'd pick us up that way rather than going out and asking for us, which, sure. which was smart. Yeah, it's good. It's the right way to do it. They heard 20 shows, never, they never presented us. Because this was a half hour show, a nighttime show, and we couldn't do a half hour nighttime show because we were doing a daytime show. But NBC didn't, NBC didn't realize that we were doing half-hour nighttime shows, a half a dozen of them a week, all this time, all yeah. over the NBC network, too. We worked on uh, the Saturday Night Jamboree uh -huh. and Calton Myers Kindergarten. Uh -huh. but, <laughs> oh, that's right. So yeah. we were doing these things, but they didn't, they didn't put that together somehow, so they never presented us. So we got the show together and went over to the McClurg building, where Grantano's restaurant was, right over back by WNR, and we did the audition, and they made a deal with us. Then we went back and told NBC. This was the beginning of Trevor McGee and Mom. 
Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Water Repellent Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Elsie Allman, Cliff Arquette, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. and Molly join us in a moment. Whenever women ask our advice on the best care for fine wood floors, we always give the same answer. The best protection we know of for fine wood floors is regular waxing with Johnson's Paste Wax. Yes, Johnson's Paste Wax is the toughest, longest-lasting floor wax we know about. And it takes and holds a polish that really brightens and glorifies any room. Floors protected by this tough, gleaming shield of shining wax don't lose their original beauty even in homes where children's scuffling feet subject floors to constant wear. On the contrary, as time goes by, with regular wax care, the wood takes on a deeper, richer luster and becomes more beautiful with the years. Any woman who wants to give her wood floors the very best in floor care will wax them regularly with Johnson's Paste Wax. No other wax gives the same lustrous beauty in quite the same way. Whistle Vista's Mayor Latrivia is going to give a party at the country club tonight. And right now, he's busy in his office checking last-minute details with his secretary. You're sure everyone on the list got an invitation, all right, Miss Gimlet? Did you check it carefully? Oh, yes, I mailed them all out last week, Mr. Mayor. All except, well, there's one name here that I'm sure must be a mistake. A mistake? Who's that? I don't even like to mention the name, Mr. Mayor. The man always upsets you so. If you invite a blabbermouth like him, he'll... Uh, look, well... look, look, Miss Gimlet, I know the man you mean. And when you call him a blabbermouth, you're just being kind. <laughs> Thank you. But his wife is a charming woman, and we'll have to send him an invitation. Uh, maybe he can't make it. <laughs> you should be so lucky. And the invitation come by special messenger, Molly. Good old La Trivia. Probably figured a party wouldn't be a party without me. Just couldn't wait to invite me. My, I'm so lucky to know you, dearie. I get invited to more things just on your account. <laughs> well, I happen to be the entertaining type guy that when somebody throws a dull party where they have to invite a lot of jerks, he naturally thinks of me first. <laughs> Very modestly put, dearie. When is the party? Tonight, at the country club. Let me see. It starts at 8 o'clock, and we... Uh-oh. What is it? Oh, my gosh. If that ain't the... Well, the deal's off, kiddo. Forget it. We can't go. What? Why not? Oh. Don't tell me the mayor thought better of it and canceled the invitation on the back of it. <laughs> well, he, he might as well have it. The dad-dreaded thing is formal, and that lets me out. You know how I feel about that stuff. Oh, I think that's wonderful, McGee. Huh? Look, I'll wear that new dress from Christmas. Oh. You know the one Dr. Gambler says I'll catch my death of cold in? <laughs> yeah, I know, and you look beautiful in it, but I'm not going to torture myself in any dad-dreaded tuxedo again. I'm sorry, Tootsie. Let's skip it. Well, you're my lord and master, dearie. A woman's place is just to obey, I guess. Oh, now, gee whiz, cut it out, kiddo. You know I can't stand it. That's all right, dearie. Forget it. Oh. I shouldn't ask you to take me out formal tonight, anyhow. Uh. When we've already been out formal twice since the war. <laughs> the first war. <laughs> 
Well, gee whiz, if it wasn't for... I'll keep when... busy. I'll go upstairs and wash out oh. some of your socks like a good oh. wife. I'll... Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, you got me. Look, if you want to go to that, if you want to go that bad, I'm sorry I can't take it, though, but I just thought of something. What? <laughs> I got no tuxedo. <laughs> I loaned it to Mort Toops last month, remember? Oh, that's right, you did, but we can run over there and get it. And good old Mort is out of town. <laughs> the dirty rat. <laughs> well, I'd have took you if I could have, kiddo, but there's the brakes, I guess. Hand me the paper and let's just sit here and I'll relax. hand you your hat, dearie, and huh? you're sweet to take me to the party tonight. What? Mrs. Toops is home, and she'll give us the tuxedo. Oh, now, wait, we don't. She won't be there. Uh, we can't... Back the car out while I put on my face. Uh, hold it, hold it, hold it, Molly. Come in, come in, come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Oldtimer. Oh, there, kids. Hi, Johnny. Hi, daughter. <laughs> How are you going? Oh! Yeah, but I'm in no hurry, Oldtimer. Sit down. Well, I don't want to hold you up, Johnny. Everybody wonders what's been holding you up this long, anyhow. <laughs> The mayor's giving a party tonight, Mr. Oldtimer, and we have to get McGee's stuff. Oh, I love parties, kid. Kind of runs in the family, I guess. Papa was a great party man. Yeah? Yeah. Papa used to be, to his crowd, what Mr. Churchill is to the conservatives. The life of the party. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's cute. But if you'll excuse us, we ought to be going. Oh, he was quite a card, Papa was. I mind the time he took one of them green metal shades off the hanging light over the pool table at the pool room and put it on his head upside down. Well, that must have been killing. Uh, funny part, come later, Johnny. Oh? Papa was a little on the pin-headed side, you see, and the lampshade slipped down over his ears and stuck. Uh-oh. <laughs> the boys couldn't get it off him, so they finally let him home with a shade sticking up there like a soup bowl on a lamppost. <laughs> My gosh, what did he do, saw it off? No, it looked pretty bad there for a while there, kid. Till Mama got a wonderful idea. Yeah? She gave him a coat of white, planted his side pockets with ivy, filled up the lampshade with water, and got him a job in the park as a bird bath. <laughs> <laughs> well, it taught me one thing that I've never forgot, kid. What's that? Never throw trash in a bird bath, daughter. It might be somebody's papa. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Billy Mills the orchestra and happy time. Thank you. 
why are we walking along here on the sidewalk in Wistful Vista on our way to the dry cleaners, Mrs. Molly McGee? Well, Mrs. Toop said that Mort sent your tuxedo to the cleaners last Thursday, and it ought to be ready now. My tux to the... Mort got it all dirty? Well, he had a little accident with it. Yeah? He wore two party, got a bad olive in a martini, and fell down a coal hole on his way home. <laughs> That's what he told Mrs. Toop. Oh? Here's the cleaning shop now with Dr. Gamble standing right in front of it. Well, so he is. Hi, Doc. Hello, Doctor. Well, hello, Molly. Hello, short, stout, and revolting. What are you doing here, as if I cared? Going to get McGee's tuxedo at the dry cleaners, Doctor. We're attending Mayor Latrivia's party tonight. Not very tactful of you to mention that, Molly. The doctor probably didn't get a bid to it. Oh, yes, I got an invitation. Huh? But if you're going to be there, goober face, I think I'll tear it up. <laughs> Come on and go, Doctor. I've got a new evening dress I'm anxious to wear. It's a lovely shade of green, sort of, uh, well, the kind of a, well... I wish I could think of something that would describe that particular shade. Oh, I know something, Tootsie. I can show you the exact shade of green it is. You can, McGee? How? Watch Doc's face. Doctor, what do you think of socialized medicine? I... <laughs> Heavenly days, the exact shade. Here, Doctor, look in this little mirror. Isn't that a lovely green? Yeah. <laughs> Well, come on, Molly. We're wasting time. He won't be able to talk for 15 minutes. So long, fishbone. Bye, doctor. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Regency Dry Cleaning Company. Had your clothes dry cleaned regently? <laughs> oh, brother. You must have had a contest for the worst possible slogan, bud. <laughs> That's enough to make a body buy a can of energy and rinse out his own overcoat. <laughs> well, personally, madam, I think so myself. But I'm merely the boss's son-in-law. Oh. And if this is a sample of married life, I'm in favor of long engagements, and what can I do for you? <laughs> I got a suit here, Buster. Want to pick it up? Yes, sir. The name? Tuxedo. And, uh, what kind of a suit was it, Mr. Tuxedo? That is the suit, Tuxedo. Well, my name is not Tuxedo, madam. That's this man's name here. <laughs> no, my name is McGee. And where's Mr. Tuxedo? He was here a minute ago. That was my husband. Well, then who's this fellow? I'm him. Oh. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. For a minute there, I was a bit confused. <laughs> my goodness, sir. That's perfectly all right. Well, thank you, madam. Now then, Mr. Tuxedo. McGee. <laughs> No, sir, my name is Fosdick. <laughs> Granville P. Fosdick. Have one of my cards. Uh -huh. Take any one. That's it. I'll put it back of the rest of them without telling me which one, because they're all alike anyway. <laughs> Please, now, let's stop this nonsense. Look, Mr. Fosdick. Uh, pardon me, sir, the lady's speaking to you. Oh, excuse me. What'd you say, Molly? I said I was... I was not speaking to you. <laughs> I was speaking to Mr. Fosdick. Who's he? I think that's me. <laughs> Wait till I look at my cards here. Yes, that's me. Well, we certainly got that straightened out in a hurry, didn't we? <laughs> now then, sir, you were saying... I wasn't saying anything. That was me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you go right ahead, Mrs. Fosdick. 
I am not Mrs. Fosdick. I am Mrs. McGee. This man is my husband. Well, 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 congratulations, sir. I wish you every happiness. Well, thanks, McGee. I'm sure Mrs. Fosdick... <laughs> now, look, bud. All I come in for was to pick up my tuxedo. The name is McGee, Fibber McGee. Is that clear? Certainly, sir. Oh! Oh, I just remembered. You're Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista? The same. Well, we made a slight error in our deliveries today, madam. Oh? We held uh, Mr. Harlow Wilcox's dinner jacket here and sent Mr. McGee's to Mr. Wilcox's home. Now, if you'll come in again tomorrow... I can't come in for it tomorrow. I'm wearing it tonight. Come on, Molly. Very well. We'll go over to Mr. Wilcox's and get it. Good day, sir. Yeah. Well, good day, folks. Come in again. Fosdick. Fosdick. Familiar name. I wonder if I know them from someplace. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. Look. Well, is... well, well, this is a nice surprise. Come on in, folks. Make yourselves at home. Well, Gee whiz, this is a pleasure. Thanks. For 15 years, I've been coming over to your house, and now you drop in on me. Sit down, folks, sit down. We can't stay but a minute, Mr. Wilcox. All we, we come over for, Junior, what's that? Oh, who cares what you came over for? The main thing is that you're here. Have a chair, Molly. Take that one there, the one that glitters. Good heavens, Mr. Wilcox, they all glitter. I never saw such shining, clean-looking furniture oh, in my... Oh, my gosh. The first crack out of the box, he has to give the guy an opening to drive... Well, a... you know how it is, Molly. I'm a Johnson Wax salesman, so I try everything out myself. Yeah. Look at this room. Yeah. Look at that piano. Yeah. The windowsill. Yeah. The floors. The radio cabinet. My golf bag. You know what makes them shine like that? No. Johnson's paste wax. You know, I had begun to suspect it was something like that. Johnson's Paste Wax, the finest protection that money can buy that gives fine floors and woodwork a lasting, brilliant coat of protective wax. Yeah, Junior, we know, but they told us that the dry cleaner... Drier and cleaner, oh. you bet. <laughs> Why, with Johnson's Paste Wax on your treasured possessions, dampness can't get through the wax protection. And you keep things clean easier and longer than ever before. Yes, sir, I hey, tell you... Hey, 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 look, waxy. Yes, pal. Oh, by the way, the dry cleaners brought your dinner jacket over here by mistake. Yes, we know. That's what we came over for, Mr. Wilcox. Uh, let me have it, Junior. It isn't here, pal. What? What's that? I was going past your house a little while ago, and I took it in and hung it in the closet. What closet? That one in the hall. Brother, what a booby trap. <laughs> I barely escaped with my life. Your dinner coat is hanging in there, pal. Oh, my gosh. Well, thanks, Junior. Come on, Molly. All right. Coming to Mayor Latribia's party tonight, Mr. Wilcox? Party? Yeah. Oh. Oh, sure. I'll say I am, kids. I wouldn't miss it. I'll see you there. All right. So long now. So long, Hilo. Hello, operator. Give me Mayor Latribia's office, please. Yeah. Hello, Latribia. Hello, Wilcox. Hiya, pal. Yeah, yeah, great, great. Yeah, she's fine. Hey, uh, what are you doing tonight, kid? You what? Why, sure, we'd love to. What time, pal? Okay, at the country club. Mighty nice of you to invite us. My gosh, what a chase. Here we go all over town looking for my tuxedo, which I don't want to find it on account of I hate to dress up, and when I think I finally got out of it, then boom. Here, here it is right at home where there's Ole on the front porch. Who? Oh, Ole from the Elks Club. Yeah. Hello, Ole. Hi, Ole. You waiting for us? Hello, McGee. Hello, Mrs. Sure, I got message for you, McGee. 
Well? Message from home. Uh, uh, just give me a minute. I seem to slip my brain now. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> message from McGee. Message from McGee. Well, just go on talking. Maybe something remind me of it. Oh. Well, very well. Uh, how are the wife and children, Ollie? Oh, you're fine, thanks, missus. My missus is laid up with sore back. Abner Bagel, I think the doctor says it was. <laughs> no, not Abner Bagel, Ollie. That's Lumbago. Well, Lomer Abner, she make big fuss about the bagel. Huh? <laughs> then Christina, my oldest daughter, she gets pinched lift shopping. Heavenly days, how terrible. Arrested for shoplifting. Oh, hey. no, missus, not arrested. You're pinched in revolving door at shoe repair place. <laughs> she was shopping for new lifts for high heel shoes. Oh, I Lift shopping. Well, that's better because I wouldn't... Well, the uh, littlest kid, Loris, he gets fingers run over on the railroad tracks. Run over? Railroad tracks. Oh, used to be a little toy electric railroad he gets for Christmas. Huh? He was playing with the train and cracking walnuts. And he hits fingers with a hammer and he gets mad. So he's going to punish fingers for hurting so he lets the train run over him. <laughs> He's only six years of old. Maybe when he gets seven, he get better sense of it. I think so. <laughs> he talks after my missus' side of the family. His brains is mostly used good looks. Hey, now I know what that message was, too. What was it, Ollie? Good looks remind me of it. Mr. Wilcox. He wants me to tell McGee he leave dinner jacket in the whole closet. Oh. So long, McGee. Oh. and Meredith Wilson's Iowa Indian song. The sun will shine, the rain will fall, and Iowa corn will grow and grow and grow and grow. Behind by the 4th of July in Iowa. you dressed yet, McGee? Mm-hmm. Hurry, dearie, we're late already. No, we're not late enough for me, kiddo. Help me get this vest buttoned. All right. My, you, you look just lovely. Yeah, well, I don't feel lovely. <laughs> I feel miserable. This dad-ratted collar keeps peeling my Adam's apple. 
My chest itches and I can't scratch it through this hard shirt. <laughs> and the guy that invented clothes like this should, should have strangled himself tying his bow tie. He should have. My gosh, don't everybody? Now, now, you'll have a wonderful time tonight, yeah. dearie. Hand me that bow tie. I'll tie it for you. I'm not going to wear a bow tie. It's too uncomfortable. I'm going to wear my green knit. <laughs> that way, when you look around the dance floor, you'll know which one your husband is and you won't Hand have to... me the bow tie. And hold still. Mm. I'll know which man is mine, all right, because I'm not going to turn loose of your arm all evening. Ha-ha, you're too cute. <laughs> you're just saying that, aren't you? No, sir. When we walk into that country club, I'll be the proudest woman in the place because... Oh, my, I just love this country club, McGee. Isn't this a beautiful lobby? My collar's too tight. <laughs> That's a little better, but gee. Come on now. The ballroom is down this way. I'm dying for a dance, dearie. <laughs> My gosh, quite a mob in here. Yes. Aren't the decorations beautiful? Yeah. Although I wish they'd turn on a few more lights in here. I can hardly see. Yeah, well, that's supposed to be cozy, kiddo. All these joints are lighted like they were designed for a family of moles. <laughs> Maybe I can unbutton this collar till my eyes get used to the dark because nobody can oh, see hello, me. Hello, Molly. I'm glad to see you. Hi, McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Mayor. We're happy to be here, aren't we, McGee? One of us is. What's the idea of this party, anyhow, Latriv? And why did you have to go well, and... Well, it's just a little get-together in honor of some visiting officials, McGee. Governor Argabright and his party. Oh, yeah? Who's paying for this shindig, boy? The taxpayers? Oh, McGee! I am paying for it. Oh? As a matter of fact, the city council did discuss the matter of making this an official affair at the last meeting. But the members felt they were on pretty thin ice, so they dropped it. Did it break through? <laughs> I beg your pardon? The ice. Did the council members break through, or wasn't it as thin as they thought it was? Because thin ice is dangerous uh, stuff to be... Just, just, just a moment, McGee. <laughs> I don't think you quite understood my remark. I merely Where said... Where do they hold them council they... meetings anyhow, Latrive? Out of Dugan's Lake? <laughs> There's no ice at the city hall. No, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. When I said they were on thin ice, I was yeah, using... Yeah, it seems a strange place to hold a meeting of our city politics. <laughs> Out on a frozen lake. Huh. City fathers. Ta-ta. Half of them guys ain't even married. <laughs> Besides, if they go skating when they're supposed to be running the city government, it's no wonder they fall down on the job all the time uh, and slip wait, through wait, the ice. Wait, just a minute, please. Look, I merely said the city council had discussed having a party for the governor. At Dugan they... Lake. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, no, no. Not at Dugan Lake. Oh, the party was at City Hall. I mean, the council meeting was at City Hall. How could them guys get out on thin ice at the City Hall? That's ridiculous. There's no ice around the I City know, Hall. I know. I know, McGee. I know what he means. Thank heaven. Why, of course, Mr. Mayor. You simply got the council members together and held your meeting on the little fish pond outside your window. Oh! That ice is as thin as any oh. ice I No, could. no. We did not fish the icing council on the meat pond. <laughs> Fishing is a girl on the mouthful keating. Huh? Council breeding. Meeting! 
When I said the mantle chambers were on skin tight, a twin spice. You said on twice. Look, didn't you ever hear the expression "aging on thin skites"? <laughs> I didn't say that. You were the ones who said. Why did I was? We always get into one of and I tired of the city, and it was not a matter with you. <laughs> McGee? Yes, boy? Are you just trying to show off or something? Hmm? What's the big idea showing up here in a dinner jacket? What? What you mean, what's the big idea? It says right on your invitation, it's formal. Where is that invitation, Molly? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, here it is. Look at there, Latrib. What does it say right at the bottom there? That looks pretty plain to me. It says, come informal. It's... Is that what it says? My gosh. I thought it said come informal. Oh, no. No, help me get this tie off, Molly. Hold my coat. Come on, Molly. Let's get return in a moment. Fine floors deserve fine care, and the finest care you can give a hardwood floor is to polish it regularly with Johnson's Paste Wax, which puts a gleaming shield of tough, long-lasting wax over the floor itself, protects it from wear, makes it far easier to clean, and gives it the deep, lustrous beauty that only fine wax can give to fine wood. And remember, there's a really easy way to polish waxed floors. Ask your dealer about the Johnson Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. It's wonderful to use. The big whirling brush does all the buffing while you merely walk along and guide, just like vacuuming a rug. You can buy this polisher at low cost or rent one by the day if you prefer. Get Johnson's Paste Wax at your dealer's tomorrow and ask him about Johnson's Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. That was a nice party, dearie. Thank you for taking me. Oh, shucks, kid. Glad to do it at the trivia's expense. Have a good time? Just grand. Very handsome country club. Nice clubhouse. Just grand. They serve an awful good dinner out there, too. Just grand. Matter of fact, I'd kind of like to join that country club. You know what? What does a membership cost? Just a grand. Just a grand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Water Repellent Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? A story of crime in Big Town is next on NBC.
us next week for another nostalgic look at radio of yesteryear. And now it's just about time we were picking up our memories and moving along our way. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these songs and the memories that go with them as much as I've enjoyed bringing them to you. And I'll be keeping my weather eyes peeled. Yes, sir. Looking for you all to join us the next time we drop around this way for a friendly little get-together. And I hope that'll be real soon, folks. And until then, this is your old friend Singin' Sam saying goodbye for now. Same Time, Same Station is produced for KRLA News and Public Affairs by John Price. Special research by Martin Halpin, and I'm Bill Browning. Tonight, Chapter One in the story of Fibber McGee, narrated by Jim Jordan, with guest interviewer Les Tremaine. Next week, our return visit to 79 Wistful Vista. I know you won't want to miss it, so be sure to be with us next week at this same time, same station. Jaws Professional 1. Same time, same station as Saturday 1, 2, same time, enter. Well, that ain't the way I hear it, Johnny. The way I hear it, one fella says to the other fella, you hear about the president's new armament program? And the other fella says, no, what time is it on? <laughs> I like this young fella. He's a Settle back and reminisce a bit. What do you say, huh? With a nostalgic nod toward the Atwater Kent, we now present Same Time, Same Station, a chronicle of broadcasting's first half century. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Tonight, Chapter 2 in our story of The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Bud Steffen, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, there's genuine pleasure in looking at the smooth surface of a wax... Before we continue with Jim Jordan's memories of Fibber McGee, Let's take another sentimental journey to 79 Wistful Vista. The date is Tuesday, May the 24th, 1949. The program is closing its 14th season on NBC for Johnson's Wax. ...in exactly the same way. Little wonder more women use Johnson's Paste Wax than any other kind. Those women know that Johnson's Paste Wax does more than beautify their floors. It also protects their floors. Forms a hard shield over the surface. A shield that dirt can't readily penetrate. A shield that's very easy to clean. When dirt does collect, you can whisk it off that gleaming waxed surface in a few seconds. Next time you're at the store, be sure to ask for Johnson Paste Wax. It's the paste wax that more women use and keep using because 
No other wax can bring such lustrous beauty to the floors of a home in exactly the same way. Johnson Taste Wax. History shows that many a genius flowers late in life. At 50, Darwin wrote the monumental origin of species. At 85, Farwell Dilworthy tried to carve a canoe paddle with his bifocals on and thus invented the mustard spreader. <laughs> At 67, Norton W. Aspenloop tripped over his groceries, got molasses all over the fruit, and the world is richer for the taffy apple. And at 79, Wistful Vista, that is, another middle-aged genius is hard at work on his great idea. As we meet, Fibber McGee and Molly. My, that's an awfully long letter you're writing, McGee. Who do we know that deserves that? This ain't a letter, Tootsie. I'm writing a movie. A little project that's going to make me famous and both of us rich. Hey, how do you spell century? C-E-N-T-U-R-Y. That's the way I got it, and it don't look right. How are you using it? Well, I say rifle on shoulder, keen senses alert to every sound, the century was walking his post. <laughs> that's century, dearie. S-E-N-T-R-Y. I thought a century was 100 years. No, that's century. Yeah? <laughs> well, I guess you're right at that. I've done sentry duty in the Army, and by the time you get relieved, it sure seems like a hundred years. <laughs> Tell me more about this movie you're writing, sweetheart. I said a movie, but that's just one angle of it. Oh? First, I'll make it into a movie, then a best-selling book, then it'll go into a two-bit drugstore reprint and be syndicated in the newspapers. Oh? Now, you say the movie people pay me a nominal fee of 200000 For a nominal fee, dearie, that's phenomenal. <laughs> but what's the story about? Well, you remember seeing a movie where Don Amici invented the telephone. Yes, and I saw the sequel to it, too. Sorry, wrong number. <laughs> well, they done the story of the telephone, the story of radium, the story of baseball, Al Jolson, the Philadelphia story, but what's the story they haven't done? What? The story of the typewriter. Ain't that a Lulu? <laughs> It's a darb, as we used to say in Peoria. <laughs> you betcha. When you stop and think how the typewriter is tied up to culture, commerce, business, communication, why am I It's God? amazing that nobody ever thought of it before. Well, that's what they said when the non-skid paperclip was invented, kiddo. <laughs> Sir, and the zipper. Just Yankee ingenuity. <laughs> you mean every yank needs a zipper and vice versa? Yeah. Well, I gotta get busy, baby. Can't mess around with half a million bucks at stake. Uh, Done see. any research on the subject of the typewriter, McGee? Plenty, Tootsie. Spent nearly 15 minutes with the encyclopedia, for one thing. For another thing, I may go to the library a little later. Now, ah, uh, for the doorbell, doorbell, doorbell. All day long. How can a guy write movie scenarios with that doorbell clanging at all hours of the day? That's the first time it's rung this morning, Ted. Well, it won't be the last if I know Tuesday, and I oughta. <laughs> come in. Oh, it's Dr. Gamble, McGee. Mm. Do come in, doctor. Thank you, my dear. Good morning, Stern Wheeler. <laughs> Hi, gas pain. <laughs> May I give you a word of advice? Certainly. 
It won't be worth anything, and I probably won't take it, but I know better than to try to stop you. <laughs> what is it, dearie? I just wanted to advise the good Dr. Gamble that the next time he calls on an author to make an appointment first. Don't just barge in like a cub bear jumping into a hollow log. <laughs> Did you say author, possum face? <laughs> what are you authoring, a book on bad manners? I'll give you a title. How to Pull Chairs Out from Under Ladies, or Digging Post Holes with Emily. <laughs> He's writing a movie, Doctor. They say there's good money in it if you can do it. Good money in Fort Knox if you can get at it. <laughs> Look, tonsil nipper. You stick to your racket and I'll stick to mine. You don't tell me how to get literary and I won't tell you how to retouch a millionaire's x-ray so it looks like he's got ulcers. <laughs> now I'll give you some advice. Then let you go on your merry Hemingway. <laughs> don't be an author. It's a tough life. Speaking from experience, doctor? No, but my brother is an author. And for him, life is just one boring round of receptions and teas. What does he write, Fatso? He writes a comic strip. Oh, you mean a comic strip writer has to attend a lot of literary teas? No, just strip teas. <laughs> Get with it, Elizabeth. Go on, Molly. Boy, I can hardly wait to see Doc's face when those movie people hand me a check for a couple of hundred thousand. I can hardly wait to see my own. Betcha. My eyes will pop off so far the pupils will think it's recess. <laughs> Now, you just be patient, my dear. One of these days, we'll have a swimming pool and a private yacht and our own box at the races. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. We can take turns standing on it. Help <laughs> well, back to work, Snooky. Bring me some black coffee, will you? That'll keep me awake. Keep you awake? You've only been out of bed in two hours. <laughs> Besides, you don't like black coffee. I gotta like it. I gotta learn to like it. All authors live on black coffee and smoke pipes. <laughs> Brad, I wish I had some carbon paper. You mean you're not keeping an extra copy? Oh, sure. I haven't got any carbon paper, though, so I'm typing every line twice. <laughs> sure, then I'll cut it apart and paste up two copies. <laughs> There's always a way, Snippy, if you just use the old... Come in. Oh, Wally Wimple. Hi, Wally. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> I hope I'm not intruding. <laughs> Not at all, Wimp. The world has waited a thousand years for this stuff I'm working on. It can wait another three minutes. Oh, I see you're working, Mr. McGee. Novel? Anytime you find him working, it's novel. <laughs> I'm writing a movie, Wimp, about the invention and development of the typewriter. I've already telegraphed a couple of big movie stars to hold their shelves ready for it. Hey, you're an author yourself, aren't you, Wimp? Oh, indeed I am. Mm -hmm. I am. I write poetry. Oh? Would you like to hear my most recent one? Oh, yes, we would, Mr. Wimple. What's the name of it? Well, <laughs> I call it a lobster and an oyster. Well, well, let's hear it before I have to go back to work in about 30 seconds, Wimple. All righty. <clears throat> a lobster and an oyster sat upon the ocean bed discussing this and that until the puzzled oyster said, How come you wave your nippers so? Keep rinsing off your paws said the lobster. I'm a cynic. I don't believe in Sandy Claus.
goodness, isn't that cute? Yeah, but being a novelist myself... Oh, I... there's another verse, folks. Oh, dear. It goes, said the oyster, watch my bowl, ball of yarn. You're such a clumsy cuss. I'm making eight argyle socks for a lady octopus. The lobster said, you have no hands that you knit things for your girl? Not knit, replied the oyster, but let me show you how I pearl. <laughs> I of the typewriter coming along, McGee. Great, Tootsie, great. This story is going to have everything a story needs to be a knockout, Molly. Really? What suspense. Uh -huh. For instance, on the first page of my story, there's a murder. A murder on the first page? Yep. An inventor is found dead in his laboratory, clutching a crushed orchid, a dry martini, and a copy of the hardware journal. <laughs> That's the attention grabber, see? I see. Then what? Then on page two, I switch to England in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When do you come back to the murdered inventor? Aha, uh -huh, that's the gimmick, kiddo. I don't ever come back to him. <laughs> Naturally, the reader keeps looking for the killer, and he's, after he's read the whole script before he realizes the murder has got nothing to do with the story. <laughs> you catch on? Subtle? Heavenly days, you authors have more angles. Oh, that ought to be milk from Kramer's drugstore. I phoned for some more typewriter paper, and come in. Hello, Milton. Hello, Come Mrs. in. McGee. I, I brought a ream of paper, like you said, Mr. McGee. 500 sheets. Would you mind telling me what you're going to do with it? Oh, I'm doing some writing, Milt. You ever try to do any writing? Oh, yes. I used to write a lot of fiction. Oh? Not under my own name, though. I signed it Millicent Kramer. Millicent. That's my mother's name. Oh. oh, how nice. What kind of fiction did you write, Milton? Mostly just excuses for being absent from school. <laughs> Well, writing is a great career, Milt, my boy. The thing that appeals to me about it is you can make a living sitting down. <laughs> you ought to take up journalism, Milt. 
Oh, I've tried that, too, but it hurt my feet. Hurt your feet, Milton? What kind of journalism was that? Ladies' home journalism. <laughs> I used to deliver them. That's how I met Margie. Oh? She's the girl I'm going steady with since last Thursday. The one that always smells so good on account of I'm giving her presents like perfume. Hmm. Very smart, Milt. Girls never get enough perfume. Yours didn't. Huh? <laughs> well, I didn't work in my uncle's drugstore like Milt does. <laughs> oh, you got to go, Milt? Oh, yeah, I got to get back to the store. We're taking inventory today. Oh? And if Uncle Ed checks the perfume stock before I get back, I'm dead. <laughs> This ain't getting the story the typewriter told, Molly. I got so much stuff in my head to write down... How far have you gotten with it, anyway? You were telling me about page two when Milton came in. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm up to chapter five on it now. Oh. Just a good start. What I'm doing right now is working several countries into the story, you see. Giving it a sort of an international touch. Oh, you mean like the Marshall Plan? Yeah. That's the biggest international touch I know of. <laughs> How does this sound? Listen. Grinding his Egyptian cigarette out on the African leopard skin rug and taking the beautiful Hungarian Countess Toujour in his arms, young Mars Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. Young who? Young Mars Jefferson. He's the playboy son of a family of southern aristocrats who fled to England to escape the poll tax. I see. Anyhow, young Marsh Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. What does the Countess do? Feed him a corn phone? <laughs> no, I, I got a turning point right here, right now, and I can take the story two ways from here, you Sounds see. like it's gone four ways already. <laughs> you see, I say, as the Countess lifted her face toward his, a sound was heard in the distance. What was the sound? I haven't decided yet. It can either be peasants shouting, which means the French Revolution has busted out, or a horse's hoof which means the U.S. cavalry is coming. If it turns out to be gunfire, it means eight literary critics have just shot themselves. <laughs> Look, dearie, now, this is the... Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Come on in. Sit down, Junior, but don't talk. I'm creating. What's he creating, Molly, besides the funny noise on that paper spoiler? Well, he's writing the story of the invention of the typewriter, Mr. Wilcox. His version of it, at least. Really? Well, look, pal, I used to do a little writing. Let me give you a tip, will you? He'll welcome it, won't you, dearie? No, but I'll be polite about it. Okay, Junior, unburden yourself. I ain't heard anything about you writing the great American novel, but go ahead. Tell the author how to write. Well, I was just going to suggest that you keep it simple. You see, when I first started writing advertising for Johnson's Paste Wax... I used to say, Johnson's Paste Wax will render your possessions invulnerable to abrasions, impregnable to friction, attrition, and confrication. Stuff like that. I think that's beautiful writing. Personally, I don't care I used to say that. things like, Johnson's Paste Wax inevitably imparts a coruscating, scintillating fulguration to one's floors, furniture, and woodwork, which endows the domicile with joviality and vivacity and attracts the spirit, spirit of euphrosyne to the dwellers therein. <laughs> You don't say. <laughs> I almost didn't. You keep writing like that, Junior, and they'll revoke your poetic license. <laughs> I bet that would have sold a lot of Johnson's face wax, though, if anybody knew what you meant. Well, that's what the company said. They said, look, kid, let's just keep it simple. Just tell them that Johnson's face wax will give floors, furniture, and woodwork a soft, gleaming luster that shines with the happy look of a well-loved home. That will give a new protection and beauty that time and age hey, cannot hey, tell. Hey, you can't. Hey, look. Waxy. Yes, pal. Hey, look. 
I, I'd like to stay and criticize your story, but I've got to run along. This is World Trade Week, you know, and I've got to address a meeting. This on is what week, Mr. Wilcox? World Trade Week, Molly, a week set aside to highlight the trade between na nations. Oh, that. Well, I'm in favor of that, Junior. You may quote me. You may say for me that I feel the more we import and export, the more stuff goes in and out. <laughs> statement, dearie. Yep. You may tell your meeting that I said the more countries trade with each other, the better off we all are and well and we'll be. Oh, I see. You, you feel that the ship of state sails best with the trade wind. Exactly. Thank you, pal. That's a very thoughtful statement. So long, Molly. Ship of state sails best with the trade wind. Hey, did you hear what I said to Wilcox there, Molly? My gosh, that was quite a phrase I turned there, you know what? I've heard of plagiarism, but I didn't know it could happen that fast, dearie. I may be able to work that into my... Oh, why don't somebody leave me alone and let me write? Shall I send them away or just holler, come in? Uh... Oh, it's Oli from the Elks Club, McGee. Hello, Oli. Well, hello, missus. Hello, McGee. Hi, Oli. I can't waste time with you now. I'm writing a novel. Yes, I talked to the missus. It's a screenplay. Going to sell it to the movies. Well, I have one for you. Well, Mrs., how's things with you? Oh, fine, Ollie. Want to sell this story for maybe half a million bucks, Ollie? Can you think of any better way to pick up that much dough outside of finding uranium in the backyard? What's good about finding uranium? I got a backyard full of uranium. It don't make me rich. You've got uranium in your backyard? Does the government know about it? Sure, my congressman, he sends me free seeds. I plant them by the directions, and every spring up comes uranium. <laughs> Oh, geranium. <laughs> we thought you meant uranium 235. For 235, McGee, I can buy roses. <laughs> you, you sell a movie script, boy, and you can buy anything. Well, I'll let you know when my story of the typewriter plays the bijou, Ollie. You'll get a kick out of seeing my name on the screen. Oh, I see your picture on the screen all the time, McGee. McGee's picture? On the screen, Ollie? Where? My gosh, I didn't... At the Elks Club, McGee. Huh? We got a hole in the back door screen. I use your picture to keep out the flies. <laughs> it works fine. Even keeps out people. That's so long, Mrs. <laughs> the King's Men and the Typewriter Serenade. 79 Whistle Whistle 1949.
And while I'm writing to this lover, I better get finished with it. So I'll say goodnight, don't forget to write, till I hold you tight real soon, dear. Here's all my love in a little typewriter, serenade, serenade, page 112. I'll bet even Sinclair Lewis don't write this fast. You see, you've already <laughs> wired a couple of movie stars, McGee. Yep, in fact, this yarn is tailor-made for them. It's a natural. You see? Uh-oh, maybe that's a messenger boy. It's about time I was hearing from them movie stars. Come in. Oh, it's his honor, McGee. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Molly. Good day, McGee. Oh, sorry to interrupt your letter writing. I'm not writing letters, Latrive. I'm writing a movie. First movie you ever wrote, McGee? First one this week. <laughs> I'm writing the story of the typewriter, Latrive. His next story will be called Fog. It'll be a condensed version. <laughs> well, this is sort of a synopsis, too, I presume. Uh, can you tell the story of the typewriter in a nutshell, McGee? Now, that's an interesting question, Latrive. If I can do that, think what I can save in postage. Yes. If it gets too long, dear, you can even use a coconut shell. What size shell did you have in mind, Latrive? Oh, I'd say a walnut shell. Write the story on fine tissue paper, wad it up tightly, and send it to Hollywood in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> let it go, McGee. He meant a real nutshell. What did you think I meant? Never mind. <laughs> you ever do any creative writing, Latrive? A little, yes, yes. I've always believed the pen was mightier than the sword. Except maybe at a military wedding. Imagine the bride and groom having to crawl along under cross pens dripping ink on them. <laughs> you mean when you were in the service, Latrive, you could fight better with a pen than you could with a sword? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, we had pens that were full of tear gas. Much more effective than swords. <laughs> well, uh, now what shall we talk about? <laughs> Want me to read you my movie story, Latrive? As far as I've got? Only take an hour and a half or so. You see, the first shot is a cottage in England. We truck the camera up to a pub. Ah, England. I love England. I'm an old Oxford man, you know. Oh, not McGee. He prefers high shoes. <laughs> he says Oxfords don't support the ankle properly. Besides, those Oxfords of yours don't look so old. How many times have you had them half sold? Three times. I'm really an old Oxford man. <laughs> New Oxfords are so hard on the feet when you have to do as much walking as I do. It's no I use, McGee. Old. Let's give it up. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Latrive, if you don't want to cooperate, why don't you run along and let me get to work? I'm sure I don't know what you mean, McGee, but if I'm interfering with your work, I shall be only too happy to remove myself. Good day. <laughs> I wonder if he's catching on or whether this was just coincidental. Search me. We sure didn't get any place with him today. Oh, well, I gotta get back to work. Let's see. McGee, what movie stars did you say you wired about taking part in this picture of yours? 
And uh, weren't you being slightly premature? No, no, because this will be such an important picture. I wanted to have exactly the two people that would... Ah, here we are, here we are. Come in. Jimmy McGee. That's himself there, lad. Two telegrams for you, Max. Sign here. Okay, bud. And here's a dollar for yourself. Gee, thanks. Wasn't that a rather heavy tip here? No, <laughs> well, it wasn't too big a tip. Because if this story sells, I can afford it. And if it don't, I may be delivering telegrams one of these days myself. <laughs> Maybe somebody will give me a dollar. Well, who are the wires from? Open them up quick. Okay, let's see. Wait a Oh, my gosh. What? Gregory Peck can't make it. Oh, <laughs> Shucks. Says he's got previous commitment. Doggone it. How about the other one? Oh, wait, I get it over. Let's see, Tessa. Oh, can you beat that for rotten luck? She's tied up, too. Who? Marsha Hunt. All the dirty luck I ever... Well, that's that, I guess. Dead, dead, oh, McGee, what are you doing? Uh, You're tearing up your manuscript and it was almost done. Well, it's no good now, Snooky. Why isn't it? There are other actors besides Gregory Peck and Marsha Hunt. Not for this picture. How can you do the story of the typewriter without Hunt and Peck? <laughs> return in a moment. The mellow beauty that Johnson's Paste Wax brings to a home is a beauty you've probably seen and remembered. You're bound to remember the rich, lustrous finish of wood surfaces that have been polished with this remarkable wax. But maybe you don't know this, how easily and quickly you can polish your waxed floor when you have Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. All you do is guide this polisher across the floor. The big whirling brush buffs your floor in a few seconds. Ask your dealer about Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. You can buy one now or rent one at low cost if you prefer. Hey, Molly, who's going to do the summer show for the Johnson people? Oh, they have a wonderful show lined up, McGee. Yeah? It stars Ken Darby and the King's Men and features their king for a night with a guest king every week. Oh, that sure sounds very good. How many more shows have we got? Just one more after tonight. Just one? Yeah, just one. You sure? Yeah, I think hey, so. Hey, oh, I don't know. Wait till I count my soda mint tablets. <laughs> yep, you're right. Only one left. Good night. Good night, all. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Pippa McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? Rub it on. Wipe it off. That's how easy it is with Johnson's Car New, the auto polish that saves you work while giving your car a Sunday shine. First, Car New cleans your car, cuts through traffic tarnish and road film that water won't touch. Second, Carnew polishes your car, makes the whole body sparkle like new. Yes, cleaning a car can be a hard job, but not with Carnew, because Carnew cleans and polishes your car in one easy application. Tomorrow, ask your nearest service station or dealer for Johnson's Carnew. Just rub it on, wipe it off. That's all you do with Carnew. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
You're listening to Same Time, Same Station. This is KRLA Pasadena. Now we continue with our story of Fibber McGee. Once again, you'll hear the voice of Fibber, Jim Jordan. But we built it out of smack out. Yes. And uh, the Smith family, a show we had done at WENR. Plus the late Don Quinn, the program's original writer. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, although my family traveled... Uh, quite a bit through the Midwest. And cast members Hal Perry and Gail Gordon. Then I established this one voice that later became Gildersleeve. A part came up on the show of Molly's ex-boyfriend. Last week, Jim Jordan described the roots of Fibber McGee, World War I variety shows, a touring concert company, vaudeville, and early radio programs. Tall tales and comedy entered via the Smith family. Carlton Meyer's Kindergarten, and finally, Smack Out, for which the Jordans hired Don Quinn as writer. An audition for the Johnson's Wax Company resulted in the beginning of Fibber McGee and Molly in 1935. We went on the air with the name Fibber McGee and Molly. From the beginning. But we built it out of Smack Out. Yes. And uh, the Smith family, a show we had done at WENR, which uh -huh. was a, one of the first successful uh, family-type shows. It was patterned after the San Francisco... One man's family. They were in San Francisco. We did very much the same thing. You know, it, was, it was very successful. We were on, and Marion and I, we actually were the, well, we were the strength in it, you might say, sure. because the two of us, she did the mother, Irish mother, and I did a... Oh, uh, she was so wonderful. Oh, yeah. And her little girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, if you boys will excuse me, I'll spend the next five minutes sorting the laundry. I can guess the rest of this. <laughs> Have a nice vacation, Mr. Wilcox. We'll miss you. Thank you, Molly. See you in the fall. Yeah, go ahead, kiddo. I started this, so I'll battle it through alone. I'll be the pigeon that... Ah, saved by the bell. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, Teeny. <laughs> Come in, sis. I'm glad to see you. You are? Mm-hmm. Oh, hi, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> oh, boy, hi. Hello, Teeny. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a long time. Sit down, sis. What's new with you? My dollhouse. Huh? I got a new dollhouse, and all boys are ever pretty, though. A new dollhouse, mm -hmm. eh? Well, I suppose you know how to keep that dollhouse looking new, don't you, Tinny? Sure I do, I betcha. My mama told me how. Well, good for her. She did, eh? Yes, she... Hmm? He said she did, eh? Who did? Your mother, Tinny. Did what? Told you how. How what? How to keep it new looking. My dollhouse, I know it. <laughs> She says there's only one way to keep it new looking. Don't play with it. No. Well, uh, Tini, I was going to suggest that you try... You know something? My mom always uses Johnson's paste wax on her floors and furniture oh. and woodwork. And you know, I was just wondering if I could use it on my dollhouse. Oh, my gosh. He's even got kids doing it. <laughs> Teeny, of course you can, on a big house or a little house. Johnson's paste wax is the finest. You know, my mama says it not only imparts a mellow, gleaming luster to her furniture and woodwork, but it also protects and preserves it against dirt and dust and stuff I spill all over it. Hey, what's the deal here between you? What's going on? that's absolutely right. Your mother knows that a Johnson waxed home is a well-kept home. She knows that Johnson's Paste Wax is the finest investment in beauty for her home. Hey, 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 it is. look, look, Waxy. Yes, pal? Have you got to go now because i got to get ready to go canoeing. My oh, wife and I... Yes, yes, we do, Mr. McGee. Oh. Come, Mr. Waxy. 
If you if you're going down to Kramer's drugstore, I'll go with you, and one of us can buy the other one a soda, huh? That's a good idea, Teeny. Here, take my arm, Miss. Oh. <laughs> oh boy, jackpot. <laughs> Troops asked about me, Mr. McGee. Tell him I have a prior engagement. Goodbye now. So long, sis. I'll see you this fall, Junior. Yeah, happy canoeing, pal. So long. <laughs> She's a cute kid, even if she does act like... Hey, hey, Molly. Yes, dearie? Let's be ready to leave. Which well, she did also played on Carlton Myers' Kindergarten, didn't she? Well, she did a... A little yeah, voice. It's a little different. Mm -hmm. This the Carlton Myers' Kindergarten girl, little girl, was a little older. Yeah. <laughs> a little wider. Yeah. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. But, you know, during those years, you did everything. Oh, you did, you did, We did everything under the sun. Sure, and those were the fun years. That's right. Those um, are the formative years. Those are the years where you learned your trade. You betcha. And when you got in the position to, to, where it counted, a chance to make it pay off, you were you, you were, were a pro. You could do it. You were ready. That's right. What they call when the chips are down. That's right. Well, now Don Quinn, who of course was another beautiful person and uh, a dear friend of so many of us. I wish you had his story. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Although my family traveled. Uh, quite a bit through the Midwest. My father was a chamber of commerce organizer who would uh, go to a town, organize a chamber, and run it a year and then move on. So my schooling was rather sketchy through Michigan, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Uh -huh. Then you were educated here and there and everywhere. If you can call it educated, yes. I always say I'm a self-made illiterate. <laughs> However, my wife is a, a journalist from uh, Northwestern. Oh, uh -huh. And uh, practically a Phi Beta Kappa, although she denies it. Mm -hmm. She's very helpful and a great critic. Good. <laughs> How did you come to get into uh, radio writing, by the way? I came from the ranks of uh, commercial cartooning. Indeed. Which in 1929 and 30 laid, as Variety says, a big egg. I had been giving jokes to a radio comedian around Chicago named Jim Jordan. Oh, yes. Who is now Fever McGee. Yes. Yeah. And they asked me if I would write a show for them called Smack Out, which was a rural community country store skit. And I wrote this for four years, a country store rural thing without ever having been off the city street. So you can see I'm a fraud all the way along here. The city boy writing a country show. And uh, from that, the Pippa McGee and Molly stemmed from that country uh -huh. store skit because oh, we featured tall stories. This is why we called him Fibber McGee. We started Fibber McGee and Molly in 1935. We, uh, we were, as I say, we were getting $200 a week, and the Johnson Company paid us $250. That's when you first started with mm -hmm. But then we had to pay commission out of that, and we, I don't know whether we had to pay Don Quinn or not, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> but you ended up right where you were before. So we, I said one thing. <clears throat> I said, I don't care what you pay us. You don't have to pay us anything. But give us 26 weeks. Don't give us 13 weeks. Give us 26, and we'll do it for nothing. And, but they paid us 215, and they gave us the 26 weeks. And they said later that it was long after the end of 13 weeks whether they knew whether they'd go on or not. No kidding. Yeah. How long were you on for them? They were your sponsor all through the years, weren't they? Well, yes, until 19... 
50, uh, in 17 years. When they first started this show in Chicago, uh, Jim used to kind of dress the part because he was he was younger looking, you see, than actually than he was supposed to be. And Molly used to wear a, kind of a house dress and give you a hat, and then they, of course, got away from that. By the time I was on the show, which was 37, they'd been on a couple of years and were coming into popularity, so they, you know, they erased all that monkey business. I'd like to mention just a few of the great people that you had working yeah, with you. Yeah, I want you. to get into that. Jim, uh, your announcer, Harlow Wilcox. Was the greatest. My golly, he, what a voice, and uh, so smooth and yeah. so sophisticated in his approach to everything. It was great, and great contrast to Fibber. That's oh. right. <laughs> Pardon me for a minute, I thought yeah. this. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Molly. Oh, Mr. Wilcox, come in. Hi, pal, how's that? Hey, that a dress you've got on, pal? It ain't a Max Senate bathing suit, Junior. He's just modeling it for me, Mr. Wilcox. Molly's leaving for Chicago. Well, I don't blame her. One look at you in that outfit, pal, and I'd scram, too. What's the gag, kids? Well, I'm making myself a new dress, Mr. Wilcox. I expect to go to the ladies' club convention in Chicago next week to represent the Whistle Vista branch. They're quite a nice hammer. Swell. That's wonderful, Molly. You were no doubt selected because you're the type of woman that Wistful Vista is proud of. Yep type of woman for which the women's clubs of this country have become famous. Yep. You're charming, industrious, intelligent. Oh, now, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> the type of woman who always knows all the answers. Sure, she knows all the answers. She's heard most of them from me at one time or other. <laughs> Molly is a perfect example of the type of woman who'd never think of trying to run a household without Johnson's cream wax, for uh -oh. instance. Because she knows how cream wax helps her keep her home beautiful. Yeah. She knows how cream wax cleans as it wax polishes her light-colored woodwork and white kitchen equipment. How did we get way out there? Molly knows that cream wax is different because it polishes with wax instead of oil, and consequently, dust can't cling to it. Yeah. With just a light dusting, a Johnson cream wax finish stays bright for months. Yeah, but what that Just like thousands of other smart American housewives, Molly has learned how cream wax gives a rich, mellow luster to her furniture and woodwork. All right, keeps a refrigerator gleaming. Hey, and hey, all hey, stuff look, around look, look, waxy. Yes, pal? You know Chicago, Junior. What do you think makes that town so popular? Well, that's simple, pal, the location. People flock there because it's located in such a great spot. Oh, you mean on the lake, Mr. Wilcox? Lake? I never noticed the lake, Molly, but just think, Chicago's only 60 miles from Racine. Oh. What a spot. <laughs> Have fun, Molly. So long, pal. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Bill Doc Gamble was the greatest contrast oh. to Fibber. Dr. He was the town's leading doctor and a yes. sort of an intellectual and so on. How Why he tolerated this little poop, nobody <laughs> ever knew, but he did. And they he were very him. good friends. He liked him. Yeah, I think Hugh Bryan played him, didn't yes. he? Yes. And he was a roly-poly fat little man. Yeah, that's you know? right. Molly, you got this material pinned around me so tight I can't breathe. You got me gasping like a fresh-caught flounder. Well, I have to pin it tight, dear. You're a lot thicker around the waist than I am, you know. Yeah, I know. I should ought to have put on a girdle. That's what I should ought to have done. A <laughs> couple of guys at the Elks wear them. Hold still. Do they? Yeah, only they don't call them girdles. They call them potholders. one guy why he wore a girdle, and he says it was for morale. Says it helped him keep a stiff upper lap. Hold your arms up. I want to pin the sides higher. That's it. Oh, Gunner, I wish you weren't going to that convention, kiddo. I suppose you'll have a nice trip, but gee, 
You know how I am with you gone, Molly. Miserable. <laughs> How's that again? I says I'm miserable when you're away someplace having fun and I'm home by myself. <laughs> Makes me unhappy just thinking about it. <laughs> you certainly don't sound very well, happy. You're tickling me. <laughs> Come in. Oh, McGee, it's Dr. Gamble. Nice to see you, Doctor. Well, if it ain't the Princess Flint's. Hi, Fatso. Hello, Molly. And good day to... Oh, no. What are you made up for, sack shape? A masquerade Miss Gruesome of 1949? <laughs> I'm working on a dress for myself, Doctor. He's my dummy. You never spoke a truer word, my dear. <laughs> Although how you can use McGee for a model for a dress for you is beyond me. If you fit that thing to his misshapen contours, it'll come off looking like a pillowcase full of basketballs. Oh, stop trying, Bustle Bucket. Stop trying. My contours are just as shapen as yours any day. Hey, incidentally, what are you doing walking around, Measle Bait? I thought you were supposed to be sick. Yes, how do you feel, Doctor? Are you all well now? Oh, I feel wonderful, Molly. A week's rest in bed was just what I needed. Yeah? I, uh... <clears throat> I managed to drop a little weight while I was sick, if you'll notice, kid. <laughs> yeah, that's swell, Doc. I, I could tell it right away, too. Could you? Could you really? Sure, I could. Yeah. You must have dropped about 40 pounds. Uh -huh. From your chest down onto your stomach. Now, McGee, stop it. Oh, he makes me tired. See, if you don't mind, Doctor, I wish you'd keep an eye on himself here next week. I'm going to Chicago for a few days to a ladies' club convention. Yeah, how do you like that, Fatso? Leaving me all alone for three whole days. What'll I do? Set fire to the house, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you worry, Molly. I'll keep him busy. In fact, he can help me with an operation tomorrow. I'm to demonstrate a new surgery technique at the hospital. Oh, gee, and I can help you, Doc? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, what can I do? Hand you the tools? No, all you have to do is just lie still. I'll do the rest. Go <laughs> on, kid. Then there was Bill Thompson, who was a dear old friend of mine, and he played the old-timer, yeah. uh, uh, Wimple, Wallace Wimple. Bill Thompson uh, was on the... He did four or five characters on the show. He did Nick DePopolis and, and Liar Boomer, you know. And, and then he did Wallace Wimple, who went about Sweetie Face. And he did Nick... Uh, there were four or five of them. Oh, that ain't the way I heard it, Johnny, which was started by... Uh, Arquette, and he had to leave the show, and Bill just took over, you know. I think when Bill started doing the old-timer with us, he was probably in his 20s. He also played, uh, what was the, uh, Nick DePopolis? Nick DePopolis. Mm -hmm. And he was, Boomer he did, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was a clever boy. He sure was. Maybe it's just a contrast to their own peaceful home life, but the McGee's of Wistful Vista are always glad to have a visit from Wallace Wimple, bruises and all. That's Wallace ringing the doorbell now. Come in. Oh, it's Wallace Wimple. Hi, Hi Wimple, man. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> Won't you have a cup of tea, Mr. Wimple? Oh, no, thank you, Mrs. McGee. I find that tea stimulates me too much. Tea does? Yes. Three or four cups of strong tea, and I simply am not accountable for what I do. Well, say, that's very interesting, Mr. Wimple. How does it affect you? Well, 
last night I was in a kind of a I-don't-care mood, and I made myself some tea. I guzzled down three cups straight. Wow, straight. Yes, no cream or sugar. And then what? Then I picked up a can of caviar that said, keep in a cool place, and deliberately set it right on the stove. Sometimes I hate myself for losing control like that. What was the caviar for, Wimp? Celebrating something? My birthday, Mr. McGee. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife, (laughs) threw a little party. Uh, Was it fun, Mr. Wimple? No, not much. I was the little party she threw. Right out the window. I never met your wife, Wimp, but from all you've said about her, I don't know how you stand the treatment she gives you. Oh, I guess you can get used to anything, Mr. McGee. It started right from the beginning. Yeah. She slugged me the day we got married, when I overpaid the justice of the peace. Not really. How much did you pay him? Oh, I don't remember exactly. But if it was only 30 cents, he was overpaid. If you'll take my advice, Wimp, and I doubt if you ever do, you'll surprise her sometime and act like a caveman. Oh, I do now, Mr. McGee. I do, actually. No. Yes. Every time Sweetie Face looks at me, I cave right in. (laughs) Well, I guess I'd better be going, folks. In a hurry, Wimp? Yes. Sweetie Face went out for a bicycle ride, and I'm curious to know what happened. Well, what'd you expect to happen? Well, I hardly know, Mrs. McGee. I suppose it was pretty mischievous of me, but I told her there was a new law for bicycle riding. What new law? (laughs) I told her people on bicycles were supposed to ride exactly on the white line in the middle of the road. Heavenly days, Mr. Wimple. That's awful. She's bound to get hit by a truck or something. (laughs) Yes. Well, goodbye now. That, hope that moss is gone for good. wonder where the dead, dreaded little baseboard blatherskite is now. It would be just like him to sneak up and put his cold nose on the back of my neck. Ooh. Oh, why do I think of such things? Be calm, McGee. He won't hurt you. How do you know he won't? Well, he won't, that's all. Oh, yeah? What do you know about mice? Who, me? Yes, you. Oh, keep quiet. I won't keep quiet. I'll talk about There he is. Oh, that can't be the mouth. That knock was too tall. Come in. Good day, paper clamp. Uh-oh. I understand you're having some trouble with one of our little four-footed friends. <laughs> That's right, Boomer. Why don't you get a set of traps for the little bees? <laughs> like the trap you're setting for Mrs. Uppington, eh? I want to warn you once more about trying any of your chiseling tactics on her, Boomer. You're just the type that'd break a woman's heart and patch it up again with itching powder. I know your game. Cushions, he'll foil me yet. What you want to see me about? Ah, yes. I came in to sell you my own patented mousetrap, McGee. The Boomer Beastie Basket. (laughs) Well, let's see it, Boomer, and hurry up. I'm expecting company. Certainly, certainly. Where put that mousetrap? Mousetrap, mousetrap. Have it here somewhere. 
Here's a rare and valuable first edition of Shakespeare I just got from the library. Don't ask me whose library. Here's an invitation to a class reunion at dear old Leavenworth. Ah, the good old days in Cooler College. How proud I was when I won my letter in the pole vaulting event, 50 feet ahead of the bloodhound. The mousetrap, Boomer, the mousetrap. Ah, yes, coming to it, pork shank, coming to it. Where's that mousetrap? Here's a china egg, very handy for knitting socks, or socking knitwear. Valentine from Sheila the Shoplifter. Poor girl. Her bloomers took an unexpected stretch, and so did she. <laughs> yes, indeed. Also a small check for a shorter beer. Well, well, imagine that. No mousetrap. Well, I must be off. I'm going to help a man unload a truck. There he goes now. Hi, Jack. <laughs> Now then, uh, will you do something for me? Sure, I'll go with you. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I want you to go up in the attic and get get my dress form. Your, uh, your dress form? Yes. I'm about ready to start fitting this dress. Well, the dress form is, well, it ain't in very good shape, kiddo. It's kind of chopped up. It's uh, full of holes. Coming all apart. My dress form? Yeah. What's wrong with it? Why should it be all chopped up? Well, you know that last rainy spell we had? Yeah. Well, I got kind of bored, see, so I thought I'd brush up on the old knife-throwing act I had in Vaudeville. <laughs> Me and Fred Nittany. So the best target I could think of for my knife-throwing act was the... Heavenly days, I hope that isn't Mrs. Armadale already. Peek out the window, McGee, and see who it is. Okay. Hey, has Mrs. Armadale got gray whiskers? <laughs> Does she wear a navy button in her buttonhole? Not that I know of. Then it's the old-timer. Come on in, old-timer. Oh, hello there, Mr. Old-timer. Hello, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Hey, what's going on here? Looks like you're having a taffeta pull. <laughs> no, Molly's running up a new dress, old-timer. Well, good for you, daughter. Sure like to see a woman make her own clothes. Mama made all us kids' clothes. My sister wore made-over flower sacks all through high school, even. Yeah. Flower sacks? Yep. Come a windy day once, and from then on, my sister was known as Madam XXX. <laughs> I take it all back. She makes your clothes, too? Nope, I inherited mine from Papa. Oh? Peculiar thing about them pants of Papa's, too. I had to bust into a run to get them past a saloon. <laughs> it kind of turned in automatic. <laughs> I'm kind of tired today, though, kids. I've been babysitting all morning. Oh, who's baby? My sister's. He's 11-year-old and honorary as a bee-stung mule. <laughs> Sister's too little to handle him, and his old man is on the road, so I have to go over now and then and sit on him. <laughs> yes, sir, sit on him. I'm, I'm the best babysitter they ever had. <laughs> and I kind of, I got such sharp hips, you know. He finally decided to behave himself, eh? Well, I finally rocked him to sleep, Johnny. Oh? Took a rock as big as my head, but I'd done it. <laughs> now I'm almost too tired to take my piano lesson. Piano? Do you play the piano? Well, not yet, daughter. 
Got off to a wrong start with my lessons, and I'm just now beginning to get the hang of it. What were you doing wrong? I was trying to play by ear, but oh. it gave me such a headache, I had to start using my hand. <laughs> oh, see you later, kid. Come on, next week for another nostalgic look at Radio of Yesteryear. And now it's just about time we were picking up our memories and moving along our way. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these songs and the memories that go with them as much as I've enjoyed bringing them to you. And I'll be keeping my weather eyes peeled. Yes, sir. Looking for you all to join us the next time we drop around this way for a friendly little get-together. And I hope that'll be real soon, folks. Same Time, Same Station is produced for KRLA News and Public Affairs by John Price. Special research by Martin Halpern, and I'm Bill Browning. Tonight, part two in our three-week visit to 79 Wistful Vista, narrated by Jim Jordan with members of the original cast. Next week, the final chapter in our story of Fibber McGee and Molly. I know you won't want to miss it, so be sure to be with us next week at this same time, same station. Tab, two same, three same time, enter. Firefly McGee, I was known as in them days. No, Mr. McGee. Yes, Mrs. Fidditch. Firefly McGee, the finest, fastest flame swinger of Philadelphia with a flair for fixing claws and faulty clues, fond of flipping a flock of fuel on a pig and firing and sending it to a fierce flame, fixing 40 foot of fresh fur to pit the fireplace, and fast, fine, and same, and fortunate as a fellow who fiddled with fire for plum, fat, and fancy from Fidget Philly to Parkmont Phoenix. <laughs> Settle back and reminisce a bit. What do you say, huh? With a nostalgic nod toward the Atwater Kent, we now present Same Time, Same Station, a chronicle of broadcasting's first half century. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Tonight, the third and final chapter in our story of The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat presents Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Bud Steffen, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Produced and directed by Frank Pittman with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. I'm sure a lot of things go into the making of a beautiful room. 
Again this week, we begin our program with another vintage visit to 79 Wistful Vista. Our nostalgia calendar has progressed from May 24th to May 31st, 1949. And here is the final program from Fibber's 14th radio season. Paste wax is a steady favorite with fine homemakers today, just as it was with their mothers and grandmothers. Its value to you isn't just that its hard, tough finish protects your floors, nor that smoothly waxed floors are so much easier to clean. No, deeper than that is the fact that Johnson's Paste Wax makes your floors a border of beauty for the other things you live with and cherish. I wish you'd try Johnson's Paste Wax soon. The shining luster it gives your floors helps make you proud of the home you live in. In Wistful Vista, the last day of the month is warm, sunny, and delightful. In fact, as the man said when the florist truck tipped over and buried his wife under three tons of petunias, May couldn't have ended prettier. <laughs> and here at number 79, discussing the balmy weather, are Fibber McGee and Molly. My George, a day like this makes me want to get outside and do things. Get out under the sun, under the blue skies, and let the soft breezes caress me. Heavenly days, listen to him. But I think you're right, dearie. You betcha. It's disgusting to stay indoors on a day like this. I agree, absolutely. What shall we do? I'll flip you a quarter to see who takes a nap in the hammock. <laughs> you know, if we were back in Peoria now, we'd be out on the river in a canoe. Out on... Hey! That's it, kiddo. You got it. That's the stuff. Let's go out to Dugan's Lake and get a canoe. Are you serious? I ain't Roebuck. <laughs> what do you say, Tootsie? I can paddle a canoe as good as I ever did. Well, you never were any Hiawatha with a paddle, sweetheart, but I'll go with you. Great, baby, great. I'll start getting the stuff ready right Wait away. Wait a minute now. What stuff? Oh, just the usual canoe stuff. You know, pillows and a blanket and suntan oil and some grub and my old mandolin. I better get the... Uh-oh. Come in. It's Milton from the drugstore, McGee. Come on in, Milton. Thanks, Mr. McGee. Hi, Mr. McGee. Hello, Milt. Swell day, ain't it? I and Mrs. McGee are going to go out to Dugan's Lake and rent a canoe. Well, I don't want to delay you, Mr. McGee. All I came over for was to say goodbye anyway. I'm going away on a vacation tomorrow. Are you, Milt? Where are you going? I'm going to hitchhike out west and get a job on a dud ranch. Oh. <laughs> You're a little mixed up, Milton. It's dude ranch. This one's a dud. It belongs to Uncle Ed that never made a nickel. <laughs> You like hitchhiking, Milt? I tried it once, and nobody picked me up. Strange for a man who was all thumbs to fail as a hitchhiker. <laughs> well, I got a gimmick, Mr. McGee. Yeah? Two years ago, it got me from Buffalo to Omaha in two days. Heavenly ah. days. How'd you do that? I get an empty five-gallon gasoline can, paint it red, cut a door in the side of it, and pack all my luggage inside. Everybody stops for a guy that's carrying a can of gas. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wonderful idea, Milt. Don't anybody ever get sore when they find out you've tricked them? Oh, only once. The guy that took me to Omaha so quick was the assistant district attorney. Huh? I spent five days in the sneezer for vagrancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll send you a postcard. Goodbye now. So long, Milton. Goodbye, Milton. Nice boy, Milton. Yeah, good kid. A little irresponsible, but my gosh, you've got to reach my age practically before you have real good common sense. Oh, dear. Hey, bring a bed sheet and a clothes pole, kiddo, and I'll rig up a sail on that canoe. And you we won't do, have to... Captain Bly, and you'll sail alone. <laughs> you think I don't know how to sail a boat? My gosh, I read a book once that told all about how to sail a boat and all... Come in. Well, 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 
look who's here. Dr. Gamble, the beloved old physician in Sturgeon. <laughs> who's devoting his life to cheering the healthy, healing the sick, and overcharging everybody. <laughs> Hi, blood count. Hello, doctor. Hello, Molly. And good day to you, too, blabbermouth. I hope I'm not intruding. We're going out canoeing, Doctor. It's such a lovely day. Yeah. You mean, my dear, you are entrusting yourself in a flimsy little canoe with this ham-handed, overweight oaf? Look who's cracking about being ham-handed. Who tipped over the rowboat last time we went fishing? I ain't mentioning any names, but I could lift my foot and kick the medicine bag right out of his greedy little hand. McGee, now, I don't think... Now, wait a minute, Flapjaw. I'll admit I happened to be rowing the boat at the time, but I didn't expect you to give a yell and jump up on my shoulders. <laughs> Could I help it if I sat on my fish hook? <laughs> you cold-hearted, unsympathetic butcher's apprentice, you. Yes, yes, you could help it. Yeah? You could buy an 85-cent tackle box to keep your hooks in. Oh. Incidentally, you still owe me for that $40 rod and reel I lost that day. $40 rod and reel? Yeah. Ah! You mean that second-hand umbrella handle with the wooden spool fastened on it with a piece of <laughs> Doctor, I could catch more fish with a long strand of macaroni tied to a bed slat and baited with two ounces of lint. <laughs> you ever caught now, a... Now, 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 boys, that's enough. Stop uh, it. He makes me tired. I make him tired. <laughs> I get so weary talking to you, loud face, that I've got bags under my chin. <laughs> Three of them. Count them. I can see them. <laughs> Oh, by the way, Molly, speaking of bags, I'm going away tomorrow. Vacation in the mountains. Oh, really? Well, I hope you have a wonderful time, Doctor. Yeah, you uh, don't like the seashore, Ducky? Nope, not since I was mistaken for a battleship last year. <laughs> well, that's a fairly natural error, boy, but how'd it happen? Well, I was just coming out of the water after a swim. Yeah? Dripping wet. I grabbed up my towel and started away, and somebody said, going in to dry dock. <laughs> So this year I go to the mountains. So long, <laughs> both of you. So long, Doctor. Billy Mills in the orchestra and five foot two.
Let me read this list to you and see if I forgot anything that we'll need in the canoe, Molly. List? Yeah. Pillows and a blanket, suntan oil, portable radio, my fishing tackle, first aid kit and some grub, some cold root beer in case it gets hot, hot coffee in case it gets cold, <laughs> and my old mandolin. I better get that mandolin right out of the hall closet right now before... Hold it, dearie. Company. Come in. It's Ollie from the Elks Club. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Mrs. Hello, McGee. Hi, Ollie. What's new at the Elks, boy? Well, since you tore another hole in it, the pool table cover, McGee. Yeah? We got a new one today. Oh, good. I'll drop in and try it this week, Ollie. I, I wish you would, McGee. I, I wish you'd come play every day. Well, thanks. I'll try to do that. Because I won't be there. I'm going on vacation. Oh. <laughs> I'll bet you're ready for it, too, Ollie. Uh, when do you start? As soon as the children get out of school? Yeah, pretty soon, Mrs. Christina's already through with high school now. She finished. Sunday, she commences. <laughs> commences what? Commences working? In high school, McGee, you don't commence nothing. Hmm? When you finish, you, 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 you just commence. <laughs> Sunday, they have commenced me. He means they have their commencement exercises, McGee. That's it, Mrs. Only my Christina. She don't need no exercises. <laughs> she got muscles like a horse. Yeah, they, what's she going to be, a lady wrestler? No, Christina wants to be used to housewife. Huh? I tell her if she wants to be a housewife, she should study like her mother, domestic tyrant. <laughs> you mean domestic science? I mean, if Christina learned to keep her mouth shut, she makes a fine wife, McGee. <laughs> I, I go now. My missus wants some oranges from the market. I'll bet your children eat a lot of oranges, too, Ollie. They're mighty good for them, too. Oh, you know? sure. We find oranges is very useful, missus. Useful, eh? Yeah, the last ones he got was just shock full of use. <laughs> very useful fruit. Well, I hope you have a nice vacation, Ollie. Yeah, and hey, if I want to get in touch with you this summer, where will you be, Ollie? Well, I tell you, McGee, mm -hmm. in my backyard is a hammock. Mm -hmm. There's a newspaper in it. Yeah? If you lift up the newspaper, underneath is Ollie. <laughs> Flat on my back in the hammock all summer and just donating my time. <laughs> Sounds like he's going to loaf all summer, dearie. He knows how all right. He loafs all winter, but... <laughs> well, I better think up some more stuff to take on our canoe ride. Maybe I ought to See, take... I know one thing we don't want to forget, dearie. A bottle of citronella. Oh, no, none of that stuff. I took a bottle of that stuff last year, and I couldn't drink half of it. What? Tastes awful. Anybody that takes citronella on... Hello, Molly. Hi, up there. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Come in. Hi, Junior. Hey, you want to bring your wife and go canoeing with us tonight at Dugan's Lake? I'm taking my mandolin. Uh... Sorry, pal, but I couldn't make it even if you weren't. I'm uh, getting ready to take my vacation tomorrow. My, my, everybody's vacation. Yeah, where are you going to spend your vacation, Junior? In the beauty spot of the nation, pal, Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> me and my big mouth. Well, now, if you boys will excuse me, I'll spend the next five minutes sorting the laundry. I can guess the rest of this. <laughs> Have a nice vacation, Mr. Wilcox. We'll miss you. Thank you, Molly. See you in the fall. Yeah, go ahead, kiddo. I started this, so I'll battle it through alone. I'll be the pigeon that... Ah, saved by the bell. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, Timmy. <laughs> Come in, sis. I'm glad to see you. You are? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, hi, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, boy, hi. Hello, Timmy. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a long time. Sit down, sis. 
What's new with you? My dollhouse. Huh? I got a new dollhouse, and all boys that ever pretty though. A new dollhouse, <laughs> eh? Well, I suppose you know how to keep that dollhouse looking new, don't you, Tinny? Sure I do, I betcha. My mama told me how. Well, good for her. She did, eh? Yes, she... Hmm? He said she did, eh? Who did? Your mother, Tinny. Did what? Told you how. How what? How to keep it new looking. My dollhouse. I know it. <laughs> She says there's only one way to keep it new looking. Don't play with it. No. Well, uh, Tinny, I was going to suggest that you try. You know something? My mom always uses Johnson's paste wax on her floors and furniture and woodwork. And you know, I was just wondering if I could use it on my dollhouse. Oh, my gosh. He's even got kids doing it. <laughs> Tini, of course you can, on a big house or a little house. Johnson's Paste Wax is the finest... You know, my mama says it not only imparts a mellow, gleaming luster to her furniture and woodwork, but it also protects and preserves it against dirt and dust and stuff I spill all over it. Hey, what's the deal here between you? Tini, that's on? absolutely right. Your mother knows that a Johnson waxed home is a well-kept home. She knows that Johnson's Paste Wax is the finest investment in beauty for a home. Hey, 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 look, look. Waxy. Yes, pal. Have you got to go now? Because I got to get ready to go canoeing. My oh, wife and I. Yes, yes, we do, Mr. McGee. Oh. Come, Mr. Waxy. If you if you're going down to Kramer's drugstore, I'll go with you, and one of us can buy the other one a soda, huh? That's a good idea, Teeny. Here, take my arm, Miss. Oh. <laughs> oh boy, jackpot. <laughs> too fast about me, Mr. McGee. Tell him I have a prior engagement. Goodbye now. So long, sis. I'll see you this fall, Junior. Yeah, happy canoeing, pal. So long. <laughs> She's a cute kid, even if she does act like... Hey, hey, Molly. Yes, dearie? Let's be ready to leave here about sundown, huh? That way we can be on the lake in time to watch the moon come up, and I can play Harvest Moon on my mandolin. See, you know something I've been wondering, dearie. Hmm? If you play the mandolin, who's going to paddle a canoe? Oh, don't worry. You won't get stuck with the paddling this time. Good. We can take turns. <laughs> I better get my mandolin out of the hall closet right now and tune it up before we go. Just a minute, McGee. Come in. Oh, hi, Latrivia. Come in, boy. Oh, it's his honor, the mayor. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Molly. Hello, McGee. I just dropped in to tell you two I'm taking a little vacation. Leaving tomorrow. Yeah? How come, Latrev? The grand jury breathing down your neck again, boy? <laughs> now, McGee, I hope you have a nice rest, Mr. Mayor. Say, that's a lovely new sport coat you've got on. I particularly like the weed. Oh, this? Oh, thank you. I'm rather partial to this sort of material myself. It's nice. Anytime I go looking for a sport jacket, I always pick a herringbone. You, uh, you walk into the store nibbling on it, do you, Latrivia? I beg your pardon? I wouldn't think there'd be any nourishment in it myself. Nourishment? In what? A herringbone. My gosh, I like to pick a drumstick myself or a pork chop bone, but a herringbone... Uh, oh, now, now, wait. Let's not get into any... You know, but... McGee can sit up all night and pick on a plate of spare rib bones, but... Sure, you ought to try that, boy. I don't make a habit of gnawing bones in public, but if you hold a napkin in front of your face, you can get away with it. <laughs> A herringbone, though, look, is a kind look, of... Look, a... uh, that, that's ridiculous. I meant nothing about eating, you understand? Hmm? When I said I like a herringbone, I meant... Here, see the way this material is woven? That's a herringbone weave. You mean they teach those itty-bitty fish to weave a sport coat? 
My gosh, what'll they think of next? Do they swim in and out with a thread in their mouth, or, or do they stand on their tails and knit it with their fins? We the nun. Uh, neither one. <laughs> Nobody said they fit it with their nins and fins. Look, I was now, just trying... Now, now, Mr. Mayor. Now, I'm child. Calm down. Now, look, Latrib. This is your last visit here this summer. So tell me one thing, boy, and then let's forget the whole thing. Gladly. Do you like your herringbones kippered or plain? <laughs> because a kippered herringbone would be a pretty messy thing. I don't know anything about clippered herringbones. What? Clippered herringbones. Herringbones. Bone. Stone. I didn't say I ate a fish bone. A fish snake bone. Look! When I said I kicked a wearing bearing home. A bearing home, please. A herringbone, please. Leave. 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 That's it. I'll leave. Have a nice vacation, Molly. You too, McGee. Well, thanks, boy. Now, here, just go out this door here, Lefebvre. Gladly. No, McGee, that's the whole plot. Cruising down the river. Cruising down the river on a Sunday afternoon. With one you love, the sun above, waiting for the moon. And all the card in playing a sentimental tune. Cruising down the river on a Sunday afternoon. The birds above all sing of love, a gentle sweet refrain. It's certainly a lovely evening to go canoeing, McGee. Where do we rent the boat? Right over here at the end of the dock. <clears throat> hey, bud. Hey, bud. How about renting us a canoe? Why, sure, kids. Be glad to rent you a... Oh, hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Hi, old Sarah. Hey, going for a canoe ride? What do you think we wanted a canoe for? To hide under in case Russia has the bomb? <laughs> we didn't know you ran the canoe concession out here, Mr. Oldtimer. Just filling in for a friend, daughter. 
I'm going out of town tomorrow on a vacation. You too? Where are you going on your vacation, Mr. Oldtimer? To summer camp, daughter. Oh. <laughs> Me and Bessie are going up to Camp Yakahaki with a bunch of other teenagers. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You and Bessie and some other teenagers? Yep. Bessie's 113 and I'm 116. <laughs> I think a fellow ought to be older than his current. <laughs> uh, oh, you want a canoe, eh? Yeah, yeah. Find us a good one, old-timer. Last one I rented here uh, leaked like a wicked rumor through a sewing circle. <laughs> well, I got just the one for you, Johnny. Ain't been used since the Lewis and Clark expedition, and it's just been painted and overhauled, and here she is. Oh, Mighty pretty. Uh, I'll get in and hold it to the dock, Molly. After I'm in, you hand me my mandolin and the stuff. All right. Here you are, dearie. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Oldtimer. Not at all, kids. Have a nice paddle. I'll shove you off. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Hey, hey, Johnny. Huh? Turn that paddle around. The fat end goes into the water. You mean like this? Oh, sure. Oh, Mrs. yeah, I remember now. Well, much obliged. You okay, Molly? Come off, Admiral. Have a nice summer, Mr. Oldtimer. Thanks, daughter. Same to you. Oh, isn't this wonderful, McGee? So peaceful, so restful. Sure is, kiddo. Just like the old days on the Illinois River back in Peoria, huh? Yes. Ah, oh, this is really lovely. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of water under the canoe paddle since then Peoria days, hasn't it? Yes, but it's gone awfully fast, dearie. Yeah, sure has, baby. And you know what? There's something about riding in a canoe that kind of makes you think things over. I don't know what it is. Well, I do. In a canoe, you're close to the water. And when you're on the water, you're on the level. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say we just drift for a while, isn't it? Wonderful. <sighs> great idea of mine, huh? Second greatest idea I ever had. The second? My greatest one was marrying you. Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm at the head of the list. I'd hate to play second fiddle to a canoe. <laughs> Hey, speaking of second fiddles, I play first mandolin in this orchestra. Hand it here, will you? Sweetheart, on a lovely evening like this, I can't even whip up a protest on the mandolin playing. Here you are. Much obliged. Here, you take the paddle. Can you reach it? I think so. I... Oh! oh! I'm sorry, dearie. It slipped out of my hand. Can you reach it? <laughs> my gosh, kiddo, I can't even see it. It's getting too dark. Which side you drop it on? Oh, I don't even know that. Oh, dear, what do we do now? Do what we always do when we lose the paddle on canoe trips. Paddle with the mandolin. <laughs> okay, but I sure hate to. Personally, dearie, I think you paddle with it better than you play it. You're not just saying that just because you believe it. Yes. Well, here we go. Cruising down the river, da-da-da-da-da-da. That lovely echo, McGee. Sing it again. <laughs> With one you love the sun above. Da -da 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 -da. With one you love the sun above, waiting for the moon. Well, that's the most wonderful echo I ever heard. It knows more of the words than you do, McGee. 
just sit here and listen until maybe September, huh? Okay. <laughs> in a moment. In addition to beautifying your home, you also save time and money when you beautify your floors with Johnson's Paste Wax. The tough protective coating adds long life to wood, saves long hours of cleaning. Just a light stroke of a dust cloth wipes dirt and grime from the brilliant Johnson Paste Wax surface. And here's the easy new way to polish your waxed floors. Get Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. All you do is guide the polisher across the floor. The big whirling brush does all the buffing for you. You can buy a Johnson's Beauty Floor Electric Polisher from your dealer or rent one at low cost if you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, until next September 13th, we turn you over to the musical hands of Ken Darby and the King's Men. They have a wonderful Johnson's Wax show lined up for you this summer called King for a Night. The King's Men with a guest king every week. Their special king next Tuesday night will be Dan Bailey, and don't miss him. In the meantime, thanks to all you loyal listeners for another year of faithful attendance. And thanks to Johnson's Wax, our favorite sponsor, and to all the people we work with putting the show on every week. A pleasant summer to all of you. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Peter McGee and Molly will return next September 13th. In the meantime, the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Tracy, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Ken Darby and the King's Men with their guest king for a night each week at this time. Next week, we greet Dan Daly. Be with us, won't you? This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Fibber McGee and Molly, as the program sounded in May of 1949. You're listening to Same Time, Same Station. This is KRLA Pasadena. And now, with the help of Les Tremaine and cast members Hal Perry and Gail Gordon, here is Fibber, Jim Jordan, and the final chapter of his radio memories. Then there was Hal Perry, who played uh, Gildersleeve, the water commissioner on your show. Was he the water commissioner on your show, too? I did the Chinese called Gooey Fooey, the laundry man. I did the character that was supposedly in Ted Weems' orchestra, because Ted Weems had an orchestra on the show. I was uh, Perry, the Portuguese piccolo player. I, um, some of my ancestors are of Portuguese descent, so Don Quinn, who wrote the show, thought that was very funny. Then I established this one voice that later became Gildersleeve. And he was known under several things in the beginning. Some of the tape collectors uh, occasionally come up with shows where I was George Gildersleeve. I was also George somebody else. And I did an old Englishman. I have a, a thing about a safari uh, with Fibber was going into. And I did an old Englishman in that. We wanted to engage him for the safari. Uh-oh. I'll bet that's Bingham. Come in. Oh, hi, Lord Bingham. I'm glad to see you again. I have a chair. Thanks, I have one. Oh, you got two? Oh, no. <laughs> that was cigars, wasn't it? <laughs> well, what did you decide, Bingham? You think I'd make a good partner for a big game expedition? I most certainly do, McGee. I most certainly do. Oh, fine. There's one thing I must impress upon you. What's that, Lord Bingham? Well, McGee, it's a rather delicate subject, 
You understand that I can't have anybody with me who doesn't measure up to my own standard of cool courage, my calmness in moments of danger. Oh, I Remember, I won't always be there to protect you. Oh, I understand that, bud. I can take care of myself, I can. Splendid. We must depend upon each other in emergencies, you know. Oh, absolutely. Two brave hearts that beat as one. That's what I always said. <laughs> Look out, Bingham. There he is. Hey, there's that mouse. What? Look out. Oh, my goodness, a mouse. Let me out of here. Help! Help! I say, McGee, is that you in this closet with me? Yes, it is, Bingham. Where are you? It's dark in here. I'm up on the top shelf here behind the hat. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, too. <laughs> Where are you, McGee? I'm hanging on two hooks with my feet in the umbrella stand. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cramped, but I can take it. <laughs> stout fellow, McGee, stout fellow. You know, I'm looking forward to our trip to Africa. Uh, our trip? You, you mean you're taking me? Why, certainly, my dear chap. I find you a very valuable man in the crisis. Huh? How so? If it hadn't been for you, I never would have found this closet. <laughs> oh. Then the character became known as George Gildersleeve, and it got real big. And after that, why, they didn't think that George Gildersleeve didn't really sort of go, you know. The Gildersleeve was great. That was a good name. So I was living on a street called Throckmorton Place in Chicago. And this is how it became Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. P, of course, obviously for Perry, see. Don wanted a middle name, and he said, oh, Perry, Perry, P. Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. And the first night I used it, because it got a big laugh, and it also happened to be the night that we were a little, uh, 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 we were short, you know. Script was a little short. And uh, the director gave us the well-known signal to spread, you know. And McGee and I were up there alone. We were at the end of the show, and we were closing the show. So he looked at me, and I looked at him. We started ad-libbing a little bit. And that was the first night I ever said a little chum to him, you know, because he was <laughs> irking me, but I was attempting to keep my temper, you know. And I said, little chum, you know. And then I finally threw in this old laugh, which I'd used in San Francisco. Never used it in Chicago. You know, I said, little chub. <laughs> and the audience in the studio, you know, laughed for 30 seconds. And the director looked at me, you know, and I looked at Jim Jordan, and he gave me the nod, so I threw in another one. <laughs> then, after a few things like that, why, the director started giving us the speed signal, you know. We almost didn't get off the air in time. <laughs> well, next week, Throckmorton was a very important character. Anyway, as a spin-off, as they say nowadays, uh, yeah. Hal later went on to be the star of his own show, The Great Gildersleeve. That's right. Which had been originated on your show. That's right. Yeah. One of the greats that we've had, the real greats, we haven't mentioned. Hmm. That's Gail Gordon. Oh, yes. My goodness. Mayor Latrivia. Did Mayor Latrivia. A part came up on the show of Molly's ex-boyfriend. Remember the name of the guy, Otis Cadwallader. Cease Underwood suggested me for the part, and at that time I was considered a, a dramatic actor. And Jim was worried that I might not wait for laughs. And Cease Underwood told him not to worry about it. Said, I'd done a number of things for Cease. 
And so I was hired as a, to do a one-shot part of Molly's ex-boyfriend who had become very successful. And in the episode that I'm referring to, uh, Jim and Marion and Al Perry as Gildersleeve were trying to fix everything so I would be very impressed because I was a rich man. They got Al to act as the butler to serve dinner and so forth. This was in 1940 or 41, and Don Quinn came up with the idea that Wistful Vista had never had a mayor. And so it was Don's idea to create the mayor of Wistful Vista, Mayor Latrivia. Character for me, and I think probably um, a week or two after my initial appearance with him, I was called back to do this character of Mayor Latrivia. And I was with him for 13 years. Don Quinn, being the genius that he was, wrote some wonderful, wonderful routines for Mayor Latrivia. And the main function of the mayor was to get terribly annoyed with Quibber. And at some point in, in trying to overcome the irritation, I would stumble on a word and then progressively get worse as I tried to correct it. I just got more and more involved. And then I'd reach a big crescendo and then long, long pause and then quietly say, Hey, Molly, how much longer do I have to keep this dress on? I sure feel silly, standing here with my pants legs rolled up in this Not dress. much longer now, dearie. I've got the hem just about right now, but the sleeves still need a little something. They must be leg of mutton sleeves. I never felt so sheepish in my life. <laughs> McGee, stop dropping cigar ashes on oh, well. Here, use an ashtray. Okay. Besides, Mrs. Armadale will be here any time now. Heavenly days, maybe that's... Oh, well. Come in. Relax, kiddo. It's just Latrivia. Hi, Latrice. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Molly. Hello, McGee. Well, that's a very pretty dress you have on, McGee. Did the Elks run out of women for their Wednesday square dance? Oh, cut it out, will you? I'm just modeling this thing for Molly because her dressmaker's form is no good. It's a wreck. Well, I've never met Molly's dressmaker, but if her form is any more of a wreck than you... Oh! Oh, you mean her dress form? Her dummy? Oh. Yes, I may go to Chicago for a few days, Mr. Mayor, and I'm whipping myself up a new frock. Yeah. Uh, say, <clears throat> does Miss Tremaine ever make any of her own clothes? She always looks so nice. Oh, yes, yes. In fact, she used to make all her own clothes when she was just starting out on stage. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. A young actress has to save money wherever she can, of course. You said it. Where did Fifi save her money, Latrev? In a makeup box, piggy bank, top for stocking? Or... Well, no, I... I knew a juvenile one time who used to paste $20 bills under his toupee. <laughs> he got so rich playing romantic leads that he wore a size 12 hat and finally said... <laughs> now, McGee, hold still. I want to put another pin in here. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, Fifi had rather hard going in those early days. Yeah. Yes, she tough. really had to economize and everything. <laughs> yeah. On, uh, on trains, for instance, she usually took an upper berth because it was lower. What was that again, Latrip? I said Fifi often bought an upper because it was lower. You mean the lower berth was higher? 
<laughs> Higher than the upper berth, yes. Now, wait a minute. I ain't any Einstein in arithmetic, so you better break this thing down for me. Which was lower, the lower or the upper? The upper was lower. Well, if the uppers are lower, why do they use those little ladders to get into the uppers? Why? Because they're higher than the lowers. You said the lowers were higher. No, no, not higher. No, I, I meant they were more. More what? More higher, you mean. <laughs> How much more higher than the uppers are the lowers, Latrib? Because the lowers are... Oh, all... stop it. <laughs> You're deliberately trying to confuse the issue. What? I merely stated that Miss Tremaine... Now, 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 family... relax, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> Leave us not shriek at each other. Let's argue this out quietly. Very well. <laughs> Why, certainly. We've all traveled on trains. Why, sure. We all know we got two kinds of berths in a train, uppers and lowers. People who are on their uppers can't ride on the lowers because the lowers are higher than the uppers, right? <laughs> Yes, and but so then, Mr. Uh... Maine could just as well have had a lower. Sure. Because if the uppers were lower than the lowers, then the lowers would be higher than the uppers. And the upper would then be the lower sure. because... I didn't what... say Fifi lowered a higher upper. Huh? I had a lower heaver. Huh? I mean, when I said the hoopers were in the lipper than the lower people, <laughs> if she climbed into an upper ladder and a lower dipper, hopped <laughs> into a loper when the lipper was... <laughs> Well, I just wanted to know if you could circulate all right. You know that yesterday was the first day of spring. Oh, it wasn't that, wasn't it? So what, Ladrette? Well, it affects me like it does a tree. If the sap can circulate sufficiently, the tree leaves. Good day. <laughs> I bet he meant something by that. I bet he did, too. And it was from that that uh, I really started being called for the blowhard part that I've been doing ever since. Well, he's gone on to great heights. Oh, he certainly Chicago. Chicago. Mm -hmm. So we had Perry Como. He went with the band, you see. No kidding. Did he sing on the show? Sure. Certainly did. Perry, I used to do a show. Created quite a stir, too. He was yeah. pretty young then. Yeah. Oh, and he still goes on. Yes, she did. <laughs> 
hear my little red voice I see somehow All the girls that I knew And I'm wondering who can be kissing her now Down through memory lane I love to look At the little blue skies And the little white lies In my little red voice But there's one girl I had a yen for back in 1933. That's the one I'd go again for. And if she came back to me, everybody but her, I'd overlook. I'd have only one flame. There'd be only one name in my little book. Ted Weems' band, Ormond Worthington Downs, was the drummer. A very oh, yes. slick kind of a guy who played a heck of a game of golf. He was a dear friend. Yeah, too. He's not. Right. And then in 39, they came back to California to do some pictures, and uh, I was sort of instrumental in talking him into staying in California. Because this is my home. I was born and raised here. Sure. And, uh, and a man by the name of Cecil Underwood, uh, who was producing the show back there, was a friend of mine here from Hollywood, had been with NBC, and uh, they were looking for producers. And I said, well, there's two fellows that you might talk to. One is Bob Redd, who's an excellent producer, now retired, and Cecil Underwood, also retired now. So they talked to Cease, and Cease came back and did the show. So he wanted to come home, too. See, he'd been there about a year. So that's how it happened. We all came home and all bought houses in Encino, which is... Today is so expensive, you can't even talk about it, but in those days, it was all right. And Jim became president of the Chamber of Commerce of Encino, so, you know... And there's quite a story about that. I was building a house, and he heard I was building it, and he put a big sign out in the street on Ventura Boulevard, this way to the Gildersleeve job. And, of course, I came down one morning, and the place wasn't even finished, and there were swarms of people going through it. And one woman fell off and injured herself and sued me. Fortunately, the contractor was responsible because the place wasn't finished. I never will forget it. <laughs> it was a fun company to begin with. Marion and Jim were, were wonderful people, and they started right at the bottom, you know, like the rest of the company, and they never forgot it. I mean, they were as, as uh, homey as they, they sounded, you know. Real wonderful people. They were called wonderful people, and the sponsors, Johnson's Wax, were most generous and kind. Of all the strange letters we got, Don got the letter from a kid. He says, I'm so-and-so, and I'm uh, 19 years old, and uh, I want to get into radio, and I want to get into radio as a writer. And would you please send me a typewriter? <laughs> Just like that. You know, the, the, he said so many things like this. Which I'll quote this in a minute. But it's, some of them I will never forget, and this is one of them. Terry McGee originally said this, of course, somewhere mm -hmm. along the line, but I never forgot it. Mm -hmm. Nostalgia is a longing for something that you couldn't stand anymore. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. 
beautifully put. Oh, God, that's beautiful. Oh, he, he was so unique, this oh, man. Yeah. As a, what a brain, what a writer. Yeah. A committee. What is a committee? A committee is a small group of the unqualified appointed by the unthinking to undertake the utterly unnecessary. <laughs> we get uh, material from all directions, particularly the people concerned with the show. Uh -huh. We have bought scripts from the violinist in the show, from the musical director, from two of the engineers, from an announcer. A lot of people around the show offer ideas. Now, we hesitate to accept an idea from outside, from people we do not know. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we return them unread. This is a rather, a, it's too bad because we probably pass up a great many wonderful ideas, but uh, motion picture studios use this too because the, the dangers of suit for plagiarism later on are so great from uh, crackpots and opportunists that yes. they don't dare read unsolicited manuscripts. We have to depend on known sources. We, use, we have a staff of three or four writers, of which I am one, and uh, I edit all the shows. No show goes on without my having edited every word of it and practically uh -huh. rewriting the told show, mostly. Uh -huh. But it's a, it's a very small stable, as we say, of writers, and uh, mm -hmm. most of our shows come stem from those. From your own? Uh, yes. yes, I see. The uh -huh. ideas come from everywhere and by osmosis. Yes, I suppose you, you uh, perhaps have a, an actor play a part, and uh, the way he handles a given scene or a given development probably will give you an idea for something that you can use in a later uh, script. Is that this, not this, so? This happens all the time in radio. Yeah. You Something happens and you realize that you've found a quality or a piece of business which is valuable, and then you use it again. And yes. this is way a great many radio actors and types have been developed. Uh, if they're not good, you, you drop them, you not use them again. But uh, pieces of business like Fibber's Closet have stemmed from a, what was intended as a one-time performance. Yes. But they've been so good that they've been retained and repeated. So you never know. When it's, this is one of the fun things of radio. You never know where your next property is coming from. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, I know where my air raid warden helmet is. Where? It's right here in the hall. Oh, no, McGee, oh. no, not the very first time he... that closet one of these days. Ah, here's my old air raid warden helmet. He had stacks of boxes, wooden cardboard, tin cans, all kinds of props. And he would actually flip the trap door, so to speak, so these things all fell on this wooden platform with a microphone close by. And of course, the finish was always the little tiny tinkle of the last little bit of stuff falling down. And for the audience, it was a visual thing, and for the audience present while we did it. And for the people at home, they waited, they always waited for the these problems. I think the, the best example of how popular they were was the fact that in uh, 1942, I think it was, the Canadian government asked Jim and Marion if they would bring the show, take the show up to Canada for the ninth Canadian War Loan Drive. And Jim and Marion were very reluctant to travel to different places. They were scared to death of crying. 
did consent to go to Canada for this night, wall on drive, and I, all the cast went. My wife went with me and the wives of the other members. And we went to Toronto and we appeared in the uh, Maple Leaf Garden where they had the big parking get into the place, you had to buy, the, the audience had to buy a Canadian war loan bond. And from within a day or two after it was announced that Sugar McGee and Molly Show would appear in the Maple Leaf Garden, it was not only sold out, in other words, the 17 or 18,000 people that had held it all bought their bonds and gotten the tickets. They had to turn away something like 10, between 10 and 20,000 people who were there with the money to buy the bonds just to get in to see they, they, they were trying to push us to go into television a little bit, and, and we didn't want to do it. Yeah. And we were advised by our friends in the business that don't do it until you need to. You, you, you have this value in radio, milk it dry, as we used to say. Uh, go ahead and when the time comes that you need to make the change into it. But we never made the change because... Marion became ill. She had a heart attack in 53. Oh, God bless her. That was after we were with, uh, I don't know who we were with then. We were with Pet Milk for two years and Reynolds Metals for mm. one year, and that was the, that's where we finished in 53. Mm. We did a 15-minute show for a couple of years, every night, five nights a week, with all the cast. Mm -hmm. And then, then we finally ended up on Monitor, just oh, Sugar yeah. and Molly, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Which was very successful, mm -hmm. and uh, that was a great show. Yeah, and uh, we did we did very well. We had a Don wasn't writing it, but he was going to start writing it again. Uh, Phil Leslie. Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't he write that. Either. No, mm -hmm. Tom Cook. And he was a fine writer. Huh? Yes, he was a very good writer. Mm -hmm. He was a very shy kid. Mm -hmm. In 1960, we were off the air now, but the vignettes that we had built up were still playing on Monitor and NBC had sent us a contract to sign for three more years. My golly, in 1960, yes. television was really flying at that time. That's right. During that time is when this cancer was discovered during that time. So there was no use of us going on, so we never signed it. And we went off the air. When uh, Marion, or Molly, passed away in 1961, she died in April. And in July of that year, I went to uh, Honolulu to visit friends of ours, mm -hmm. Al and Sybil Buck. Oh, yes. They came from NBC. Dear old friends, yeah. And uh, Jack Hellman. Of Variety. Of Variety mm -hmm. was over there, which they were friends of mine, too. Yeah. And they had these two widows visiting. Mm -hmm. One was Gretchen, Gretchen Stewart. But Gretchen and Lois were there, and we met, and, and uh, we, we were married in 19... January of 1962. She had been married to Yogi Jorgensen, who was a radio performer and became a big record star. Sweet comic, Sweet. what we used to yeah, call him. Yeah, he was great. Yes, he really he, was. He had some big records. And, and he was, he died in 50, 56, I believe, or 57. How wonderful that you two found each other. Yeah, that's strange, because we both had the same interests and we went to the same parties all, the, all our lives. We always went to the... But I never met her. We had never met each other. And I, I remember us all being at the Commons. That's right.
ladies and gentlemen, several years ago, there was a young fellow singing with the orchestra on this program, and he was a nice kid, and everybody liked him. In fact, everybody liked him so much, they're making him one of the top singing stars of today. His name is... Terry Como, and our congratulations and best wishes to him. Then a little later, there was a drummer with Billy Mills Orchestra, but he had something besides a set of skins and a wire brush. He had ideas, and those ideas are now making him a miserable little fortune. You know who we mean? Spike Jones. Nice going, Spike. Then there was an actor named Harold Perry. After seven or eight years with us, he decided that crime didn't pay, and <laughs> as the great Gildersleeve, he's making Sunday night radio history. More power to him. And last but not least, from these little Tuesday night weenie roasts, there came a character named Beulah. We want to extend our congratulations and all good wishes to Marlon Hurt and his own Beulah show. Which all just goes to prove, folks, that class will tell. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe someday McGee and I'll have a show of our very own. <laughs> but that's for the future. <laughs> Good night, all. of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Stay tuned now for Bob Hope. And remember, Tuesday is a bigger comedy night than ever, with your old friends Amos and Andy being heard just before Bibber McGee and Molly. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. next week for another nostalgic look at radio of yesteryear. And now it's just about time we were picking up our memories and moving along our way. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these songs and the memories that go with them as much as I've enjoyed bringing them to you. And I'll be keeping my weather eye peeled. Yes, sir. Looking for you all to join us the next time we drop around this way for a friendly little get-together. And I hope that'll be real soon, folks. And until then, this is your old friend, Singin' Sam, saying goodbye for now. Same Time, Same Station is produced for KRLA News and Public Affairs by John Price. Special research by Martin Halpern, and I'm Bill Browning. Our special thanks to Les Tremaine, Gail Gordon, Hal Perry, and especially to Jim Jordan for their help in telling the story of Fibber McGee. Be sure to be with us next week at this same time, same station. Move over to the Chesterfield Supper Club and here's some more Perry Como. Windows M, Desktop F, FS3 F, Fibber McGF, Friday Nanter, Friday Night C, Kathy and C, Cavalcade of C, Chester, Enter, Chesterfield, Chester, Chest, Chesterfield Supper Club, 481213 F, Perry Como. Chesterfield Supper Club 481215 Epps Perry Como. P. Chesterfield Supper Club 481213 Epps Perry Como. P. K. Chesterfield Supper Club 481210 Epps Perry Como. 
Chesterfield Supper Club 481210 Chesterfield Supper Club 481208 Chesterfield Supper Club 48120 Chesterfield Supper Club 451231 Epst Lake Placid Chesterfield Supper Club 481220 Epst Christmas Mouse Chesterfield Supper Club 481220 Epst Christmas Mouse Chesterfield Supper Club 481221 Epst Chesterfield Supper Club 481221 Epst Enter By transcription. Tonight, Chesterfield brings you the Hollywood Star of the Week. It's showtime at the Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars, Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and featuring Frankie Lane, the Fontaine sisters, the Starlighters, and the orchestras of Mitchell Ayers, Dave Barber, and Paul Weston. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. A. Always milder. B. Better tasting. C. Cooler smoking. Chesterfield Supper, Chesterfield Supper Club 481222 Epps Over a million retail outlets all over America who always have Chesterfields on hand for you. And now here's the star of our show, Joe Stafford. Showtime at the Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars, Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and featuring Frankie Lane, the Fontaine Sisters, the Starlighters, and the orchestras of Mitchell Ayers, Dave Barber, and Paul Weston. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. A. Always milder. B. Better tasting. C. Cool and smoking. ABC. This is Martin Block speaking for the more than 6,000 wholesale distributors and over a million retail outlets all over America who always have milder Chesterfields on hand for you. And now, here's the star of our show, Perry Como.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Semper Clubbers, this is the season when Dad discovers how easy it is to put up a Christmas tree and at the same time blow out all the lights in a house. It's also the time of the year when children ask the darndest questions. Like the one my little daughter Terry put to me the other night. Daddy? She said as she climbed up on my lap. Granny said that if it snows real hard or if there's a fog, Santa Claus won't be able to find our house. Oh, honey, that's propaganda. Roselle, where is Ronnie? Choir practice. He's done nothing but practice since he found out he's going to be on your show Friday. Terry, don't you think he's a little young? Oh, I don't know. If Crosby's kids can do it, so can mine. <laughs> I'll get it. Hello. Hello, Perry. This is Martin Block. Say, I hate to bother you, old man. I'm sure you must be pretty busy around the house right now, but... Perry, did you hear what Bob Hope, star of Paramount's Technicolor production, The Pale Face, said last night? Huh? Oh, yes, Martin. All right, what's wrong? Well, look, Perry, Bob said this is the Hollywood star of the week reminding you that if you stick to milder Chesterfields, you'll never get stuck. Now, Chesterfield is the best cigarette for you to give for Christmas and always the best cigarette for you to smoke. Well, what, uh, what's so wrong about that? Well, nothing but, gee whiz, Perry, he said everything I had to say and I'll be looking for a job soon. Well, don't worry about it, Martin. Just remind him about the Christmas cartons. Oh, yeah, that's right. I can tell him that Chesterfields are milder, much milder, and that this year they can get them in the gay Christmas carton with Santa Claus right there to carry their greetings, and then, then I'll wind up by reminding them that for their greater smoking pleasure and for every name on their Christmas list, give the milder cigarette much milder Chesterfields. That's right, and uh, I think that should do it, Martin. Well, gee, Perry, thanks. So long. So long. Well, Terry, as you were saying, Ronnie said if it's foggy out and there's a blizzard Christmas Eve, Santa Claus won't be able to find his way to our house, huh? Yes, Daddy. Well, he's wrong. Is that right, honey? If you say so, dear. Well, I can prove it. Terry, would you like to hear the story of how Santa got around one very foggy Christmas Eve? Oh, yes, Daddy. All right. Then up you come. Are you, uh, comfortable? Uh-huh. Okay, now, this happened a long, long time ago. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the hills, the reindeer were playing and enjoying the spills. But every so often, they'd stop to call names at one little deer not allowed in their games. Ha, <laughs> Look at Rudolph. His nose is a sight. It's as red as a beet, twice as big and twice as bright. In daylight, it sparkles. Now, just picture that. At nighttime, it glows like the eyes of a cat. My daddy's the best storyteller in the world. Well, that's my opinion, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a Christmas compliment to me. No, it isn't, Mommy. I said the same thing on my birthday. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's get back to Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Now, way up north, on this same foggy night, Old Santa was packing his sleigh for its flight. He was loading presents and candy and dollies and toys for good little animals, good girls and boys. This fog, he complained, will be too hard to get through. He shook his round head and his tummy shook too. <laughs> come Dasher, come Dancer, come Prancer and Vixen, come Comet, come Cupid, come Donner and come Blitzen. Without any stars or a moon as our compass, this extra dark night is quite likely to swamp us. Just think how the boys and the girls' faith will be shaken if we didn't reach him 
before they awaken. And you know, Santa was right, as he usually is. The fog was as thick as a soda's white fizz. Chestnut getting lost needed all Santa's skill. With street signs and numbers, more difficult still. Through dark streets and houses, old Santa did poorly. He now picked the presents more slowly and less surely. The air was quite foggy, the night dark and drear, when Santa arrived at the home of the deer. Where Rudolph lived? Uh-huh. Where Rudolph lived. Hey, sleepy? Oh, no, Daddy. Okay, we'll go on. Well, the first reindeer's bedroom was so very black. He tripped on the rug and fell flat on his back. All this took time and filled Santa with gloom while slowly he groped toward the next reindeer's room. Now, when he opened the door, much to his surprise, a dim but quite definite light met his eyes. The lamp wasn't burning. The glow came instead from something that lay at the head of the bed. And there lay... But, uh, wait now. What would you suppose? The glowing, you guessed it, was Rudolph's red nose. <laughs> now, this room was so very easy. This one little light let Santa pick quickly the gifts from that very right. How happy he was till he went out the door. But the rest of the house was as black as before. So black that it made every step a dark mystery. And then came the greatest idea in history. He knew he was right, he couldn't be wrong. He was so happy he burst into song. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Gee, Daddy, Santa Claus sings just like you. Thank you, Larry Parks. <laughs> well, it's a thought, it's a thought. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Santa went back to Rudolph and gently awoke him. I need you, said Santa, to help me tonight to lead all my deer on the rest of our flight. And Rudolph broke out into such a big grin, it almost his ears to his chin. A note to his folks, he dashed off in a hurry. I'm going to help Santa, he wrote. Do not worry. So Rudolph pranced out the door very gay and took his proud place at the head of the sleigh. The rest of the night, well, what would you guess? Old Santa's idea was a brilliant success. Now, in spite of the fog, they flew quickly and low and made such good use of the wonderful glow from Rudolph's red nose at each intersection that not even once did they lose their direction. It all went so fast that before it was day, the very last present was given away. The very last stocking was filled to the top just as the sun was beginning to pop. You know, the good boys and girls get their Christmas presents. Terry, it's almost bedtime. Let Daddy finish the story. Yes, Mommy. Go on, Daddy. Okay, so comfortable? Well, you can see things didn't turn out so bad, for Santa said, Rudolph, 
I never have had a deer quite so brave or as brilliant as you at fighting black fog and steering me through. I hope you'll continue to keep me from grief, for now I appoint you my commander-in-chief. You think I'm getting too hammy for the kid? <laughs> okay, we're gone. Well, that's why when it's foggy, it's dark, or it's gray, it's Rudolph the Red Nose who guides Santa's sleigh, who gives enough light to give Santa a view of you and your room, and when he's all through, you may hear him call as he drives out of sight. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Thank you for the story, Daddy. You're welcome, honey. Sleepy, dear? Yes, Mommy. All right, then off to bed like a good little girl. And don't forget to say your prayers. I won't. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Mommy. Good night, good night dear. Honey. God bless Mommy and Daddy, Grandma, and all the little boys and girls. And oh yes, God bless Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Thanks to Robert L. May and the Maxim Publications for making available to us the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Found in a cigarette by milder Chesterfields with the right combination of long, clean, even-burning shreds of the wasteless paper. Truly, the best cigarette for you to smoke is Chesterfield. 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 Tomorrow night at the Supper Club, it's Peggy Lee and Frankie Lane for the background film to Chesterfield, the best cigarette... <laughs> And until then, this is Perry Como saying good night, Jarrett, for you to smoke. <laughs> Tomorrow, Field. Tomorrow, Auntie Lane. For the background program, this is Perry Como saying good night, Jarrett. All tab items view Chesterfield Supper Club 481223XChristmasSongs.pkf Chesterfield Supper Club 481223XChristmasSongs Enter
showtime at the Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars, Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and featuring Frankie Lane, the Fontaine sisters, the Starlighters, and the orchestras of Mitchell Ayers, Dave Barber, and Paul Weston. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. A. Always milder. B. Better tasting. C. A, B, C. This is Tom Reddy speaking for our more than 6,000 wholesale distributors and over a million retail outlets who always have milder Chesterfields on hand for you. And now... Hello there. This is Peggy Lee. I guess, friends, that your time's about like ours these days. A busy, happy spot. And I guess you're about as excited as I am, too. I finished decorating at home last night. The wreaths all hung. And Dave, little Nicky, and I put out a welcome sign for old Santa. One thing's sure, he'll be here pretty soon. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Hey, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better be good. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids in girl and boy land will have a jubilee. They're gonna build a toyland town all around the Christmas tree. So you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not fight. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, folks, when Santa Claus finally does hit town on Christmas Eve, you can bet that old red sleigh of his will be loaded high with Chesterfield Christmas cartons. Because Santa knows what millions of folks know, that Chesterfields are the perfect gift for every smoker. Perfect? Because Chesterfields give every smoker the things that count in a cigarette. Long, clean, even-burning shreds of the world's best tobaccos and pure, white, tasteless paper. The world's finest cigarette paper. Yes, those are the things that really count. The reasons why we say to you, holiday and every day, the best cigarette for you to smoke is Chesterfield. You know, I got one Christmas present a little early this year, and a wonderful present, too. Frankie Lane! <laughs> and just think, Frankie, you'll be around for six weeks. Well, I'm thinking I'm the one who got the present, Peggy. Think of all the great songs I'm going to get to do with you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you chose the lullaby as your first one, Frankie. Just what does Terra Talera Tala mean? Hmm? Daddy made up. This lullaby Just to sing it 
to you And when you learn this lullaby You can sing it to your dolly too Play peekaboo with a star. Rock a bye, baby, when shadows creep. Dreamland is not very far. Just like the angels Hush your bye, baby Now you're asleep Tell, tell, tell Yeni sulma Yeni Boga Sandy Rayla Bretza Mel to Marina Tell to Just like the angel you are. Hush, my baby. Now you sleep. Tell, 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 tell. Thanks, Frankie. That's a beautiful lullaby. Friend, a very good friend of mine, wrote this next song. His name is Willard Robison. He called it The Christmas Spell. It has a very simple story, the story of the kind of happiness that comes at this time of the year, the warmth of a handshake, the eagerness of a smile, the things that make up the Christmas spell. See 
frosty little noses, red as riddle roses, pressed on every toy store window pane. Once again you stop and mingle in the spirit of Kris Kringle, every laugh a jingle bell, ringing happy This old world could not fail If that feeling would prevail Every day in the Hey, Tom, I hear Bob Hope dropped in to help you trim the Supper Club tree last Tuesday night. That's right, Peggy. While he was here, Bob gave a mighty good tip to all of our listeners. Folks, as you probably know, Bob Hope is starring in Paramount's Technicolor production, The Pale Face. And he told us in person, This is the Hollywood Star of the Week, reminding you that if you stick to milder Chester, Chesterfield is the best cigarette for you to give for Christmas and always the best cigarette for you to smoke. So, friends... Take Bob Hope's tip and make yours the milder cigarette Chesterfield. They're much milder to satisfy millions, much milder to satisfy you. Chesterfield brings you a Christmas concert. The carolers, Peggy Lee, Frankie Lane, and the Chesterfield Choir. The carols, the ones you know, remember, and love so well. Ladies and gentlemen, a Christmas concert.
Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen just to hear sleigh bells in the snow. Thank you, friends, and as they say in a song, though it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Chesterfield Supper Club 481224 Christmas Eve. PK at Chesterfield Enter. My transcription. Tonight Chesterfield presents the boys' choir of St. Peter's of Alcantara. <laughs> It's showtime at the Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars. Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and featuring Frankie Lane, the Fontaine Sisters, the Starlighters, and the orchestras of Mitchell Ayers, Dave Barber, and Paul Weston. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. A. Always milder. B. Better tasting. C. Cooler smoke ABC. This is Martin Block speaking for more than 6,000 wholesale distributors and over a million retail outlets all over America who always have Chesterfields on hand for you. And now, here with our Christmas Eve show is our star, Perry Como. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, supper clubbers, here it is Christmas Eve and a very exciting one for us because tonight... For the first time, we are being televised. 
aren't we? I'd like to say welcome to you, our television audience. Welcome to the Chesterfield Supper Club. And if uh, you would like to, and if you feel like it, sort of uh, pull your easy chairs up a little right next to the television set and join our radio audience from coast to coast as we do our Christmas show. You are very welcome, you know. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow oh, yes, through in the a one-horse open sleigh. O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Come <laughs> off your ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Whoa, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride a one-horse open You know, there's something wonderful about Christmas. Something very sweet. Well, everything is so pretty, like, like a Christmas carol. Last night, the family kind of hankered to hear some carols, so all of us piled into a car. We got out to the neighborhood church in Port Washington, St. Peter's. When we pulled up in front of the church, we sat and looked for a few moments. Ah, oh, it sure was pretty. Someone said the shrubs covered with snow looked like huge ice cream cones. They did, too, all spread out on a thick snow-white carpet. As we walked up the path, the sound of an organ drifted towards us and the sound of children's voices. Well, we opened the door of the church, and there before us stood a little band of angels. And uh, we listened. sounded so wonderful to us. I wanted all of you to hear him sing. So supper clubbers meet the choir from my neighborhood church in Port Washington. 
Let's get a load of those angels and look at those kisses. <laughs> of course, I might be a little prejudiced about this particular choir because uh, there's a little boy in this choir that, has, that bears the name of Como, Mr. Ronald Como. Ronnie, did you step out, honey? Yes, that's my boy. Tell me, uh, Ronnie, you think your mother and Terry are going to be very proud of you tonight? Mm, I think so. Well, you have to speak up louder, you know. You think so? Yes. You think your mommy and Terry are watching on the television? Yes. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, Ronnie, uh, I know that all your boys are here from your from our neighborhood, rather. They live right around our home. And you all go to school, smile real pretty. Don't take a picture. Quick now, smile. <laughs> Come, that's good. Uh, and I'd like to have, uh, have you introduce me to some of the boys. Do you think you know all their names? No. You don't know their names? No. Well, you know a couple of them. A few. Just a few? Uh, well, so what we do. Supposing we all, we have them all put their hand up, and as we go along, they'll tell us their names. Would you like that? Okay, okay. okay. let's start from this corner here. You stand over here, honey. Start right from here. My name is Walter Powers. My name is William Hickok. My name is Richard Grimm. My name is William Trim. My name is James Buckley. Michael Riley. My name is Earl Harkin. My name is Stephen Sowers. My name is Jesse Bell. My name is Paul Dumpy. My name is Bruce Grimm. My name is Edward Lightfight. My name is Thomas Kasky. My name is Philip Lagan. My name is Joseph Kasky. My name is Anthony Delvey. My name is James Hoyle. My name is Perry Como. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll get in here, Ronnie. You stand out here, honey. Let me get in here, and we'll find out how old some of these boys are and uh, uh, what they do for a living. What is your... <laughs> what is your name, sir? Richard Grimm. Richard Grimm? Yes. Richie, how old are you? Nine. Nine years old? Yes, Mr. Oh, you're pretty big, too. Big boy. How about here? What is your name? William Kern. William Kern? Yes. Do you belong to the Boy Scouts? Yes, Mr. You're right around our home, aren't you? Yeah. Do you have much trouble with Ronnie during the day? No. Just a little. Just a little? Uh, you know? Maybe. Well, are you a bear or a wolf in your Boy Scouts? A wolf. A wolf. <laughs> How about you, sir? What is your name? Paul Dumpson. Paul Dumpson? Yes, sir. Paul, do you go to school up at Port Washington? I go to, to St. Peter's School. St. Peter's School. And are you a Boy Scout, too? No, I was a Boy Scout, but uh, I'm in the American Legion Drum Corps now. Oh, you're in the American Legion Drum Corps. Very nice, Paul. How about, uh, how about you? What is your name? Bruce Grimm. 
Bruce Grimm? Yes, Mr. Comer. Do you go to school in Port yes, Washington? Mr. Comer. Do you have any trouble with my boiler? No, Mr. Comer. <laughs> you know, I guess you're on the spot here. You know that. I tell you what we do. As long as we're here, suppose we all do a song. Maybe, uh, maybe Ronald and I here could start the song and then have everybody join in. Would you like that, Ronnie? May we have a key on the organ, please? We'll do Adestiva Davis, huh? How would you like to do it, English or Latin? Latin. We'll compromise. We'll do it both ways, see? English and Latin, right? to, uh, uh, you, you've met the cast, the Fontaine sisters, Fontaine sisters, Martin Block, Hello. Mitchell Eyre, the band, we'd like to have you meet all of them right back there. Howdy doody, all comics. Well, we have uh, done our part. I think we should go over to the Christmas tree now and maybe have a little cake and ice cream, a little Coca-Cola, and uh, maybe there'll be a few presents under the tree. Uh, by the way, who decorated this tree? Arthur Godfrey? Yeah, I'll bet you're right, Perry. Arthur's been very busy the last few months playing Santa Claus and reminding everyone to have those gay cartons and Chesterfields under the Christmas tree. But you know something, Perry? Arthur has had a lot of helpers. Well, uh, what do you mean, Martin? I mean the thousands of people who work in the Chesterfield factories. And now more than 6,000 wholesale distributors and over a million retail outlets who always have milder Chesterfields on hand. Well, that's right. And I think uh, it's a pretty good time to pass along the best Chesterfield greetings from the friendly Chesterfield family, the folks who serve you with Chesterfields all throughout the year. And friends, as I add my own private wish for a wonderful holiday season, I hope you'll remember to ask for Chesterfields. Because when you do, you're buying the milder cigarette, the much milder cigarette that gives you the things that count. Now, I do hope you'll have several Christmas cartons of Chesterfields on hand. Because, well, it's like Arthur Godfrey says, give them Chesterfields for Christmas... And you sock them with a load of good cheer. Well, supper clubbers, before we say goodnight, and while you're still wrapping the last of the presents, let's join with my little neighbors and yours too in a carol that I'm sure all of you know. Silent night, holy night, 
Merry Christmas, everyone. This is Perry Como saying good night for Chesterfield. Sleep in heavenly peace. The preceding program was transcribed. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Everybody, we'll talk to you later tonight with Perry Huntoon, Audishaw Part 1. Alt-Tab, Norton's Alt-Tab, Saturday Wall-Tab, 1, Alt-Tab, SoundForge Pro 11.0, Escape, Enter, Enter, Menu, File A, Leaving Menus, Sound 1 Star, Save as Dialog, File Name, Sound 1, Edit, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y-N-I-G-H-T, 1-1-1-8-1-7, S E C O N D P C D I T H P A T R I C I A. Save as type combo box wave Microsoft save but enter sound one star. Jaws Professional. Skull Tab. Sound Forge Pro 11.0.